everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 360. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined, as always, by my host, David Bixenspan. And Bix, we had this mega show last week, which ended up being not as long as we thought, but 39 pages for 2005. And now we go back to 1986, and it's only 15 pages. So a little respite for us this week. Yeah, and we don't have that many clips relative to 1986, I believe you said, too, right? Yeah, and this is one thing that we kind of needed to have for this week, because we got to start going into the third episode of Titan Gate 92 on the Patreon. And boy, that's uh, <laughs> got a whole new meaning in this last uh, week here as we record in this. What makes you say that, Chris? <laughs> the more things change, the more they stay the same. Tell well, <laughs> The main thing that's changed is now that Vince actually has people sign NDAs. <laughs> yeah, and uh, uh, there's more going to come out about that. I don't know, maybe it's out by the time people hear this. Who knows? But there's things, uh, moving parts, as we like to say. So just pay attention. I mean, so we'll I see. I mean, one thing that's already public, I mean, uh, Brandon Thurston did mention that there is another story coming. Yeah, but. We'll see. We'll see how much uh, how much is out by the time everybody hears this, because there's stuff that we know we can't say. So let's just say that. All right. But anyway, we got 15 pages of notes. It's 1986, so we had to bring out the big guns this week to help us uh, make this show go a little longer. And uh, he's supposed to join us a few weeks ago, but he uh, had a mysterious illness. But he's back now, <laughs> doing much better. Some type of Canadian flu or something. I don't know what they got going on up there. But he's back with us, freshly squeezed like Orange Cassidy. He's back and uh, raring to go as Frankie uh, the Thumper has given him plenty of material to use this week. We can't wait to hear it. As we are joined by, yes, the one, the only, the infamous Robert O'Connor. Welcome back, Robert. Oh, thank you. Well, uh, yeah, Frankie did give me something, which I will uh, get into, but... uh... Yes, I was uh, very disconsolate uh, that I could not do the show a couple weeks ago, especially uh, the week covering the Iron Sheik Jim Duggan arrest. <laughs> yes. Perhaps well, uh, it, in hindsight, uh, Sheik should have told the state trooper it was just white paint. <laughs> just, just looks like Coke. <laughs> well, hey, we're a year ahead from that on this week, so... You know, a lot of the people we were talking about on that show, we're talking about on this show too. So, if you <laughs> yeah, had any, yeah. if you had any material that you could use on that show, <laughs> you can recycle it for this week. <laughs> I can recycle at least one joke. Yeah. <laughs> come to find out, but uh, yes, I, I was in a very bad way uh, three weeks ago. Uh, it was not COVID. I did get tested, uh, but it was. An equally potent strain of the China virus, uh, the Frankie flu. Yeah, <laughs> the, uh, the little guy brought home some type of virus. Uh, of course, he was okay within a few days, but uh, he promptly passed it on to me, resulting in the worst sore throat of my life. Mm. Now imagine uh, Fritz von Erich after deep throating Robert Fuller for half an hour. <laughs> That's what I would have sounded like. Three weeks ago, and no one wants that. Oh, no. <laughs> no, they don't. Oh. That's a mental image. <laughs> I wonder, oh, if, I wonder if that'll be in the movie. <laughs> but, 
anyway, I, I, I'm good now. Still a little, little lingering cough, but otherwise, uh, it's uh, feeling good. Great to be back with you guys. Uh, it, yes. it, it dawned on me today that uh, this is my first appearance since I went to Dallas for WrestleMania weekend. Oh, yeah. That's oh, right. boy. Yeah, it was my, my first uh, wrestling travel post-COVID, post-Frankie, mm-hmm. for that matter. And uh, I, I just somehow I just felt compelled to share with you guys uh, the unquestioned highlight of my week in Dallas. Yes. Well, obviously, it was great to see all my friends again. I watched... Uh, a bunch of great WrestleCon shows. Even uh, got to be the ringside timekeeper for a Triple A show. And we, wow. we all know, uh, yeah, nothing is more vital to the success <laughs> of a Lucha show than quality time. timekeeping. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. yes, they keep the, the best time out of any type of wrestling. Uh, yeah, I thought I would get a whistle, but I, I got the bell because uh, <laughs> yes, we were in Texas, but... Uh, but yet, but yet, I have to say the highlight of my week was, in all seriousness, uh, <laughs> meeting a very convivial, if highly intoxicated, Carrie Silken in the hotel <laughs> lobby. Yes. <laughs> this really happened. <laughs> uh, we discussed his uh, wonderful podcast with uh, Ian Riccoboni. Yes. Uh, his, his, forthcom- his forthcoming memoir. Uh, which he assures me is in the pipeline. Uh, we discussed uh, Victor Quinones, as one does. Yes. Oh, boy. And uh, <laughs> we we talked about uh, some of the seamier aspects of my native Toronto, a city he clearly has great affection for. I'm sure he does. Yes. In <laughs> fact, uh, when I mentioned Toronto... Uh, he seemingly sobered up for an instant. It was actually quite theatrical. He... He put one arm around me, uh, extended the other in front of us, uh, as though we'd been transported from a Dallas hotel lobby to the Great White Way, both uh, looking into some vast imaginary horizon. And I have no idea what this even means, but uh, I'll remember it for the rest of my life. He said, quote, Toronto, one man for every glory hole. (laughs) Unquote. I actually wrote that down immediately <laughs> afterward. That should be the new motto of the city. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> had had to capture that for posterity because I know Carrie probably doesn't remember it, but uh, I do. Oh, I love it. Carrie Silk is one of a kind. He is that <laughs> a very entertaining man who uh, yeah. he, he says what he thinks. Yeah. Yes, he does. Yes. Also, far from the most ridiculous thing that anyone has ever said to you during Mania Weekend in Dallas, but that's probably not a topic <laughs> for while we're recording. Yes. One one day I will tell the uh, the Teddy Hart in Dallas story <laughs> in full. Did you get a chance to go by the Sportatorium while you were in Dallas? No. You mean the lot no. where the, it was? The, the, the vacant. I mean, the I pay, saw a lot of vacant lots in Dallas, but... Uh, pay your respects to the no. Sportatorium. I did I did take a little side trip to Fort Worth, though. Went to oh. the, uh, the stockyards. And, okay. Yeah. Well, close enough. That's a lot of wrestling history there. So there yes. you go. Yes. Well... We'll have more on Dallas later, as uh, there's some interesting Dallas stuff in this show as we get to it. But 
Let's begin with the World Wrestling Federation as we're discussing the week that was, uh, as I scroll up, June 22nd through the 28th of 1986, a full week. And there's a major shakeup taking place in the offices of Titan Sports as longtime booker George Scott has been demoted. Scott will no longer be booking, but he'll still be employed in Never Never Land with Ernie Ladd, Jerry Briscoe, and the rest of the guys on the payroll who have no input into what's going on. The new bookers that Day has been told will be Vince himself, and even worse, Hulk Hogan and Tito Santana. <laughs> Vince, like his father, is into freaks, so which is an interesting statement. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, there was an NDA on that. <laughs> so Day doesn't consider this, to cha- this change to have any benefits. Scott, at least, was trying to push guys like Greg Valentine and Ricky Steamboat. As a general rule, when wrestlers book, they try and base everything around themselves and get paranoid when somebody threatens their position on top. See Rhodes Dusty. When Dave thinks of Hogan having that power, well, it's a frightening thought. Dave says, I guess we've seen his last match of more than 10 minutes. Well, there's some truths and and not so truths in this. Uh, I'll go to Bix first on this one. Um, Hogan and Tito... uh, I mean, there may have been something there. They may have had, you know, maybe something, but never were they officially anything in, in creative. Right. And Dave does follow this up a week or two later by saying, I forget exactly what, but I think he says something to the effect of that if they were officially bookers, they're not anymore. I forget exactly what it was, though. Yeah, this is basically the beginning of Vince and Pat. Yes. Although it's interesting read, like, I know Vince is busy with the other stuff, but it, and that Scott had to some degree more autonomy than maybe other people would. But it's still Vince as the booker. It still was um, in the first place, you know? Yeah, but Scott was able to get th- more things done of his liking than others were. Yes, and, and you could tell by and you could tell um, because when this takes place, you could tell which guys kind of start getting the emphasized a little bit. Valentine's definitely the main one. Um, Steamboat's, of course, still in there because he gets a savage view, but Valentine's especially de-emphasized after Scott's gone. Yes, are they Orton Junior? is de-emphasized after uh, Scott's gone. Um, Piper obviously is not, because he's going to do the babyface turn. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you definitely could tell some some of these guys and uh, and how their trajectory goes once George Scott's gone. Yes. Um, I'm trying to pull up an email exchange I had with Dave recently, because it was when I was doing the thing about Hogan, you know, the trajectory of the Hogan character being an asshole for fanbite. Like I wanted to run that stuff by Dave to get an idea. Uh, Cause we had theorized in the past because of the story that this shift is why, as we'll get into later, Hogan comes off as such an asshole in the Orndorff turn that it's Hogan getting more creative power. Um, but I'm not sure that's the case. All right, here's the, okay. So yeah, this was several months back. Um, Dave said Hogan had a good degree of input and control by the time Scott was ousted. 
Um, and as far as the change in the Hogan character, he said, I think it was both Vince and Hulk. Vince hated the white meat baby face and wanted the edgy baby face. You can see, I mean, there, there's something there with the character change um, that he starts, you know, becoming more of a different type of character there. So I don't know if that's George Scott related or what. But uh, but this or but the Orndorff thing is the begin as we'll talk about more later is the beginning of the overbearing Hogan that everyone hates. For the first two and a half years of Hogan as champion, you watch that stuff back and it's like, oh, I get it. I get why this guy got over. You know, he's so charming and charismatic and all that. And then in '86, he just turns into the Hogan. Everyone kind of looks down upon these days more 87 but it starts I mean, with it, the orndorf angle it starts with that angle yeah but it goes more in 87 that was when you're andre and all that stuff but um yeah the, the o'connor the thing about this is uh, what dave talks about with hogan having booking power he would never abuse booking power once he got that would he i mean never <laughs> no no of course not uh but yeah imagine a uh a Hulk Hogan, Tito Santana booking team, because uh, <laughs> who who hasn't dreamed of a hybrid of 1995 WCW and the AWF? <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, it's, it's arguable that if you watch both television shows, AWF may have been a more entertaining television show in 1995. <laughs> I would not disagree, but, uh, but yeah, I, I always heard that... Uh, Hogan and George Scott uh, did not get along, and uh, perhaps uh, Hogan was responsible for uh, hastening his departure. It's very possible. Isn't that what Brett says in his book? I think Brett Brett accused him of that, yeah. That that, that Hogan you? made the power play because of that. Yeah. Sounds right. But how about Pat? You know, this is where, again, Pat doesn't have anything, you know, really booking-wise— uh, and and uh, if until here, um, not, not formally at least. Yeah, not officially. Yes, he mm -hmm. may have been involved. He may have been involved pre-expansion. You know, it's very very possible now. But as far as Mr. Scott's brought in, it's you know George Scott and Vince, and now Pat comes in. So we're swapping Canadians out here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Pat, uh, <laughs> Pat was swapped a few times. I'm sure. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, and um, because it, it's funny that Dave mentions Jerry Briscoe. Jerry Briscoe, at this time, he's he's an office guy, but his main job is being the spot show promoter in Florida, and I guess the Southeast, but mainly Florida. Well, here's the thing: people don't realize usually. Jerry was not working as a road agent, and even then, he never worked house shows until the '90s. Mm-hmm. He yeah. was explicitly just Florida promoter. Yeah. And Lad, I think they brought Lad back because Watts ha had him come on TV one week and do announcing, and then all of a sudden Lad's in <laughs> right after that. <laughs> well, he's he, he's not an announcer yet. At this point, he's just a talent scout and maybe road agent, mm -hmm. right? But, Gri but Grizzly did, Smith's uh, in WF2, so there yeah. you go. Ernie Lad did the uh, big event in Toronto later that year. <clears throat> Yes, Lad's already started announcing by this point, Bix. Lad was anou Lad announced Jake's big uh, Masquerade Garden debut match. That's right. He's not a weekly announcer yet, but he's doing. No, he just shows. announces on like 
garden and stuff like that. Yes. But he comes in with Grizzly Smith. He's one of Grizzly's guys. Yes. So, yeah, we get Pat Patterson and Grizzly Smith both getting positions of, position of power in uh, this mm. era. WF. Mm. When does Terry Garvin actually start working there, if we're going in that direction? Uh, uh, 86. Because Terry Garvin, is, I know, is in 85, was doing stuff for Central States, like doing special referee gimmicks and stuff. Hmm. So probably when Pat gets power, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there you go, Terry Garvin's Canadian, involved. Canadian cronyism. <laughs> yes. So Pat and Patterson, Terry Garvin, Ter- Pat Patterson, Terry Garvin, and Grizzly Smith, and Mel Phillips starts getting the <laughs> weekly announcing gigs. So yeah, he's man. never been a t- well. Had he been a ring announcer at all before Challenge started? On t on on the TV shows? No. Only some house shows. Yeah. Only the Phillies. Only Spectrum. Yeah. Huh. Huh. Well, yep. that's probably where we should end that discussion for now. <laughs> well, let's go. Let's go to some other fan of Pat Patterson. Even though Roddy Piper will be returning soon, they aired the episode of television where Paul Orndorff pretty well turned heel, and he's got matches booked next month against the baby faces. Well, almost turned heel. It's building. Let's go to the flower shop on the championship wrestling, and um, what were we? The thing about this is, uh, this is not isolated on YouTube. This is from the all-encompassing Hogan Orndorff few video, so we're going to take it from there. So let's go to the flower shop and hear Paul Orndorff ranting and raving about uh, his friend Hulk Hogan. Now I forget though, is this all at the same? T- is this all at the same taping or? No, it's on the same. It's on the same television show. No, I mean well, as far well, as relative, like, is the turn later at the same taping as this? Has it been shot? No, no, the turn. The turn takes place during our week, but doesn't air. Yeah, okay, yeah, I found it now. The turn is taped during our week in Poughkeepsie on the 24th. Yeah, and then, and then it, it doesn't air till the week, yeah, the weekend of the 19th. So yeah, we're still a few which, weeks away from we, the actual turn. Yeah, yeah, which we've we've kind of covered that on a previous show, that, that whole thing. But yeah, so let's, we definitely put this video on the show, so... Let's go to the Orndorff uh, flower shop and then afterwards clips. You go in that ring and do all that hard work and demonstrate your opponent. It seems like you go over and tag Mr. Hogan and he comes in and makes the fall. Well, because the thing about it, so what if you're right? So what if he sells more dollars? So what if he sells more posters? So what if I do 90% of the work? You're so tough, Hulk Jr. If you're so bad, why don't you... Sign for a tag match next week against Sudden Bundy. But I got another idea. Why don't you get yourself a partner? And I'm talking about Hulk Hogan. Huh, Hulk Jr.? Let me tell you something right now. Both of you. All I have to do, all I have to do is to get on the telephone and call Hulk Hogan and he would be right here by my side. Tell what he's doing. I don't care if he's got 605 pounds on his back. You just go get him and tell him Mr. Wonderful wants to talk to him right now, immediately. <laughs> I just love that Orndorff telephone bit. That's one of my favorite things. The look <laughs> on his face. And, and he, he is, you can see just the muscles in his shoulders, his traps. My <laughs> God, he's fucking ridiculous here but uh 
Yeah. <laughs> well, I still mean, love they're they're shooting a main event angle, speaking into a flowered microphone. <laughs> yeah, that that hit me t- as well. That this, <laughs> it it kind of takes away from what they're trying to do. In the flower shop with Adonis looking like he looks, and we'll talk about more about him in a few minutes. But uh, it, also in that segment, Bobby Heenan, I mean, looks almost like J.J. Dillon there because he's wearing glasses. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you never, you, you never see Heenan wearing glasses. He's wearing glasses in that segment, and he's got the, the suit on and everything. He looks like damn J.J. But, um, yeah, I mean... We talked about this recently on the show. I mean, Orndorff will start out red hot babyface, and then he started floundering at this point in time. And yeah, it was time to turn him heel. And damn it, O'Connor, it worked because Toronto, uh, the big event, <laughs> definitely proved that point. It did. I was there. I was uh, solidly uh, Team Orndorff for the record. There you go. I even uh, I remember I fashioned. Uh, one of my mom's bathrobes into a makeshift uh, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff rope. Mm. At the uh, <laughs> sequins on it, and uh, yeah. Wow. So I'm curious, uh, wh- how far back were you sitting at uh, in the mistake by the lake at the big event? <laughs> um, we were we were on the floor, but we were we were quite a ways back. Yeah. Okay. It was, uh, yeah, it was a, uh, Toronto can get pretty, pretty chilly when you're, uh, on the lakefront. So, uh, it, it was a, a long night, uh, exhibition stadium for my, my long suffering mother. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and me and Bex talked about Orndorff, uh, you know, this whole thing before on the show. So we're not going to dwell on that too much, but yeah. One of the best angles they did. So there is that. So business-wise and everything. Yes. And as we talked about when we covered that week, which I think is the first week of August of 86, they did a hell of a job with the Hogan in the gym recap video to try to make Hogan more of a baby face than he came off in the initial angles. Yes. And Orndorff a stronger heel. Yes. Hibbley Jim quit the WF, which is why nobody's seen him around. They wanted to get rid of the Hillbilly Act anyway, since so it's run its course. Anyway, Jim had to work 70 straight nights and finally got tired of it and went home. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. 70 straight. Oof. Wow. Would he have worked 70 I... straight nights or just been on the road 70 straight nights? Well, I'm sure he probably worked because he was back, you know, back working by that point in time. Well, because uh... I say that because the, the story we hear is that. When you hear those marathon stretches, usually it's not that they were wrestling all of those nights necessarily. No, so much, well, yeah, they were not all the time, <laughs> but it's but a lot of it is. Remember, at this point, the, the company is not paying for your flight home. You have to pay for your flight home. So a lot of guys would find it cheaper in that era to just stay at a motel or a uh, friendly female fans place, <laughs> and then just drive or you know or. And then get drive to the next place if it was close, or get flown from there to the next loop, you know, since that was getting paid for. Um, okay, so for what it's worth, looking Hibbley at wrestling, Jim, wrestling, yeah, Jim had had not worked since May the third. Yeah, I'm looking at rest, well, wrestling data doesn't even have that because that's the easiest to look at at a glance. 
but yeah, they have nothing really for him until August. Well, and that's not even that. Okay, so made it third is questionable. It's it not a result. Well, yeah, he worked. It says he got, he got beat by Adonis. Okay. But May 1st, he didn't show. April 30th, he didn't show. April 29th, he didn't show. He was April 28th. But you look at it, I mean, okay. Just to give you a glance of, of what, okay. So I'm, I'm working backwards here. So April 28th, he worked in Portland. April 27th, he was in Omaha. Ooh. April 26th, he, he was in Detroit. Uh, we don't have anything for the 23rd to the 25th because some of these shows don't have results. Uh, April 22nd, he was at the, the Garden. Uh, April 21st, he was at Poughkeepsie. April 20th in Landover. April 19th in Hartford. Of course, then the WrestleMania break. He worked WrestleMania. Then he worked uh, Etobicoke, Ontario. I know I'm fucked that up. Etobicoke. <laughs> Etobicoke. There you go. April 1st, then he worked uh, Poughkeepsie on the 31st, Philly on the 30th, I mean, Brantford on the 24th, Richfield, Ohio, 23rd. Uh, uh, How about this of, uh, all right, so this is in a row, a little stretch here. He worked San Diego on the 21st, Phoenix the 22nd, Richfield on the 23rd, Brantford, Ontario on the 24th. So, I mean, it's stuff like that that was tiring him out. He's no showing dates here in March being (laughs) subbed. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that shit was fucking grueling, and and he just he couldn't take it. I mean, and he wasn't being pushed per se. He comes back in August. That's when he makes his return. He so he was gone for four months. So is it safe to say, Bix, that do we think he quit and he asked to be hired back or did he just want to ask for time off or what do you think really is the story here? I'm guessing something like what's here is true. You know, it's the 1986 Observer, so you got to hedge it a little bit. But uh, obviously he's gone. I don't think he got hurt again, did he? No. And also, just to refresh my memory, I was digging through uh, search results on one file. Uh, the Coliseum video job doesn't happen until 91. But he does all kinds of different things before then, though. He, I mean, he becomes the MSG announcer, you know, uh, in, in the late 80s, early 90s with Gorilla. Yes. Where he's with him just about every MSG show. And he does other things, too. He's a goodwill ambassador. He wrestles, you know, off and on for a long time, too. But the thing is, O'Connor is, all right, so... Cousin Junior, long gone by this point in time. Uncle Elmer, Memphis. Hillbilly Jim, he's now gone. That left Cousin Luke as the only hillbilly <laughs> left. <laughs> Slim pickings, indeed. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, whew, 70 straight nights. That's uh, It's got to add, add up to at least 140 bumps for the hillbilly, I think. <laughs> How many cartwheels, though? 70. (laughs) Hard on the wrist, but... uh, I mean, my my enduring memory of Hillbilly Jim uh, happened about a year later at Maple Leaf Gardens, uh, summer of 87. Uh, I believe it was on the show where the Dingo Warrior uh, made his Toronto debut. 
And we, we got Mr. T appearing as a special guest referee. But uh, the match was uh, Jim working King Kong Bundy. And uh, I remember this vividly. Uh, Jim took a beal out of the corner, uh, the landing of which sounded something like a, well, let's say three uh, 10-pound bags of manure falling out the back of a pickup truck in quick succession, <laughs> uh, to, to which he exclaimed, fuck, very loudly, uh, much to the enjoyment of every prepubescent boy in the building, myself included. <laughs> Wow, yeah. that, was, well, that, that was, was a year later. So uh, no, no uh, wonder he quit. Well, they said sometimes he worked like a sack of shit. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so for what it's worth, I pulled up this interview that he gave to Video Business in 2000, and the uh, prologue before the interview says this, which might as well read this here. While he wrestled, Hillbilly Jim also established himself as one of the most trade-accessible stars for the WWF, appearing frequently at in-store events as well as the annual VSDA convention and East Coast video show. In the early 90s, Hillbilly started to suffer neck pains that eventually made him unable to wrestle, but he wanted to stay as part of the sport. He joined then-WWF distributor Coliseum Video as a sales representative for the Southeast region in 1991. There you go. Well, he's, what a nice guy, though. Yeah, oh, everybody loves him. Perfect. Yes. Yeah, well, our our late friend uh, from High Spots, uh, Mark Hitchcock. Yes. Of course, the uh, the Super Show every year is uh, in Mark's memory. Uh, what a great guy! But uh, he was uh, very enamored of uh, Hillbilly Jim after meeting him at a WrestleCon. I think it was uh, the first time Mark had ever met a wrestler as genuinely friendly as himself. So he just uh, gushed about what a great guy Hillbilly Jim was to the point where we. Uh, ribbed him mercilessly about it. <laughs> Kindred spirits, so to speak. Yes. There you go. All right. If you want to know one of the, speaking of Hillbilly Jim, if you were the one of the reasons why WF has remained so strong is that they've recently put forth major displays at conventions attended by arena managers and another by TV advertising its acts. While everyone else is running around trying to draw fans, they are appealing to the people who really make the decisions on which you'll have the chance to see. Exactly. This I mean, is where they're way ahead of the game. Exactly. Yes. This is why this is one reason why they they're still around is in this era, while the old school wrestling promoters are still trying to be old school wrestling promoters, they're next level. Mm-hmm. You know, they know who degrees, whose palms degrees. And it still works out today. <laughs> yes. Stories out today. Look at all the shit. I mean, look at the shit we just we just happened. Look at Vince. You know all the shit that's going on with him. He shows up on SmackDown and they do their highest rating since 2020 because people tuned in to see it. So, you know, I know well, here's the big big included was questioning Fox putting him on the well, air. No, 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 no. Well, no, no, no. Remember though, <laughs> when I was questioning it. We had the report from CNBC that he'd be addressing the allegations in character as Mr. McMath. Well, that's kind of what was put put out there by them in a way, too, so to speak. Not in direct terms, but still. And then he goes out there and does what he does. But still, I mean, they weren't. Yeah, they're going to want him on TV because that's ratings. It's ratings. And that's what matters to them. They don't give a fuck. (laughs) So... Yeah, as long as as long as they keep their TV partners happy, you know, unless something happens where he's removed, which who, 
that might never happen. But because if he's removed, quote unquote, he'll always have a say in what goes on. Um, you know, I mean, they're going to be happy as long as they're doing as long as they do business. Yeah. And as you far know? as, you know, the corporate reach at the time, like we normally just think of like your main things, you know, the magazine, the home videos and the, and the dolls and stuff. But. We need to remember it was a lot bigger than that. And I pulled up just now an article from uh, the September 1985 issue of the trade uh, magazine Chain Store Age, where, you know, they talk about the growing popularity and blah, blah, blah. And then there's this. Uh, So given that popularity, all these wrestlers need now, you must be thinking, is their own cartoon show, a licensing agent, and a host of vendors clamoring to put their faces on everything from party goods to board games? Have we got news for you? The World Wrestling Federation, home of such stars as Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant, Junkyard Dog, and Rowdy Roddy Piper, is so hot that Teak Enterprises has created a Saturday morning television program and began, begun signing up licensees to capitalize on all the hoopla. To date, so this is specifically for the cartoon, this part, but... To date, Deke has inked about 40 vendors, including such major major manufacturers as Coleco, Milton Bradley, and Anchor. Is that Anchor Hawking or Anchor Hooking? But then it talks about LJN and the license, um, which they mentioned the LJN deal, or at least they started going after licensing rights, was all the way back in May 84, before the company even had a full-on licensing program. Yeah. So... But yeah, remember the board game, the like party birthday party I, supplies. Um, oh, and here we go. As far as direct WWF licensees, it says by midsummer of '85. So uh, you know, almost a year before where we are here, the list of licensees included Coleco, Milton Bradley, Anchor Hawking, Bantam Books, Thermos, Viewmaster, Western Publishing. You know, they had a lot of like, oh, that momentum. book fairs when it, it, when I, we had book fairs at school. There were always like WF books there, always. Oh, yeah. I remember buying them. I bought, I bought them. <laughs> yes. Yeah. WF uh, stickers, stuff like that. I mean, oh, we have that stuff was was hot. We have a quote from uh, a product manager for one of the licensees. When someone in my company came to me with this, I said, "No way." Then I started doing some research and paying attention to what my family was telling me about wrestling. When that same person came back and said, we've got to do this, I was ready. And, yeah, they talk about Milton Bradley at the board game and the jigsaw puzzles. Uh, Add that, too? Yeah. I had the board game, I had the jigsaw puzzle. I had all that. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I was hook, line, and sinker on that stuff. And also I to get an a, idea. Uh, oh, go ahead. had a powder blue uh, rockin' wrestling lunchbox. I had, that, I had that, too, with the Hulk Hogan thermos. <laughs> I never had, uh, well, yes. Fix, Fix loves the Hulk Hogan thermos. <laughs> I don't want to be Taren, Taren Bostick's thermos. Well, I never had that one. I did have a friend that had, like, the airbrushed-looking WWF lunchbox from, 80, from the mid-'80s, though. Mm-hmm. Um, where was I with this? Uh, so, also, they quote one of the people at Coleco, the manager of licensor accounts, who also makes this point, which I think adds to the understanding of what the appeal is here for these companies. Professional wrestling is ongoing and the characters keep changing. This isn't like a movie where the public forgets about the main characters after the movie stops playing. We think this is an exciting property, which will be around for a long time. Um, Then also we have a director of merchandise at Spencer Gift saying, 
product is definitely moving. The hottest products for us so far have been t-shirts. The LJN figurines are good too. Posters are fair. This isn't going to be Cabbage Patch, but it could be important. Well, it definitely was a Cabbage Patch. Those, those people were, were maniacal. But, uh, <laughs> it had but more anyway. staying power than <laughs> Cabbage Patch kids. Yes. But, yes. I mean, they deserve more credit for this, honestly, because, like, really, like, that's where they're so far ahead of the game, is this licensing I tell you what and all was, that. The good thing about Cabbage Patch is be the only time I might have tell the story on the show. Uh, you know, the, the uh, home of the Cabbage Patch, the, the hospital, was in Cleveland, Georgia, which huh. is uh, not too far from Cornelia, home of NW Wildside. So we would, when I was a kid... Whenever we would go to uh, Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, when we came back, we would always stop through the Cabbage Patch Hospital. And I remember as a kid, you know, how they got to set up everything where you see these like little cabbage patches in the field. And then they would like pull out little, you know, cabbage patch dolls as babies and you could name them and stuff like that. There would be times there when you would see like guys there with no, just there alone. And even as a kid, I thought that was odd. <laughs> Why is this guy here when, with no family? Why is he here by himself? I always thought that was just an odd deal. <laughs> Wait, are we thinking doll collector or pervert? Oh, I don't know. Uh, maybe both. Yeah. I don't know. But it just felt odd at the time. But yeah. yeah. That, I, oh. that, that was quite the experience going to the Cabbage Patch Hospital. Yeah. Back there. So also for 85, I'm looking at an article in uh, Playthings the toy trade magazine. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's not, that's not so like a toy trade magazine. <laughs> um, so the top selling uh, toys included mask, Voltron, there's a for 85 Dinobots. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, excuse me. That's, that's my Transformers. Uh, Masters of the universe, including She-Ra, Tonka pound puppies, Hasbro's my little pony, GI Joe and LJN's WWF superstars. Mm-hmm. That's my childhood. All right, well, let's get back here. Um, they'll be running another Saturday's main event shortly, and Dave was told they were going to tape on June 27th in Boston. But that's all died down. They're going to do it later. The last few weeks have just amplified the trend in attendance for WF, as in most cities they regularly go to, they are drawing record lows. In the cities they rarely go to, but are going into more frequently from this point on, Dave bets, they're just doing fine. Whenever Hulk Hogan's on the card, they draw great, but it's obvious that Titan's afraid of burning Hulk out, so they won't use him frequently, and Hulk himself apparently would just as soon stay home as much as possible. With him doing the booking, Dave bets we don't see him more than once or twice a week and only in the major cities, which in truth isn't much of a bad policy for someone billed as the world champion. Well, I mean, this is the thing is some of these places that they were going to, and we're now two full years into the expansion, basically. Um, they 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 were going into way too much. St. Louis is one of them. Uh, Twin Cities is one of them. They're there every month, and I know these places were places that used to be weekly. But you know, if if Hogan's going there all the time, then what's so special about Hogan going there? Right. I mean, it, 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 at this point in time, it's definitely the safe thing to do is to have Hogan show up in, in these major markets every other show maybe at, at the very at the very least maybe even every 
two shows and get him into more different places where, you know, more people could see him in different parts of the country. And you could draw houses, you know, in these places. Because, I mean, think about it. Okay. If you go to a major market, a top market, and you're drawing 5,000 fans, you may go to a mid-level market and run their big building and draw double that. You know, money's money, no matter where it's at. So if you're able to draw 10,000 fans in a 30 or 40s market and you're drawing 5,000 fans in a top 10 market, then shit, give me that 10,000 in the 30 and 40s. You know what I'm saying? Because like I said, money is money, no matter how you look at it. I mean, it's all green. So I understand uh, the strategy. Not in Canada, but. <laughs> well, in America. I understand your point. <laughs> in America, it is, yes. We, 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 you know, we don't have the Trudeau. And this would have been Trudeau dollars back then, too, right? Was it Pierre, the prime minister? <laughs> um, in the he, I, 86, he would have been out of office. He was oh, okay. uh, early 80s, was his uh, last term. Would have been uh, Brian Mulrooney. Oh, yes, Brian Mulrooney, right, yes. Conservative friend of Ronald Reagan, yes. Right, yes, I remember him well. So, yeah, I get it. I get it. So, um, and Hogan's been champion for, for two and a half years now. So, I wouldn't say he's, he's, gonna get, he's getting stale, but at this point in time, they have it, they're doing the Orndorff turn. The Orndorff turn definitely picks business up majorly. That and Kamala coming in, you know, really become two majorly successful programs. But you look here at this point in time, 86, and Hogan doesn't have anything with meat on the bone. So that, you know, it's another thing that's going into it as well. So, Oh, by the way, I was trying to find this. There's a UPI Wire article in October 86 that talks about licensing and wrestling and stuff. But it goes it to illustrate how much... Uh, LJN was boosted by the WWF line. How much do you think their revenue increased uh, year over year from Q285 to Q286? No idea. 600%. Hmm. From uh, 8.3 million to 55.7, and their operating income went from 7.8 million, excuse me, went to 7.8 million from 101,000. <laughs> yeah. They're ahead of the game, brother. Yeah. All right, let's talk about some house shows. Meadowlands, June twenty second, East Rutherford, New Jersey, in front of twelve thousand three hundred one. So about two thirds of a house. That's Jim Neidhart beat Jose Luis Rivera. Brutus beat Kate and Great Valentine over Siva Afi and Tony Atlas. Harley Race went to Double DQ with King Tonga. King Kong Bundy over Corporal Kirshner. So we have title match. Uh, heavyweight title is Adrian Adonis beat Hulk Hogan by disqualification. Hogan retained. Dog collar match. JYD over Dory Fun Jr. And the British Bulldogs retained the tag titles, beating Sheik and Volkov. Cow Palace in San Francisco on June 26th in front of 4,500 fans. That ain't good. We don't have the uh, some of the results but for the opening matches. We got Rene Goulet against George Wells. Killer Bees against Iron Mike Sharp and Alexi Smirnoff. Bob Orton Jr. against Siva Afi. Magnificent Morocco against Lanny Poffo. Big John Studd against Cousin Luke. <laughs> A Matt classic right there, <laughs> folks. Then we got uh, Macho defending Nice Italian against Tito Santana. Orndorff over Bundy by DQ. And Bulldogs retain the tag titles in a steel cage match over 
Brutus and Greg, Dream Team. Then we got the Boston Guard on the 27th in front of 17, oh, excuse me, 14,348 announced. Uh, King Tonga over the Duke of Dorchester, Pete Doherty. Might return to Danny Spivey over Les Thornton and Tiger Chung Lee. Pedro Morales over Moondog Spark. Harley Race over Tony Atlas. Bundy over JYD by DQ. Jake the Snake over Steamboat by Countout. Billy Jack Haynes over Moondog Rex. And then uh, we got a Hogan over Savage in a WWE title match. And then Orndorff over Morocco by referee decision. Then and we I'm got... About, uh, go noted here that uh, the Billy Jack Haynes Moondog <laughs> Rex match uh, made the... <laughs> Best of the WWF Volume Eight. <laughs> yes, it did. Not, not, nothing says uh, best of the WWF like Billy Jack Haynes versus Moondog Rex. I I actually looked up uh, the complete match listing for this volume, which I yes. no doubt rented from a Jumbo Video at some point as a child. But uh, so some of the other barn burners on this compilation <laughs> included. Jimmy Jack Funk versus Tony Gurria. <laughs> Ted Arcidi versus Terry Gibbs. Oh, oh and yes. Hercules Hernandez versus Cousin Luke. <laughs> Definitely the best of the WWF. Yeah. yeah. Well, ho- hopefully, uh, Coliseum Video curated their porn releases with more care than this. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty sad. <laughs> And you know I'm, how how much would that tape have cost back then? 40, 40, 40 to 50 buy. Bucks. Yeah, 40 yeah. 50 bucks to buy. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, those are, there were some very questionable matches on some of those tapes <laughs> in that era. Good Lord. Because they kind of, you know, the early versions, they were, sh- you know, show more matches from the early 80s. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and you know, when you get to the mid to late 80s, it's more contemporary. Well, in fairness, even though this is not a good lineup for the most part, this is the tape that has the newcomers theme for a big part of it. Oh, okay. Well, the newcomers were shit. <laughs> they were the shits. Now, wait, did Evart Enterprises also to, uh, distribute other releases named newcomers? <laughs> <laughs> they did do uh, Smack em, Whack em. <laughs> Spectrum, June 28, 17,109. So good house there. As we have Brickhouse Brown, something for Davis San Martino beating Moondog Rex. Rotunda Spivey over Hercules Hernandez and Tiger Chung Lee. Adrian Adonis over Tito. Billy Jack Haynes over Moondog Spot. JYD over Morocco by DQ. Hogan retained the title over Bundy by DQ. See, Hogan's wrestling all kinds of motherfuckers at this point. Uh, Harley Race over George Wells. King Tong over Les Thornton, subbing for Big John Stud. And then Orndorff over Savage by Countdown. Nice title match. That's another rare deal. And then also that same day in Denver, in front of 1,500 paid at McNichols Arena. That is not good. You had a boot camp match. Corporal Kershaw against Nikolai Volkov, Jake against Steamboat, and Bulldogs against Dream Team in a steel cage. I'm guessing that Zane Breslov is brought on shortly thereafter. Uh, possibly, yes. Well, I mean, that's just, woof. That's brutal. Or would he have been by then? Because you would think Denver would do better if he was around. Well, Denver's another, another, 
I, there was a time there in 85, and I know one month they put the Denver twice in a month. Well, on that note, let's go to the next item. Yes. Back to this. If you're wondering why there is a six-week time span between shows in Toronto on June 15th to July 27th, it's because they feel like they've been running there too often and the attendance is dropping. Ding, ding. Just that simple. You know, I mean, and O'Connor, you, I mean, you're a kid in the Toronto area at this time. I mean, they were running, but there, Brantford, you know, other assorted places, Hamilton, wherever, you know, mm-hmm. they're running at that general area so much. And I mean, it's a hot market, but you can only do that for so long before you burn it out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this was the first year that uh, I got into wrestling and started going to shows. So, uh, I mean, I I was of the mindset: the more, the better. Not that we went to every show, uh, but uh, but yeah. I mean, I definitely remember the shows that. Had Hogan on the card, uh, definite uh, increase in attendance, uh, definitely uh, a little livelier. But uh, yeah, it was just it, it was a lot. It was uh, a lot of uh, Billy Billy Red Lions on TV uh, urging us, to, "Don't you dare miss it." <laughs> yes, Billy Red doing his uh, version of Freddie Miller. <laughs> be there but yeah I mean it's just it's a lot it's a lot and yeah they, they need time to slow it down time to try to venture to more different places and that's what mm-hmm. they try to do here like we talked about earlier let's venture out let's try to expand the brand alright I love this next story the original idea for Harley Race was is the gimmick that they gave Jesse Barr as Jimmy Jack Funk. Race was to wear a Lone Ranger type mask while carrying a noose and be called Hangman Harley Race. He declined to do it, so instead, after much debate, he decided to dye his hair and became Handsome Harley Race again. <laughs> O'Connor, could you imagine that? Could you imagine Harley Race <laughs> with the Lone Ranger mask with a noose? I mean. There's an alternate reality in which uh, it was Harley Ray sticking his finger up Matilda's ass instead of uh, <laughs> Jesse Barr. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's... Oh, boy. That, it would have been sad, I have to say. But uh, pre- presumably Harley passed on the gimmick in deference to his uh, fellow Cauliflower Alley alumnus, Bruce Pobans. <laughs> yeah. Um, it makes you wonder what Jesse Barr, I mean, how would they have done him then if he, if Harley would have made that decision, take that gimmick on? I mean, what do you do? King Jesse Barr. King Jesse Barr. (laughs) Doesn't have quite the same ring to it, Vic. (laughs) Vic, I mean, what are your thoughts? How could you, I mean, could you imagine Harley doing something like this? Obviously Harley couldn't. No. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> it, this seems to me, it's them. This is their revenge on Harley. Yeah, you know, that's what this is. This is their revenge on Harley. You know, look at the times that you, you know, dicked us around. 
you trying to kill Hulk Hogan. We're threatening to kill Hulk Hogan. You know, you didn't do business with a Starcade 83. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's all this stuff. We're going to embarrass you. <laughs> and I guess they thought Diana's hair was also an embarrassment as well, but he had been blonde headed in the 60s and 70s. So that wasn't as big of an embarrassment to him, you know? Yeah. And then, and then you make him the king of wrestling and he, and, Look what he does with that gimmick. And pro- you know what? Harley Race, of all people, the guy who is the, you know, the NWA champion of our generation, basically, goes in there and takes that King gimmick and he plays the hell out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pro- I mean, I, I enjoyed Harley. I mean, I was a, a little kid. I didn't know any of the the backstory that he was this legendary former world champion great worker i mean he yeah i mean he he looked like an old guy he definitely uh definitely stood out on the uh 1986 wwf roster but no he was he was still great in the ring i loved his uh his slow motion bumps over the top rope to the floor he was the the first guy i ever saw go through a table Used to take backdrops on the ramp at Maple Leaf Gardens. I mean, yeah, he was great. Yeah. And as far as people aging differently, he's 43 here. Yeah. <laughs> well, Harley lived a little hard life. You know, all that yeah. travel and all the yeah. stuff he did. Yeah, he lived a hard life. He's like, how old is AJ Styles? I think older than that. <laughs> yeah, AJ's like forty-four. Okay. I think AJ AJ's like a year older than me, or maybe my age. So he's forty-three. AJ just turned forty-five. Okay, okay. so now I'll be I'll be forty-three this year. So That's what that good, clean Christian lifestyle does for you? <laughs> there you go. Yes. Well, Christian Cage isn't he like forty-eight now? Yeah. That's that's Canadian years, Bix. We, <laughs> we, we age differently. Well, Christian doesn't have some of the same procl- proclivities as a lot of Canadians do. Either. <laughs> no. Well, on that note, CM Punk uh, is turning 44 in October. <laughs> yeah, he's the exception to the rule on some of that. So. Well, he also, <laughs> took, he also took almost eight years off, too. Imagine yeah. a, a straight-edge Harley race. <laughs> oh, God. They were friends, though. <laughs> oh, yeah? yeah. Yes, which it, it leads to one of those weird wrestling stories where, like, the story, as I always heard it, was that there was some kind of Harley thing and a toast, and Punk drank milk at the toast, and that was the way I always heard it, and that Harley always liked Punk. And then one day, I remember, I think it was on the podcast or something, Bruce Pritchard's telling a story about how much he respected Punk because Punk went against his principles to drink alcohol to toast Harley. No, that's not the story. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Harley Race, tough bastard no matter what. Speaking of tough bastards, Bob Orton Jr. has had a ton of no-shows lately because he's been sent to Saudi Arabia for a tour and then Australia. They've had to keep on the country for several reasons, some of which are easy to figure out. <laughs> this, this is Sacramento, I presume, that he's talking yes. about? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, there aren't big gaps in his schedule, though. And, you know, Australia, we have results. Middle East, we don't. So I feel like there's something wrong here. Yeah, but he does a lot more international travel in this time period than any of the other ones that are, I don't want to say push guys, but guys who have a name. 
Right. The I mean, at this point, the Australian tours are B shows or worse. And the Middle Eastern tours had always been this weird outpost. So, yeah, I mean, there is that, you know, with old uh, funny man Bob Orvin. Or what is it that she calls him, Joan Rivers? At WrestleMania? Come, oh, God, now I'd have to, I'll have to look it up. But it's like, well, I mean, I've seen his name misspelled. <laughs> oh, Ace of, no, it's Ace of Comedy. Now I remember. It's because she can barely read the card, and she reads it as Ace of Comedy Bob Orvin instead of Ace <laughs> Cowboy Bob Orton. <laughs> the great Scorsese film, Ace of Comedy. <laughs> yeah, Bob Orton is just a bucket of laughs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure the uh, U.S. Embassy was on high alert with uh, Cowboy Bob in Saudi Arabia. If there's uh, two things they frown upon over there, it's alcohol and nudity. Which, uh, Bob was overly fond of both. Of course, uh, I mean, we all know the, the California story with uh, Orton and Piper running wild. Uh, Morocco, tranquilizer darling. Yeah. <laughs> and ending in a uh, a nude Orton being tasered by the police, but uh, there was there was also an incident uh, in the Calgary airport uh, involving Orton that landed him in hot water. I think uh, maybe maybe it was 1987, but uh, yes, ne- never a dull moment uh, with Cowboy Bob. <laughs> no, you see where you see where Randy uh, got a lot of his uh, instincts <laughs> from. <laughs> For what so is more, Lowen should have uh, investigated more to uh, Randy's background. <laughs> oh, there's someone who I wonder if she has an NDA. Anyway, um, <laughs> at least on History of WWE, if you search 1986 for sub for Bob Orton, within the results, there's only three. One is King of the Ring in July in Foxborough. One is Hartford in April, where Mr. X subs for him against Brian Blair. And the other is uh, Toronto, June 1st, where uh, Terry Gibbs subbed for him, teaming with Hercules against the Rougeos. So there's clearly something going on, but I don't know if it's accurate that he's doing the Middle Eastern tours necessarily. Well, there's a lot of that going on that we don't know about, so... But I'm saying because there's not a huge gap in the results is what I mean. We have a pr- fairly full schedule. And those Middle Eastern tours were long, usually. You know, that's why they generally had people who weren't really working the regular house shows at all. Yep, that's it. And uh, at the close, the reason why Adrian Adonis has been wrestling with a bail on is because he came out on the short end of a dressing room brawl with Danny Spivey and got punched out pretty bad. Spivey did it in front of most of the wrestlers. And it's one thing to note, too, that in that flower shop clip, Adonis is wearing sunglasses. Yes. Hmm. Have we, we played the story before on the show, haven't we, Bix? I think we played the Spivey shoot interview version, yes. And notable about that story, it happened in Toronto. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know if we've had you on to talk about this in general, but uh, yeah, this is one of the more famous uh, shoot interview stories. Spivey yes, on, yes. telling the story on RF shoot, shoot interview. Yeah, well, watch the left, Adrian. <laughs> it was uh, the hardest Adrian had ever been hit, uh, at least until the Canadian moose got him two years later. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> 
I mean, I remember the the Maple Leaf Gardens match between uh, Adrian and Spivey. It aired on uh, Maple Leaf Wrestling here in Canada. Uh, I think it was on primetime in the U.S. But uh, no, I mean, I actually remember the match itself was quite good. You had uh, Adrian uh, bumping like a madman. There were no obvious signs of discord uh, between the two. But uh, yeah, I mean, Adrian uh, could definitely be a dick by all accounts. Um, and Dan Spivey, obviously, at the time was uh, rather green. So I could see... Uh, Perhaps him not having much uh, patience with young Dan, but uh, I think it was um, just talking about this on Twitter. I think it was the previous year when uh, Adrian roughed up Billy Anderson uh, at the L.A. Sports Arena, which was later immortalized uh, in an issue of the Love and Rockets comic book series. Oh, Uh, yeah, I brought this up on Twitter a couple months back. Uh, Somebody posted the comic. Because uh, Dave had referenced it uh, in the newsletter. I think it was a note about uh, Billy Anderson. I think he's having some health issues. But uh, Dave mentioned it. Dave said it was uh, Mad Magazine, but I guess it was actually uh, Love and Rockets, the comic. But uh, yeah, someone someone posted it on Twitter. I'm sure you can find it uh, easily enough. But uh, it uh, also depicted Adrian snorting imaginary lines of coke off the top rope, as he was uh, prone to do on occasion. Yeah. Okay, then. Um, I pulled up the ProWrestlingStories.com article about this. Uh, they quote an interview that Orton did with Hannibal about the fight. He says, it was actually a misunderstanding in the ring. Adrian said something to the referee, and Dan thought he was talking to him. So Dan popped him. The problem was when we were in the back, Adrian said, I'm going to go and you know, find him and fight him. I said, why not? Why don't? And he said, come on. I said, Adrian, I don't want any part of this because I like both you guys. What happened out there, you just need to talk to Danny. But no, he's going to find Danny. Danny's one tough son of a bitch. Uh, he's one of them Tampa boys. Adrian went back there and I ended up taking him to the hospital. I believe Danny was wrong in the ring, but what happened in the back, Danny had to protect himself. So, you know, shit happens, but none of it was necessary. 99 times, 99 out of 100 times when stuff like that happens, it wasn't necessary. When Bob Morton says you're tough. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're di- tough. Di- dynamite kid, too. He always put over uh, Dan Spivey as one of the, the toughest wrestlers he'd ever been around. You mean hard man. And- Yes, very hard. <laughs> and you know, and the thing is, is that you know we talk about the Tampa pipeline further. That there's a the Tampa pipeline of tough guys. Yeah, I mean there's a, I mean, good lord, I mean there's there's a thing to that. A lot of dudes from Tampa, you didn't want to fuck with in any way or means. Hogan <laughs> yeah. didn't get none of that. He got the other way, but. uh yeah. Good uh, lord. Um, also, just to close the loop on Cowboy Bob, I did pull up Brett's book. Just as a reminder for what happened in California that caused his issues, this says it was Fresno, but February 12th. Cowboy Bob had overdone it again. This is at the Holiday Inn. Uh, but had made <laughs> <Again>. it sa- <laughs> safely back to his room. Then he made the mistake of getting up for a piss call, accidentally opening the door onto the hall, which overlooked a central atrium. 
He heard a commotion six floors down in the main lobby, so he leaned over the railing naked with one leg stuck behind him to hold the door open. But his toe slipped and the door clicked shut. In the lobby, Piper and Morocco were in the process of being arrested by a bunch of pissed-off Fresno cops after a high-speed chase that ended in a pulled-over rental car. That's when Cowboy Bob decided to march out of the elevator buck-naked, hollering drunken epithets in his deep nasal whine. The cops couldn't believe their eyes. Don and Roddy stood frozen. Soon Bob was throwing wild punches. The cops shot him with tranquilizer darts that he looked at, pulled out, and then laughed at, saying, Is that all you got? That little scene made the newspapers. <laughs> oh my goodness, yeah. Tough son of a bitch. There you go. But, uh, yeah, um, if you haven't, like I said before, you know, in this show, if you have not seen the Dance Bobby Shooter interviews, any of them, watch them. They're very entertaining <laughs> for various reasons. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't lying, folks, when I said that uh, <laughs> this was going to be one of the shortest Japanese sections ever. It is. One result. <laughs> and I mean, one result from one show. That's it. As, uh, Let's go international now and begin with All Japan Women. And they ran a show at Cork and Hall where we only have one match result for, period. As uh, the, they had the finale of the Japan Grand Prix Tournament as Yukari Mori defeated Chigusa Nagayo in the finals. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Because the Japanese tours both had ended uh, before our week. So they're, they're on break. And um, there's nothing going on. Again, when you're on it's on point in time, you only have two promotions and the women's promotion. That's it. It's kind of uh, limited to talk about when there's when both promotions are off on tour. Yeah, so there you go. don't got any UWF or anything at this point. So nope, nope, nope. This, slim slim pickings indeed, as we talked about earlier. Yes, and I don't remember if I've seen this match. I feel like I must have because I feel like this must have been on one of the Meltzer Japan comps that I got from a certain friend of ours back in the day. But I don't remember this one specifically. It's on both YouTube and Daily Motion, though. Yeah, so go check that out. All right, now let's go to England. We just have England here. All Star Wrestling at Burslem Stuck on Trent at the National Garden Festival on June 28th. We have Pat Barrett over David Taylor, Tick Cullen over Johnny Saint, Jim Brakes over Max Hunter, and Johnny Kidd over Blondie Barrett. So we got some uh, Stampede alumni on this show, Connor. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Chick Cullen was, of course, uh, Robbie Stewart in Stampede Wrestling, a Scottish wrestler who wound up settling in Calgary, trained a few local wrestlers over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I actually attended uh, what I believe was an all-star show uh, in England in... Must have been 1987, 88, but it was at uh, Fairfield Hall in Croydon. Croydon, yes. yes yeah, yes. which was near uh, where my mom grew up. And uh, yeah, we visited a few times when I was young. And yeah, when I got into wrestling, uh, I mean, I had a vague idea that there was wrestling in the UK through the magazine. So uh we uh, found out about this show in Croydon. I wish I remembered exactly who was on the show, but I had uh, no concept of British wrestling at the time. So Do you everyone know what, was to me. When it was exactly in 87? Uh, I 
it was summer just because uh, we always went in the summer. Gotcha. Probably, okay. that, that's probably Wolverine. when your that's probably when Yamada was in Calgary. It <laughs> probably was, yeah. Yeah, because he was at Calgary in the summer of 87. Then well, went, then went oh, back over. I know uh, Kendo Nagasaki was on the show. Yes, the original. That, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I, was, I was very confused as to why he was no longer <laughs> a balding Japanese man. But, yes, uh, I'm sure you were. <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah, that's probably the only name I can remember, like off the top of my head i mean it was probably a lot of the same crew but i uh, just yeah i didn't didn't know anyone but it was uh was a cool venue it was a, a cool experience and a different style for sure so yeah but that must have been cool to go to england you know uh as a kid and stuff like that yeah that sounds cool all right, well, let's go. Let's stay in the Commonwealth as we go to Canada. And uh, let's go to Montreal, June 22nd, at the Paul Sauvé Center. We have uh, Tom Zink over a spoiler. Not the spoiler, Don Jardine, but a spoiler. Bob Delacera went to a Thailand draw with Dan Crawford, Philip Hahn. Alofa Fatu over Sheik Ali, Stephen Pettipa. The Law Riders, Wamble Irwin and Scott Irwin over Gino Brito Jr. and Ron Ritchie. Steve Strong, a.k.a. Steve DeSalvo, over Rip Martell by disqualification. And our main event, Gino Bravo over Man Mountain Moore, Mike Moore, a.k.a. the Motor <laughs> City Man Man. Ooh. Montreal Wrestling, 1986, O'Connor. Uh, a, a fun time because they, I mean, look, Television's online or some of this stuff, and uh, they got some pretty good names coming in and out there working some shots. So this is one of the better times of Montreal wrestling. Yeah, for sure. A lot of the the bigger names uh, hadn't left yet, like uh, Dino Bravo. Um, and yeah, as I've mentioned before, uh, we got the TV in Toronto on uh, City TV. And, That's what's uh, online is uh, stuff from CDTV. Yeah, yeah. I think it was, uh, uh, I want to say it was uh, 4 p.m. Saturday afternoon, something like that. Sounds but right. uh, it's very, very exciting to see uh, non-WWF wrestling on television. And uh, yeah, I got a few uh, few observations. It's uh, interesting to see Ron Ritchie here, who was... Primarily a Western Canadian guy, but he, he worked all over the place, worked in the U.S. Um, actually, the, I swear, the, the first time I ever met uh, Ron Ritchie in person, I thought he was a dead ringer for Jello Biafra of the Dead Kennedys. <laughs> so I, when I, well, I look at photos now, I don't see it as much, but uh, I digress. But yeah, you mentioned uh, Alofa. The, uh, the Polynesian Prince, who was the future Fatu, later Rikishi. And uh, believe it or not, uh, he was pushed as an athletic young babyface heartthrob at the time. Well, he was. He was yeah. uh, he like Tonga Kid, which that same type of push, yes. Yeah, he's be a, a blowjob in the parlance of uh, Jerry Jarrett. <laughs> yes. Always, <laughs> he wore the flashy silk robes. The girls would shriek for him. Uh, of course, he was great in the ring, as always. He did the big uh, 
Superfly Splash and everything. Um, the other one, of course, that jumps out at me, a Man Mountain Moor out of Detroit, the future Motor City Madman. Mm-hmm. Uh, think on the 1987 episode you did a couple weeks ago. <laughs> yes. He was, uh, he was working as Jason the Terrible. <laughs> he was uh, terrible, he, all right. Yeah, he was easily the worst of the, the three Jasons, <laughs> if we're being frank. Uh, but yeah, here he was still working under his own name, uh, represented by his, quote, sports agent, yes. pretty boy Floyd Creechman. Le- Bix's favorite, yes. He, Bix yes. loves him when we play Leslie Floyd Creechman. Yes, he, he wore the big uh, furry boots like a second-rate Nord the Barbarian, which I guess that would make him a third-rate Bruiser Brody. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, Dino, Dino Bravo in the main event, I believe... Uh, this was after Dino returned from a burst appendix, which they really played up on TV. Of course, uh, it, it would burst again in 1993, along with uh, <laughs> several other internal organs. But uh, in, in 1986, uh, it was an excuse for a great training montage music video that aired on television. It was uh, Bravo and Rick Martel... Uh, cycling through the streets of Montreal. Oh, yes. Yeah, lifting yes. weights, working out in the ring. Uh, to the, what was the song? It was, well, I think it, there were a couple. It was a long montage, but the one I remember was uh, James Brown's Living in America. <laughs> <laughs> it made, made very little sense at the time. I guess by the end of the year, they would be uh, living in America. But... Uh, <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, you also look at this show. This is the time period where Scott Irwin's in shaved his head for brain cancer. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember reading that. Uh, He's working while going through chemotherapy. Because mm-hmm. Dave talks about that in The Observer after our week, where he's talking about Scott Irwin. Uh, and, it's, and you watch it and like, wow. Have you seen this stuff, Fix, where he's working with the bald head? maybe yeah no knowing that this guy is still working as a rest active wrestler while undergoing chemotherapy mm-hmm. for brain cancer jesus christ what i mean that, that's a tough motherfucker right there to be able to do that because i mean my brother has a good uh, still has undergone chemotherapy for over 70 times for his cancer mm-hmm. and i know what it does to him you know with uh after he has his chemo, I know it's it's pretty tough. This mm-hmm. dude's I, this dude's in here wrestling. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah I can't imagine. Yeah, so uh, wow, Scott Irwin, yeah, tough dude, man. Left the world way too soon. Mm-hmm. But yep, Montreal, interesting crew there. Stampede wrestling. We got a couple shows to talk about here in uh, O'Connor's future homeland of uh, Calgary. As we go to the Victoria Pavilion in Calgary on June 27th, we have the great Gama, Gama Singh over Bill Cody, Dan Crawford, the original Dan Crawford, not Phil LaFon, over Mike Hammer, Johnny Smith over Chick Scott, Ben Bassarab over Vladimir Krupoff by Countout, Karen Brown and Duke Myers over Mr. Hito and Prince Molly. <laughs> he went around long. Bad News Allen over Hockey Tonk Wayne Ferris by disqualification. And then Dan Crawford won a battle royal. Then we fast forward to Edmonton, 
the next night. We have George Skolin over Bill Cody. BJ Annis went to a draw with Chick Scott, Teddy's dad. Mr. Hito over Vladimir Krupov by disqualification. Gama Singh over Prince Moses Molly, a full name here. Carrie Brown Duke Myers over Keith Hart and Johnny Smith. And then the original Dan Crawford over Honky Tonk Wayne Ferris by disqualification. I'm glad the second set of results had him listed as with his full name as Prince Moses Molly. Otherwise, I'd maybe make an actionable joke over what name wrestler should be nicknamed Prince Molly right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> make your own jokes today, I guess. Uh, all right, O'Connor, this is an instant era stampede wrestling. <laughs> yes, and I... Uh, for the record, I have no idea who the fuck uh, Prince Moses Molly was, but it, it would seem to have Bruce Hart's fingerprints all over it. Yes, and uh, also this is an era where there's very little video around of the TV for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not the most exciting uh, stampede lineups you'll ever see, but a uh, few interesting names as always. Uh, I've always been fascinated uh, by the late Mike Hammer, uh, A.K.A. Wayne St. Wayne, uh, who, <laughs> who uh, once dropped acid and hired a prostitute to whip him and burn his back with lit cigarettes before <laughs> showing Regina. <laughs> what a great story that is. <laughs> he later settled in St. Louis, I believe, became yes. a, uh, a beloved local artist. Uh, uh, of course, uh, B.J. Annis, uh, the... Uh, Father of Teddy Hart, uh, longtime proprietor proprietor of BJ's Gym in downtown Calgary, uh, where all the wrestlers worked out. Uh, if you were looking to procure steroids in 1980s Calgary, uh, B- <laughs> BJ's was probably your best bet by all accounts. Um, apparently, a lot of Calgary police officers uh, purchased steroids there. It was within walking distance of police headquarters, city hall. Um, yeah, BJ himself uh, was not much of a worker, but I was in great shape. He was a bodybuilder. He worked as a fireman at one point. Uh, he was originally from Boston. Um, wound up, of course, marrying uh, Georgia Hart. And yeah, he's just, he's really a straight laced, clean cut guy. Uh, if you met him, you'd think he was Lance Storm's dad, not uh, Teddy Hart's dad. <laughs> so Teddy obviously got all his insanity from the Hart side of the family. Yeah, I believe so, yeah. Well, yeah. I, 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 Smith. I, he, he's, he's taken from Smith. Yeah, I think so, yes. I mean, who knows? Like, growing up, uh, I mean, he grew up literally uh, living in BJ's gym uh, for a time, and it was was in a rather rough uh, part of Calgary at the time. He had a prostitute stroll there. I know he's uh, told stories about shooting hockey pucks at the prostitutes uh, wintertime. Um, I can only imagine the the colorful characters that uh, he must have encountered at uh, BJ's gym. But, uh, yeah, there's... uh, what else? D- D- Vladimir Krupov. He was uh, a guy from Toronto doing a shitty Russian gimmick. A lot of shitty uh, Russian gimmicks in this area. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, Chick Scott uh, was a British wrestler. 
who was managed by J.R. Foley. And at one point they had a matching Hitler mustaches because uh, <laughs> oh, why not? <laughs> yeah. Um, the original Dan Crawford. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, we we talk about Phil Lafon as Dan Crawford. You know, this and other. I got to watch, you know, a lot of Stampede from this era not that long ago, and uh, Dan Crawford, who was gone for a while from wrestling, shows back up again, and I watch this guy like, man, this guy's fucking good. You know, yeah. I wish we, he was around more. I mean, cut good promos. Mm-hmm. I, I I dug Dan Crawford. Yeah, I think he's. Uh... A guy who gets overlooked, I mean, probably in part because Phil LaFon uh, took his name. And I think still to this day, there's a lot of confusion. Uh, people see Dan Crawford in the results and uh, think it's Phil LaFon. I mean, obviously, Phil thought uh, very highly of him to to take his name like that. Um, but yeah, he's he's a guy who was over really big here. Uh, but yeah, he got out of wrestling fairly early. Uh, I think was it he was in uh, the first ever ladder match, I believe. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, he got out of wrestling pretty early. Uh, started a a successful car dealership just outside of Calgary. Uh, you still see his name. He does a lot of charity stuff. A prominent uh, local businessman, by all accounts, a really nice guy. I think he at actually at one point um he was a prison guard and there was some famous uh prison riot where I want to say he was shot or stabbed or he, he was taken hostage and uh yeah it was it was quite a famous story I can't remember the the timeline of this but uh yeah very very interesting character absolutely Bix, any uh, thoughts on these uh, lineups here? You think catch your eye? Not a tad. I will add, as far as the ladder match thing, if I remember right from Heath McCoy's book, the way Crawford explained it to him was that it was he was feuding with Torquemada, and they were battling over money and stuff. And he, I think he was also the booker at the time, Crawford. And his idea was, okay, I'll, you know, as the babyface, I will exploit uh, Torquemada's greed to get him in the match, and we'll do this ladder match with the money hung above the ring and blah, blah, blah. And that was the idea. And if you've ever seen the video that's available, some of the earlier Stampede ladder matches, <laughs> they do not look like your modern ladder matches because uh, <laughs> no. the, at least the really early one or two we have, they're not it, using... Definitely no Young Bucks Lucha Brothers. <laughs> no, that's not even what I'm talking about. They're not using no a folding ladder. Off the ladder. No, it's not even a folding ladder. It's like a... It's a wood ladder. Yeah, it's a yeah, wooden ladder a wooden leaned ladder. against, like, a beam in the rafters of the pavilion. <laughs> Probably from Stu's backyard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Bad News and, and Wayne Ferris is, like, the main feud at this point in yeah. time as well. <laughs> yeah. So there's that. Uh... Talk about uh, oil and water there. <laughs> yes. All right, let's go to Western Canada now as we go to uh, British Columbia and Al Tomko's promotion. They ran Cloverdale, Surrey, British Columbia at the Alice McKay building on June 28th. The, resu- the results are in reverse order, so we'll start from the bottom and work our way up. Rich and Paul Lawman defeated Tom Justice and Joe Martin. Dobie Gillis, Maynard G. Krebs nowhere to be found, beat Fred Birch. Vern Siebert over Haas Taylor. 
Ole Olsen over Buddy Wayne, father of Nick. And then our main event, a loser wears a dress match where Rick Davis and Sonny Myers beat Joe Cagle and Francis Cagle by disqualification. I'm sure Francis Cagle ended up wearing a dress. Is Francis Cagle anyone we would know? Is that perhaps Rocky Sword or is it under a different name? I mean, it could be. I don't know, but... uh... Yes, Al Tonko in 1986. I have, uh, I think I've uploaded some Al Tonko <laughs> from early '86 on YouTube. As uh, it's quite a promotion, Ooh. so to speak. Well, that's one way to put it. Geographically on the West Coast, but I'd uh, call it the Central States of Canada. If we're, uh, <laughs> yeah. Being honest, yeah, things things were looking rather dire out west. Uh, I was meaning to ask our friend uh, Daniel Maccabe. Uh, who the hell Alice McKay is and uh, why she has her own building in Surrey. So uh, get get back to us on that, Daniel. But uh, He talked about that one, the, not about Alice McKay, you know, about the person, but he talked about going to shows, I think wrestling in shows in that building. It's a legendary think, building. Yeah, there. I think that might have been his, his first match, if I'm thinking of the right building. But uh, yeah, the... <laughs> The only names that really jumped out at me were uh, Rich and Paul Lohman, who no one would remember, but uh, I only vaguely remember they were two uh, jacked-up bodybuilder types from Edmonton. Uh, I think they were shoot brothers. I'm not uh, entirely sure, but uh, they worked for a promotion out here called the NAWA that uh, very briefly ran opposition to Stampede. I remember that. Yeah, yes. in, in northern Alberta. Yeah. In fact, uh, Ben Basarab uh, defected there when he had a falling out with Stu uh, in the wake of Stu's daughter Allison leaving Ben, presumably because uh, Ben wouldn't stop beating the shit out of her and hanging out with drug dealers. Oh, that'll do but, it. <laughs> this, yeah, this NAWA group uh, they bizarrely, they brought in a bunch of talent from the northeastern U.S. They brought in uh, David Schultz, uh, Johnny Rods came out here, uh, the Power Twins, believe it or not. That's right, so, yeah, I remember yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, they ran the, the Fantasyland Hotel in the West Edmonton Mall, the world's biggest mall. They were in Fantasyland, they thought that promotion was <laughs> going to be any success, yeah. that's for yeah. damn sure. yeah. Um, I believe this is right at the beginning of Buddy's career, right? Yeah, we're in the early stages. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yep. I mean, at least for what's on Cage Match, the earliest result they have from is a little over a month earlier. And I yeah. think it was 86 was when he debuted. So at most, he's at a few months into the business. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to him once, and Tomko stuff came up, and I mentioned that I had seen like a surprising amount of it, because I had a surprising amount of it on tape. And he was like, why the hell would you get and watch that? <laughs> and I had to explain to him that it was because I would get tapes from Vern Sievert, and Vern's tapes were all a mix of stuff. Mm-hmm. So you wanted to get the Stampede or the WWF Canadian TV or the Portland syndicated TV. You also had to get the uh, the Vancouver All-Star Wrestling that Vern taped on it, possibly because he was on the show. <laughs> yes. Yes, but... Is the post-split, post-Portland split, Vancouver TV the worst wrestling TV show in, U- in the U.S. or Canada, basically, until it ends? 
No. <laughs> what would you say? No, there's worse. Um, I don't know if you've been looking at ben, uh, at Ben's YouTube lately. <laughs> I mean, as far as <laughs> full-time territories, not counting Chicago um, Championship Wrestling or whatever. I mean, Central States has some shitty television. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. It, they're in the running. They're I mean, up there. They're the worst in Canada, that's for sure. They're up there. Definitely. But, oof, yes, yeah, it's first rough. All right, let's go to Mexico now. Got some, a couple of results here. Arena Coliseo, June 22nd. For EMLL, we have Modulo number two against Escudero Orojo. Climax two, Climax two, and Mahi Azul against Arrojo Vivo and Baby Richard. Franco Colombo and Macho Numero Uno against Astratijo and Javier Yanes. Quasar, Rocambole, and Stuka against Asharo, El Nazi, not J.R. Foley, and Emilio Charles Jr. And then in our main event, David Gold, The Kiss, and Tony Salazar against Herodes, Derry Estrada, and Satanico. Hmm. David Gold, O'Connor. That's the name that sticks out here. Uh, another Canadian. Yeah. Who would work all kinds of odd places. He had his run in Puerto Rico after this, and uh, of course he worked here, and then he would have a run as a WFTB job guy, but yeah, interesting character. Uh, I was always curious to why he didn't get a run in a stampede somewhere, because he seemed like he'd be a good fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how he wound up in uh, Mexico in 1986, but uh, yeah, be... I mean, is is there much footage of uh, 1986 uh, EMLL out there? He's more of him in Double Double C. Absolutely, mm-hmm. way more of him in Double Double C. So, but yeah, I always, I always dug him. He was a good talent, and you just didn't see him. So, just a weird situation there. And uh, UWA at El Torreo de Cochacaminos in Nacapan, their big Sunday show. We have uh, Gulliver. And Leon Savage against Sputnik and Tatum, not John Tatum. Uh, El Falcon and Halcon 78 against Black Terry and Jose Luis Feliciano. Io Dos Santo and Vagabundo against Blue Panther and Negro Casas. Dos Caras, Psychodelico and Solar against Babyface, Luis Mariscal and Scorpio. And our main event, Enrique Vera and Pedro Aguayo against Kanek and Fishman. And yes, Io Dos Santo, I mean, it's early in his career. But still, Io Dos Santo in a Tercera. <laughs> I should tell you the story right there of this, of this one. Good Lord. What a loaded, loaded roster, as we always say when it comes to UWA. So, yeah, it's a star power up and down the card. Yes. Uh, Robert, would you like to make any jokes about whose favorite wrestler Climax number two was? No. <laughs> no, 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 I won't touch that one. <laughs> All right, well, let's go to Double C. We have a quick result here in Puerto Rico and Bayamon on June 28th, where Invader number one defeated Eric Embry to win the Puerto Rican heavyweight title. Oh. A, an American uh, working Invader number one on a hot summer night in Bayamon. What could yes. possibly go wrong? <laughs> he lost his title. <laughs> that's what wrong here. At least that's all he lost that night in Bayamon. So there you go. But uh, yeah, not hey, international slim pickings this week. I said that's three times we use slim pickings on this show. But uh, yeah, so there we go. 
1986. Well, let's go back to the states now and to the territories, and we begin with some outlaws as we first go to the Savoldis. They had a show in Lewiston, Maine at the Lewiston Armory on June 25th. Partial lineup here, but we have Hercules Ayala and Roberto Soto against the Boston Bad Boys. Tony Rumble and his partner, whoever that was. <laughs> then we had an, an eight-girl battle royal for five grand, where the winner of that battle royal got a shot at Misty Blues ICW Women's Title. Ooh. And then Jumpin' Joseph Oldy defending his ICW Heavyweight Title against Phil Apollo, the future Playboy Vince Apollo. But Connor, I can only imagine the women that was in this eight-girl battle royal. I'm sure Linda Dallas, <laughs> well, <Kat> yeah. LaRue. <laughs> yeah, that was... <laughs> Those would be my picks. Comrade Orca, possibly. <laughs> the Misty Blue Troop. Yeah, no idea who Rumble's partner was originally. He faded away while Tony Rumble became an indie wrestling Hall of Famer. <laughs> well, yes. he, he's not officially uh, one of those yet. No, but he should be. Yes. And I'm not, and I'm not bullshit. He should be. No, absolutely <laughs> should be. Because Tony Rumble was a very successful indie promoter. He was an announcer. He was talent. I mean, he's a Booker, yeah, real indie, yeah, yeah, a real indie guy. So did did they have TV back then or not? Oh, absolutely, yes. yes. Oh. oh, yes. They had t- they had TV permits from the whole jump. Hmm. Um, you know, they had TV before they were ICW. Yeah. So. Yeah, they had TV, always. And they always had a connection with Double uh, C at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah, Hercules Ayala. Roberto Soto, of course, Invader 2. But uh, it's the fold. He's about to go to Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Because he was, a member of the, he was a member of the Rock and Roll Rockers. <laughs> Al Perez. Yes. And Al Perez is going to do his big uh, heel turn coming up in Puerto Rico on Invader 1 soon. So there you go. So, yeah, ICW. they got a lot... They're not too far from uh, starting their relationship with the AWA as well at this point in time. They're, the last part of 86, they do a lot of joint shows with AWA in the Northeast. So hmm. they have a good year this year. All right, TWWF. This is uh, AFA's promotion, the Trans World Wrestling Federation, which could mean a totally something different these days. I'm surprised that. Uh, one of these promotions hasn't taken that on, Bix. One of the uh, you know the gay pride type promotions. That would the actually new trans be a, federation. It would actually be a hell of a punny name. Yeah. To do that not? or bring back Trans World Wrestling Alliance or whatever the Japanese one yeah. was called. Why not? Why not? I mean, we already have Paris's bumping. I'm trying to think which other punny names there have been. I feel like I'm missing one. But you get the idea. So yes, let's go to these results here. Yeah, Randolph Township, New Jersey, at the Randolph High School, June 27th. We have Ox Baker against the Tonga Kid. Princess Jasmine against Wendy Richter. Often Seeker against the Hollywood Blondes. Don't know <laughs> which incarnation of that it is. I'm guessing that's one of the fabulous Blondes teams, right? Mm, no. You don't, I think, don't so? think so? Okay. No. And our main event, Bobby Duncan against Ivan Putsky. So, I have more information about this show, Chris. Okay. On ProQuest, they have the... I don't know if this is on newspapers.com or anything, too, but I looked and... Well, I got this from newspapers.com, so... Well, this has a whole article, though, from the Middletown Daily Record. 
young promoter ready for big night. This is in the day before, the paper on the 26th. By Jim Capuzzo. Come on, Chris. Yeah. Do it. Oh. Oh. Okay, thank you. Randolph Township. If it were up to Mitch Seinfeld, where does that name ring a bell from? Uh, the whole world would be one big wrestling arena. That is a far-fetched notion to everyone but the 16-year-old Seinfeld, who will be promoting his first professional wrestling event Friday night at Randolph High School. The show begins at 8 p.m. and tickets will go on sale at 6 p.m. Oh, so all walk up. Interesting. Ringside seats are $12. General admission seats are 10 Seinfeld, the junior at Roxbury High School, began to take an interest in professional wrestling when he was just six. Today, Seinfeld watches wrestling on television up to 25 hours a week. <laughs> Sounds like me. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I mean, well, there's a lot on cable at this time, too. Oh, uh, Atlanta. I mean, good lord. Yeah. No, but I'm saying as far as New Jersey. Uh, you probably had a satellite dish. Well, there is that, too. Which I wish I had, but that's another story. I started by watching wrestling every Saturday, said Seinfeld, who lives in Sukasana? 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 I don't know. Uh, then a couple of years ago, I went to my first live show at Menin Arena. I loved it so much that I started to go to Madison Square Garden for shows. I have an uncle, Mike Ober, that lives in Manhattan, so I don't have to worry about coming home late at night. Although some people... Ken Ober. I don't know. Although some people may question whether professional wrestling is real athletic competition, Seinfeld said he believes the sport's just as legitimate as any other athletic event. If you don't think wrestling is real, come to the show and I'll have one of the wrestlers drop onto you from the top rope, Seinfeld said. <laughs> Being a wrestling fan and attending matches wasn't enough for Seinfeld. After talking with several promoters and wrestlers, Seinfeld contacted the newly founded Transworld Wrestling Federation and worked his way into his first show. I knew there was no real wrestling in this area, so I called the TWWF with the idea. After months of talking about it, they said yes. I think this is like central Jersey, right? Like about by like New Brunswick and that part yeah. of Jersey. One of the old stomping grounds, yes. Yeah. Once Seinfeld received approval from the TWWF, there was much work to be done. Seinfeld had to decide what wrestlers he wanted and which ones were available. Contracts had to be agreed upon, and insurance was needed. There was the renting of Randolph High School... The Randolph Police and Fire Departments had to, it's a, there's an error here, it says has to, had to contact it, had to be contacted, and state fees had to be paid. For a person of Seinfeld's age, just being able to handle those responsibilities is a story in, an, in itself. But where does a 16-year-old get the money to front such an event? I've been working on this around the clock, Seinfeld said. If I can handle it. Who cares where I got the money from? <laughs> in this business, if you have local to... businessmen, <laughs> in this guys, business... in, guys in windbreakers, <laughs> members only jackets. He has track suits. A lot of social clubs, <laughs> pork stores. <laughs> Wait, so let, let, let me double back. If I can handle it, who cares where I got the money from? In this business, if you have to steal or lie to do something, you do it. <laughs> I want to make a career out of this. Someone with my credentials could reach success easily. Not that many people my age would even think about doing something like this. Most kids work at the mall or at a gasoline station. I have my gasoline own business. Station. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if that's him or the paper doing that. But New, size, New Jersey. <laughs> size of the crowd will determine. Yes. Size of the crowd will determine how much money Seinfeld will make, but before Seinfeld can receive any financial reward, all wrestlers and public works people must be paid. I realize that I could get burnt, Seinfeld said. 
if we don't get a good crowd, I'm out a lot of money. But I don't think that will be the case. In fact, I'm hoping for another show in August. Can you imagine Afa meeting this kid <laughs> and just having his mark alarm go off? Well, hey, I mean, Bo, Bo James started around that same type of age, you know, in, prom in promoting shows. But that was promoting so, Callan's spot shows in a territory. I know, but still, I'm saying, I mean, it can be done. Yes. Um, but still, I mean, Alpha definitely uh, was going to take this kid's money. Absolutely, it was. And, and yes, I'm sure there there were some local businessmen involved. But absolutely. Had well, if he's saying that, he's yes. saying, "Who cares where I got the money?" Um, yeah. Just be glad promoter Mel Phillips didn't find him. <laughs> well, that's not for another decade or so after this. <laughs> this. This probably would have been one of Bobby Duncombe's last matches. I think he he retired that year. He, yeah, 86 is like the last you see of, of Bobby as a, mm -hmm. a full-time wrestler. Because, yeah, he his son, Bobby Jr., at this point in time, is playing at a... University of Texas. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he doesn't he doesn't do a whole lot after that. But uh, yeah, off, TWWF man. I mean, Alpha of, ran a lot of successful shows in in the late eighties under under that banner. Yeah, they got after Mac, you know, stuff to get in the ratings every so often. So mm -hmm. yeah, they were in the. The off-brand magazines a lot, too. Mm -hmm. the yeah. resting, yeah. <laughs> wrestling eyes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, looking at newspapers.com, the next hit for Trans World Wrestling Federation after this show is January 22nd at the uh, York, Pennsylvania Fairgrounds. Uh, well, see, this thing, Vix, a lot of them would not call the name. They, oh, they no, no, even... I know. Well, here's where I'm going with that. Here's why I'm mentioning it. Uh, the main event is Ivan Polish Power Putski versus someone listed as Big Bad Bob Duncan. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm saying you got to know who's who and what's what. Yes. yes. You got to know still more, around the newspaper websites. But still more Bobby Duncan. So he's not retiring yeah. right away. Yeah, he was around. But anyway. All right, uh, let's go to Jim Gar Promotions. Wait, why here? Why, is it, why isn't it closing the show? There ain't much to it. So not a lot going on in JCP during our week. I mean, Dave does a big thing in the Observer about the upcoming Great American Bash, but it was nothing that really pertained to what we talk about here. So and why? Why even do it? All right. So um, they ran the Omni on June 22nd. It's more of a double shot. They thought that running the Omni in the afternoon instead of Sunday night would help the attendance. Well, they were wrong. As they drew around 2,000 fans for a show after drawing 5,000 fans two weeks earlier. The Crocos firmly believe running shows in Marietta is hurting their Omni shows, but everyone else thinks it's their ticket prices. They're now considering running either Friday or Saturday nights. It's not... There's it, a lot that's going on here, as we talked about before on this show regarding the Omni. I mean, the Crockett and the Omni had a love-hate relationship with the fans. Um, it goes to when, when he took over, he told the fans that had their season tickets, basically, uh, you don't have those anymore. 
It's because there are fans that had their seats for every Omni show. And he said, that's not happening no more. So there's that. And then he raised ticket prices. And 86 is one of those big years where he really raised them up. And that didn't sit well with those fans. So, and you're running it way too often. And at Omni, it used to be every other week when when GCW was, was going on. But you're running it too much. And then you add shows in Marietta on to it. And you know, God knows I love Marietta, but good lord, you're diluting you're diluting it even more. So of course you, you're burning your markets out. That's what we talked about with WF earlier. They're burning the market out here in Atlanta. And this isn't, you know, your normal Crockett town because I mean it just wasn't. We're just a year into it being a Crockett town. So this isn't like the Carolinas, which has the rich history of having Crockett promotions. It's a little bit different. But yeah, all right. So let's look at what drew 2,000 fans. And you understand, there's something going on here. All right, our first match, Thunderfoot of Iraqi King, the Warlord of the Italian Stallion, Clay Blanchard over Todd Champion, Ivan Koloff over Hector Gredo, the Midnight Express of America's team, Dusty Roseman MTA by DQ in a Lumberjacks with Tennis Rackets match. Then we had the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, Olean Arn Anderson over Robert Gibson and Ronnie Garvin. In our main event, a steel cage match. The NWA World Heavyweight title, Ric Flair retained over Ricky Morton. So, I mean, you got Flair and Morton here, Bix. A hot feud. And it's <laughs> 2,000 fans for a steel cage match. You know? JCP, everybody? <laughs> It's just, like I said, it's, it's the burnout. Mm-hmm. It's just that simple. They have burnt out the town. Which is easier you to know, do when, even though you're kind of the local promotion now, you are not the local wrestling. And let's be honest, when, uh, you know, the Omni started going downhill before they took over, because they were, it was being run too much. The Omni was a once-a-month thing in the 70s. See the tournaments every Friday night, and the Omni was once a month. So, when you start going to the Omni bi-weekly, it changes everything. You know, it's not special like it was before. But yeah, I mean, you look at you look at. I mean, you got you know Midnight's and Dusty and Magnum. You got the Andersons against Robert. You got Flair and Morton in the cage. You got your hot angles on this show. Two thousand fans. Well, don't get no better. That night, they ran Greensboro, only drew 7,054 fans. And this is a time period where Crockett Television is pretty damn good. Now, here's the results for Greensboro. We got Hector Guerrero going to a draw with Mr. Electricity, Steve Regal. Barbarian over Sam Houston. Manny Fernandez and Jimmy Valiant over Shaska Watley and T. Joe Kahn. Baron Von Raschke and Nicole Loss, Ivan Nikita over downtown Denny Brown, Don Cronola, and Ronnie Garvin. That's a match. Arne Anderson going to a 20-minute draw. Robert Gibson. Tully retained the National Way title beating Wahoo. Flair Morton going to a double countout in the World Title match. And then the Lumber, Lumberjacks or Tennis Rackets match here. America's team over the Midnight Express. Only drew 7,000 fans at Greensboro. So, I mean, this also goes to show you, O'Connor, that even though you may have some hot television, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have hot gate receipts off of it yeah for sure i mean the the 
TV was quite good. Um, I, yeah, I just think it was burnout, like you said. Uh, I mean, the shows are pretty, pretty top heavy. The first half of the shows here uh, look kind of rough. All apologies to uh, Stallion and Rocky King, but uh, yeah, still, uh, still tough to imagine. They only, only drew a couple thousand. I mean, it's just, and the thing is, is that when you watch the TV, especially syndicated TV, they're in them hot ass fucking buildings, wild crowds, you know, that's what translates better and it makes the promotion look smoking hot as you got to that situation. So yeah, interesting to look at. Now they're branching out. Let me talk about WWF, Albuquerque on June 28th. In front of 5,154 at Tingley Coliseum. Now we got some locals filling on the card out here as we have <laughs> Tudor Dean. <laughs> I wonder if he knows Tyson Dean over Jackson Brody. <laughs> God, I hope that's a Bruiser Brody knockoff gimmick. Then we got Juan Reynosa, Torth Bulba over Ted Heath. That's your uh, 1979 Amarillo offer match. Then you got. Uh, Captain Redneck Dick Murdoch over Miss Electricity Steve Regal. And Murdoch is, uh, think about Murdoch. Murdoch's not a Crockett guy yet. He's about to be. I think the next week he's Crockett. Uh, makes his Crockett TP debut. Then you got Tully going to no contest with Wahoo, national title. Road Warriors and Paul Ellering over the Russians, all three of them. Uh, Midnight's retain the world tag titles over America's team by DQ. And then Flair over Ronnie Garvin to retain the world title. So here they are in Albuquerque fix, which they would run Albuquerque fairly, you know, I don't want to say often, but they ran it, <coughs> excuse me, a decent amount of times here in the late 80s. Yeah, and Tingley Coliseum's not that huge building, right? So that's a pretty good house there, especially for a smaller market. There's still, WWE still runs there, don't they? Uh, yep, they still do, and they were running it back then. <laughs> I mean, they, it wasn't one of those deals where they tried to pull any strings to get one out. That venue helped both both companies. Yeah. Okay, I, I was a little off. It's bigger than I thought. So this is about half a house. Oh, uh, yeah. Not great in their debut, but still. I mean, who knows what local TV they had, especially in this era. Yeah, there's that, and too. That's something we need to factor in more with these expansion you know, towns in this era, too. You know, we never really look into what the TV situation was in that market. Well, I mean, I'm sure WF had a good situation. Hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Crockett, yes, we could definitely talk about them. WF, I'm pretty sure they were doing just fine. Uh, I know. I mean, when they came to Toronto, for example, uh, Crockett, WCW later. I mean, they had they had terrible TV in Toronto and uh, still came. So, yeah, makes you wonder how different everything is if they would have played ball with Jim Crockett more. I mean, Jim Crockett uh, with Jack Tunney more in 1984. <laughs> I'm I am intrigued by this uh, undercard here. Mm-hmm. Tudor Dean. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, he also went by uh, Hillbilly Tudor, 
Which, yes. uh, sounds for all the world like a name Vince McMahon would have come up with. Uh, Wait, know, didn't Hillbilly, uh, Hillbilly Tudor have the promotional license that uh, Evolve used in New York for a while? <laughs> well, I mean, it, it unites two of Vince's great loves, uh, Hillbillies and Farts. <laughs> but, uh, so Juan Reynoso is uh, the future Terrace Bulba. In uh, world class, the the well, he's already been uh, he's already been Carswell in Memphis at least, and yeah, yeah, yes, that's right, yeah, yeah. So he's working as himself here because he's not really working anywhere at this point in time. So yeah, I I wonder if he came like just to be a referee or something. And oh no, he's working his talent. Okay, I mean originally, yeah, they're filling out the other card. You know, Murdoch's probably involved in this too, so. Well, I, th- I just I I think of that because with him there was always the weird Southwest run where he is simultaneously a heel wrestler and a neutral referee. <laughs> yeah, which was always well that territory right? you get doing double duty. Yeah, but still. Uh, all right, uh, let's go to this TV clip here. We only got one clip from television this week. Uh, David Crockett did a a rare sit down interview. With America's team, this is before the tapings began at Techwood on Saturday morning. And Dave said this interview on the June 20th episode of World Change of Wrestling made him want to vomit. Let's go to the clip. <laughs> it's Dave, so I'm guessing this is going to be very inoffensive. Great American. I just got to mention uh, Jim Crockett's hat that we saw before they uh, cut to this. Yes, Jim Crockett's wearing his summer hat. <laughs> He's talking about the Great American Bash. So he's uh he's in his summer attire here. He's in a uh, light suit and he's got like a white hat on. Kind of like a patri- I think it had some re- some white and blah, blue and red too. It looked like it was supposed to be a bit of a patriotic hat too. Yes. Well, this okay. promo will tell you why. It's here. It's upon us. Fourteen cities. And the thing is, only here in America could we do something like this. Dusty has a scarf on. It's a place where you're free to talk, speak. No, this is Ty. Whether oh, he yeah, likes it right. or I like it. It's undone. You can do what you want right here. America's very special to me. I know how I feel. Magnum, how do you feel about it? Well, you know, it's the only country in the world that affords you the luxury to choose your own profession, take the God-given talents what? that you've got, <laughs> and go out there and be the best you can be. Take that chance. Go out on the greatest adventure in the world. Being a part of the Great American Bash, being able to wrestle in them, being able to watch all the other great competition. It couldn't happen in any other place but America. That's right. And this is America's team right here. <laughs> Dusty Rhodes and Magnum T.A. Dusty? I think America to me because through the years, Dusty Rhodes, the American dream is my children and seeing them run and play and going to school and being free. And that word free, sometimes we take for granted. And Jim Crockett Promotions set out to have the great American bash. It is a statement of freedom and the greatest sport that we feel in the world is professional wrestling and the greatest promotion. And the great American bash is coming to your country. That is free. It's coming all over the country, 14 cities. And if I had to sum it up in one word or two or three words, we've been talking about it. I won't stop talking about it. And I want to express my freedom. I want to do it, Jack. I want to get on with it, David. All right, Dusty, there's, like you said, we've all talked about it, but there's a man that expresses 
our feelings best. He's a friend of ours and a friend of the Superstation. Living in the promised land, our dreams are made of steel. The prayer of every man is to know how freedom feels. There is a winding road across the shifting sands and room for everyone living in the promised land. And so they came from the distant isles, nameless woman, faithless child, like a bad dream, until there was no room at all, no place to run and no place to fall. So give us your daily bread. We have no shoes to wear place to call our own, only this cross to bear. We are the multitude. Lend us a helping hand. Is there no love anymore living in the promised land? The only country in the world <laughs> where you can pick your own job Okay. You just you just be one man I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I think. Get our marching orders from uh, Comrade Trudeau. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, Dave was he was ranting and raving the Observer about how how you know patriotic this was, whatever you want to <laughs> say, you know, and so. Well, we we should know that was the great uh, Willie Nelson. Yes, that's right. At the end yes. there, yeah, reciting that's lyrics uh, from his hit song "Living in the Promised Land," which uh, came out earlier that year. Mm-hmm. Yep, and he had done the uh, the vi- vignette with uh, Tony and Dusty that aired on the uh, the Clash of the Champions or anything. <laughs> yeah, not Clash of Champions, the uh, Superstar Superstation. Earlier that year, yes. They, yeah, so. well, they, they go way back. Uh, Dusty and Willie, there's a clip of uh, Dusty on stage with Willie Nelson in Florida mm-hmm. from uh, Whiskey uh, River, the early River. 80s, yeah. Yeah, singing Whiskey River, yeah. But yeah, Dave uh, Dave said this uh, made him want to vomit. I mean, come on, comrade Dave, where's your sense of patriotism <laughs> if, uh, if this makes you want to vomit uh, wait about 30 years when uh, you hear dusty's son explain how he and his wife solved racism by fucking <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness all right well let's go to florida now championship wrestling from florida Eddie Graham Sports Stadium in Orlando on June 22nd. We have Ricky Santana over the Marauder. Tyree Pride over Jerry Gray. Sean Royal over Pat Rose. The Fabs won a lumberjack match over the Shot Troops at the Bull Gantner and Mr. Kareem Muhammad. Kendall Wyndham retained the Florida Heavyweight title over the White Ninja, Keiji Muto. And Lex Luger and Barry won the one elimination match over Kendo Nagasaki and Ron Bass, the balding Japanese Kendo Nagasaki, not the <laughs> British Kendo Nagasaki. In Tampa, the Spartan Sports Center on 24th, we had Tyree Pride over Jerry Gray. Ed the Bull Gantner over Ricky Santana. Sean Roller, Pat Rose. Stan Lane over Mr. Kareem Muhammad by disqualification. Losers leave town match. Lex Luger and Barry win them over Kendo Nagasaki and Ron Bass. Kendo lost, so he's going to each fan for a tour. Kendall Winner retained the Florida Heavyweight title beating the White Ninja. And in your main event, Ric Flair retained the World Heavyweight title beating Steve Kern. Interesting match there. So, uh, any thoughts on the, these cards, O'Connor? Um, yeah, not not bad. Flair Kern uh, 
Sounds intriguing. Um, yeah, I mean, the, Ed the Bull Gantner, there's a guy that uh, I never really saw, but uh, fascinated me when I saw his name in the magazines. Um, yeah, I think in the, the 1987 episode uh, you guys did, mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned an angle where Oliver Humperdick uh, put a bounty on the head of Ed Gantner. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, would, would be ultimately collected by Ed Gantner when he <laughs> shot himself a few years later. <laughs> but uh, no, that I mean that would make uh, a great uh, low-key Dark Side of the Ring episode. I think uh, Ed the Bull Gantner, at least before uh, Vince co opted yeah. the series. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Vic signed an NDA, so he can't uh, <laughs> talk about it. But I honestly, uh, I don't know shit about what's going on. <laughs> no one seems to, but uh, yeah, Ed Ed Gantner, he was uh, a big local football hero. Uh, transitioned to wrestling, uh, got quite a big push, uh, but uh, yeah, I think it was the. the following year his kidneys began to fail uh presumably from the prodigious amount of steroids he was consuming mm-hmm. uh got a kidney transplant then got back on the gas mm-hmm. probably uh not the best decision no uh, became strung out on coke to boot yeah uh, kidneys gave out again uh long story short he wound up going nuts they put him in the psych ward at one point uh, before he finally shot himself. Uh, a heartwarming story all around. Yeah. Yeah, sad situation. Ed the Bull Gantner. But, yeah. I'm hoping that my mic did not pick up my roommates laughing outside in the backyard as you were talking about. Uh, no. <laughs> no. Okay, good, good, good. But any thoughts, Bix? It's 1986 Florida, so no. Well, Bob, well, excuse me, I'm skipping. All right, John Heath, Coach John Heath, is no longer doing the announcing on U.S. Class Wrestling. That's their uh, second show. Yes, and one the of the it- worst show names ever for a wrestling TV show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the way it was done was that on the June 25th tapings in Tampa, so Arthur Humperdinck started calling Heath's wife and daughter all sorts of names. And Heath responded by losing his cool and beating up on Humperdinck. It's funny because John Heath must be every bit of 70 years old. Anyway, the next week, Heath apologized and announced he was quitting announcing because he couldn't control his temper. (laughs) Coach John Heath was was the coach of, I mean, the big amateur wrestling coach in Sarasota. He was the promoter in Sarasota, uh, you know, Tampa, all that that whole area. Mm -hmm. So that's why he was involved here in, in, in those ways. And, uh, he was seven years old, but I'm sure he was. He, he can't <laughs> hold his damn own. Can't can't put your hands on the dink. <laughs> no. Well, technically speaking, a few minutes ago, I think you actually called him Sir Oliver Humper Dick, which well, <laughs> but then but then it would he he would come back because I mentioned this the other day. There's that great '87 promo where Kevin Sullivan and Humper Dink. Are sitting in some office or somewhere, and Coach John Heath is the interviewer, and the whole time it are, is basically them trying to make John Heath laugh, <laughs> trying to pop John Heath. So, yeah, fun, funny stuff. Bob Roop, who still manages Lex Luger, 
and also does a TV color commentary in books, though no longer wrestles, is referring to Lex Luger and Barry Windham as the Dream Team. It's original. <laughs> yeah, because Hammer and Brutus are using that name at the same time at <laughs> WF, who's also in Florida a lot during this era. So, okay, so yeah. I have a question as I'm trying to figure out the timing. The they they were the Twin Towers in Crockett before the WWF had Twin Towers, right? Who? Luger and Wyndham. They may have called them that, but that did not stick. I know it wasn't like a thing that really stuck, but like and it was yeah, enough it was, of a thing a that four, the magazines four, talk because, about. Because, it. Yeah, yeah, well, Bossman went in WWF, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. So, but Bob Roop is called the Dream Team. Yes, and Bob Roop is your Booker of Record. Not right. too much longer. Not too much longer, but still Booker of Record here. Chris Champion's a newcomer here, which is interesting since he used to work for the IWA, who ran outlaw against this group last year. That's bullshit! <laughs> <laughs> well, that's actually the truth, Chris. But uh, but yeah, he comes in and uh, impresses enough where they put him and Sean Roy together, and the new breed was born. Mm-hmm. Almost, almost everything about uh, Chris Champion was interesting. Yes, a lot of stories uh, on Chris Champion. <laughs> well, he's the only wrestler I know of who traveled with a copy of Anton LaVey's Satanic Bible. <laughs> yes. According to a wrestler that uh, worked <laughs> with him in the early 90s. But uh, actually, I saw this for the first time. Chris, you've probably uh, seen this before. But uh, it's my my new favorite YouTube video. Uh, is a clip of Chris Champion and Wolfie D., uh, from Burt Prentice's NWA Worldwide. I know what you're talking about. Yes. yes. Uh, I strongly suggest uh, <laughs> everyone check it out if you haven't seen it before. I tried to describe it, but I, I couldn't possibly do it justice. But it's it's called Wolfie D Eats Apple Laced with LSD from Chris <laughs> Champion. Yes. <laughs> yes, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bix is uh, pulling it up right now. Play it because it's only 90 seconds. We're not going to watch Jerry McDevitt's oh, interview. No. That, you, that you've been watching, Stuff obviously. Stuff here. It ain't working no more. I need a new something, man. A new, new catch. I had it in the early 90s. Now what? Look at me. I'm 26 years old. I ain't no rapper no more. What are you doing with yourself? Good Lord, what should I do, man? I would give, give anything to get a new start in this business. <sighs> yeah, how, how did you pop in there like that, Sam? Yeah, anything. I, I need something new, man. This, this ain't me no more. There's, there's nothing on there. I'll fill it formalities later. You're a weird dude, man. You weird dude. Wolfie. D. Now what? Ten An apple. <laughs> this, this is my new gimmick. This is the apple. Spit in the face of people who don't want to be cool. Yes. <laughs> right away. What now? 
Um, first time I've ever seen a segment from a wrestling TV show that feels like it could be on Adult Swim. <laughs> Why is he ripping off the Zodiac? <laughs> that's, what, that's what I was thinking. Very <laughs> reminiscent of uh, Jason and the Zodiac. Very <laughs> quality of uh, special effects. Yeah, Chris Champion uh, doing his Barry Orton tribute gimmick. Uh, have, and God bless that Brian Turner's VHS. Uh, rehab youtube channel they've been putting up a ton of uh like nashville tv Mm -hmm. uh, from from prentice from uswo and other stuff from that era of you know late 90s early 2000s yeah just subscribe to that channel i didn't know about this channel until just now so yeah uh, cool shit yeah i'm looking like today as we record this they put up a 13 plus minute mec wait mecw <laughs> oh, oh, the the Nashville one, right? Sorry, um, with PG thirteen versus James Storm, and it says Striker. I don't know. Yeah, from nineteen ninety nine. That's not John Collins. Yeah, that would yeah. be yeah, that would be uh, Reno Riggins and uh, Steve Dahl. Or like, I think it was mainly Reno Riggins promoting. But yeah, there's explosion stuff that he's hadn't got been online before. Here with, he's got a match here with Samoan Swat team against Steve Dunn and Stan Lane <laughs> from nineteen ninety nine. So. Yeah, we're going to check this guy out. He's got some cool shit on here. Wow. That's Brian with a Y. Uh, Kid Cash and Abyss versus Delirious and Matt Seidel. I believe the uh, CM Punk and Colt Cabana explosion match is on this channel, too. Yeah, that's where that, that's where that came from as well, yeah. All right, well, enough. Let's get back to 1986. Uh, let's go to Continental. June 23rd at Boutwell Autorum drew 2,500 fans for a double TV taping as the bullet beat El Fuego. Jody Hamilton by disqualification. Brad Armstrong and Jerry Stubbs win the Continental title in a good bout. We'll have more on that in a second. Jimmy Golden and Robert Fuller beat Tommy Steve Armstrong to retain, regain the Southeastern Tag Titles. We'll have more on that in a second. Tim Horner over Royley Welch. Adrian Street of Wendell Cooley to win the Southeastern Title as well as squashes. The show also saw the debut of new interviewer Fat Freddie Miller. <laughs> <laughs> Who once again teams up with Gorn Soli as they did in Atlanta during the great mid-70s, early 80s period before Ole Anderson destroyed the promotion. Well, let's go to let's go to Mr. Perfect Jerry Stubbs and Brad Armstrong, and let's watch the end of their match to see this title change. Let's see how it goes now. Has had a lot beaten out of him. Stubbs with a headbutt, another one, and another, and another. He's in that pinhead. Yep. Armstrong in trouble, and that could be it. That could be all she wrote. That series of headbutts may have finished Brad Armstrong. Stubbs, supremely confident here. No! Brad Armstrong, his face. Brad's juicing. A total crimson match. Yes. Not a wrestler you would normally think of as being a bleeder, but he bled a lot here. Second rope. 
Armstrong back on his feet. Stop! Caught him with a lariat. It's all over. Okay, I'm going to pause this so I don't forget. Uh, wrestlers and aspiring wrestlers who are listening to this, pull up this June 28th, 86 episode of Continental on YouTube and watch the way that Brad Armstrong gets up and sells and feeds for that flying clothesline from Jerry Stubbs at uh, about 26 minutes. Mm-hmm. That might be the best I've ever seen and anyone do anything like that. What's Brad? Well, yes. Well, and this is Brad at his best, and he's wrestling the opponent that basically he was made to wrestle, too. His trainer. I forgot that part, which you can see it in his style, actually. So. It's all over. Stubbs has successfully defended his, his title. I cannot believe it. Wait a minute. What is that? The thumper outside the ring doing something with a referee. Yeah, thumper. <laughs> the original. Well, no, the second one. He got a pinball. Terry Funk's the original. Brad Armstrong has just won the Continental title, but brother, he just paid the price. And so did the thumper. Is Gordon so drunk here that he did not realize until this moment that Frankie the Thumper and Frankie Lancaster were the same person? <laughs> no, it's just him doing the different. His phrasing though was very weird, but okay. no, it's Gordon. It is. And it is Stubbs now, wreaking havoc with everybody around. Stubbs now, beating a hasty retreat from the ring area. Well, we'll uh, we'll be talking to him in just a moment. But right now, let's get the official word from our ring announcer. Ladies and gentlemen, in a time of 9 minutes and 29 seconds, your winner and the new Continental Heavyweight Wrestling Champion, Brad Armstrong. Brad Armstrong. Well, uh, certainly I keep going. bloody but unbowed and the new Continental Heavyweight Champion, Brad Armstrong. Right here! This is the proof of the pudding! I've been through a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, but it finally paid off! I cracked the chrome dome! That's right! I cracked the chrome dome! And I've got the continental title back where it belongs! Not for only me, not for my main man that's over, but for all these people in the continental area! I'm gonna stand! Thank you so very much, Freddie. Thank you, Gordon Jerry. I know you're disappointed. Disappointed it sounds like to me that he's standing up there crying. He should be happy because I know he planned every bit of it. He had the referee distracted by that no good last test. Well, let me tell you something, Freddie. I know there's no disqualification matches coming around. So that means I can do what I dang well want to. And I want to. No bad. Look, let me tell you something, Armstrong and Lancaster, your life is short-lived because you're not going to be around here much.
much longer. Your life is short-lived. You better count on it. A limit, Jerry Stubbs. Back to you, Gordon. I tell you what, Stubbs. Like I said before, we went through hell and high water. You want a no DQ match? Anything can happen and anything probably will. With no DQ, no step, but no Dairy Queen, brother. And these guns ain't gonna go off until I get this word fucking with you for the crack of the belt again. And you'll be doing our crack the chrome belt one more time. Well, there you have it. A brand new Continental Heavyweight Champion. But the war is long from being over. We'll be back. I love when Continental went to the Boutwell. You know, they never changed their TV formats because, you know, they would do the deal where after the match, the baby faces would be at the desk with Charlie Platt or Rick Stewart, and the heels would be in another part of the studio, and they'd have that same banter back and forth after the matches. They do it in the Boutwell, where the babyface is always with Gordon, or the he, or sometimes the heels, and then the other one would be in the ring with the ring announcer. <laughs> they kept the studio format yeah. in this big building. I love they did that. I like it. Yeah, that Continental's was, awesome. Pretty good promo by Brad there. Well, he's home. I mean, mm-hmm. Brad's Brad's best work is in Continental. Yeah, yeah, I mean, always is. If we'd gotten to see that promo in WCW, who knows? Well, I mean, he's comfortable. It's home, which, you know, WCW should have been home, too. But he's mm-hmm. not giving the push like he's given here, either. So there's also part of that as well. But, yeah, yeah this, is a, this is a great era of continental wrestling. Absolutely. All right. Um, now, let's go to the tag title change. So we got Tommy Rich and Steve Armstrong are the champions as Johnny Rich has been injured, although they do have the mysterious Dr. Ben Casey at ringside in their corner. Meanwhile, uh, or their masked, in- he's the masked intern. Dr. Tom Pritchard is Dr. Ben Casey. as uh, That's the name he was using, but he was Tom Pritchard. He was going by Tom Pritchard too, but when he was with them, he was Dr. Ben Casey. And he's in uh, Fuller and Golden's corner. So let's go to the main event here of uh, the TV and to the tag title change. Steve Armstrong trips up the intern. Check us up with Dr. Tom. We've got him battling in and out of the ring. Just to be clear, he is called Dr. Tom Pritchard, and this is the first time he's called Dr. Tom Pritchard, but when he's with the other heels, they call him Dr. Ben Casey as a nickname. Yes. Yes. Columbus, Mississippi, Live. Coliseum, Tuesday night, July 20th. 20-
what happened was Scott Ar- Steve Armstrong had golden sleeper hole, and the referee was distracted, and Fuller came in with his loaded boot, punted him in the head. Stevie fell backwards with golden sleeper, and uh, the referee counted Stevie's shoulders to the mat. So uh, there's that. All right, so now let's get the promos, all right? So uh, we're going to have the promos here for uh, these guys on the, coming up on the house show. So let's get the promos of the new champions and the intern. Hey, let's take a moment now to talk about Wrestling Tuesday, July 22nd. Millport, Alabama. That's Millport, Alabama. Some great action coming up. And then these three gaggling geese will be in Columbus, Mississippi. Seven big matches in all. I did not call them geeks. I said they were geese because they sound like a gaggle of them. Well, let me just say this. Have you ever seen a better-looking doctor since Spring Springfield left TV? I'll tell you one thing. The intern's got to wear a hood because he knows he can't beat me. But I'll tell you this. In Columbus, Mississippi, at the Lavender Coliseum, everybody's talking about the intern being so big and bad. Well, you saw Jim. Jimmy Golden, you saw Robert Fuller kick that dog stuff out of Tommy Richard Steve Armstrong. I'm going to take care of the intern once and for all. Then I'm going to be the only doctor in town. Well, there's a special word. Thank you, Gordon. Okay, Columbus, Mississippi, it's you against Dr. Tom head-to-head. The other two wrestle later in a tag match. That's right, Freddie. You know, so let me tell you something, Dr. Tom Pritchard. You're the most bogus doctor I've ever seen in my life, and you are, you're not going to be able to hide behind Robert and Jimmy, your two big boys. You know something? It's me and you, one-on-one, baby. And when I get you in the ring, I'm going to tear you apart. Don't forget, wildfire, big night. You'll get boring. Let about seven big matches. Crazy time. Tag titles. We're coming after them, Jack. All right, it's uh, July 29th in Columbus, Mississippi. Lavender Coliseum, a great night. All right, we're going to keep it going. Let me right, pause it real quick, right. though, because I forgot to put this in the notes. All right, so we had the Wendell Cooley Adrian Street thing earlier. All right, so um, Wendell Cooley is with. Uh, Gordon here, and uh, Miss Linda comes out and visits him and, gi- and gives him something. So let's go to the clip. So the exotic. Okay, this? this is the bell I assume. Gordon, my friend, I've brought Miss Cooley here, Miss Gwendolyn Crybaby Cooley, a present. It's a nice little present, and I hope you enjoy it. I hope you enjoy it. Well, all right. Let's see what's in this. They're due to return that belt, so we're going to find out. And our time is rapidly running out here. Let's just see if the belt has been returned or not. Yeah, well, good grief. Pretty far. Gordon Stoney, they paid him off now, big! I'm going to kill him, Gordon Stoney, look! They paid him my belt, big! I'm going to kill him! Well... Of all of the things I don't think Wendell Cooley wanted, he wanted that belt back, but he darn sure didn't want it back pink. There's lots <laughs> more coming down the pike between the exotic Adrian Street and Wildcat Wendell Cooley. And El Fuego and Mr. Bob uh, the Bullet? Yep. Something going to happen there. <laughs> I love it. So the title, the title belt was the sec- the title change was on the second taping. So that's to set that up because Adrian beats him 
on that same night and wins the pink belt. But I love – that's like the ultimate form of shame for a masculine Wendell Cooley is to have his belt be painted pink. <laughs> Meanwhile, they were promoting a show in Jim Barnett's favorite wrestling venue, the Lavender Coliseum. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, I mean, the, the older I get, uh, the more I appreciate uh, Gordon Soley. Oh, I love Gordon. <laughs> Drunk as he may be. But, um, I mean, I always enjoyed him, but I, a lot of the, the subtleties I appreciate uh, a little more now that I'm older. It's like uh, listening to Ernie Harwell call a baseball game. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's like listen to your old baseball announcer when he's old, you know? Yeah. Like he's great, but and he's a thousand Spin Scully. Oh, Harry Carey in the in the in the nineties. Yeah, yeah well, there's a lot there's a lot of similarities there. <laughs> yes. Well Scully was always I mean he was still sharp, you know, even yes. though, at the end. But uh oh uh, yeah. Mr. Ba uh the bullet. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Continental's fantastic. This is a great time period for Continental. So we got twenty seconds left. Let's just hear him sign off. Why not? All right. Gorgeous Jimmy Golden and luscious Robert Fuller. I wonder how well luscious Robert Fuller. <laughs> and this is the first taping of the night too. They're, They're still survive. taping the good. Steve Armstrong, Tommy Rich, and uh, the intern after them. Our time is completely gone. Until next week, Gordon Soley saying so long. And I guess it's not so long from the blank state of Alabama because uh, Continental ain't supposed to be regional in theory. (laughs) Uh, He just didn't do it, really, because, I mean, Alabama doesn't have that cool state thing. I'm looking. What is Alabama? Let's let's see. They're the uh, Cotton State uh, or the Yellowhammer State, which is the official one? Um. Not the cotton steak. That's what is, Google says. He, he he would say from the heart of Dixie. He did say yes, that. Yes. So long from the heart of Dixie. He would say that more than anything else. But anyway. All right, Memphis. Miss up Coliseum on June 23rd. Oh, okay. It, uh, Wikipedia does say Yellowhammer State, Heart of Dixie, and Cotton State. Yeah, they normally use Heart of Dixie more anything else. Gotcha. Don Fargo over the Hunter. This would be Bob Brown, not Dale Veazey in your opening match. Oh, I'm sure, though, that uh, <laughs> that Don Fargo, though, was checking out the ass. <laughs> uh, Tarzan Goto and Akio Sato, recently received, deceased Tarzan Goto, over uh, Diesel Dan Styles and Pat Tanaka. Oh. Diesel Dan Styles, of course, being Carl Styles. Okay, there we go. Nightmares. Danny Davis, Ken Wayne, over Jeff Jarrett, Tojo Yamamoto. Wait, why wasn't Ken Wayne going to the WWF with, uh, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Handicap match, Davey Haskins and Tracy Smothers beat Bam Bam Bigelow by disqualification. That's Bam Bam's debut. We'll play that in a minute. Debbie Combs over Despina Montagas. So are she and Goto married or together yet, or is this where they meet? Probably where they meet. Probably, yeah. Either, either here or Florida, I think. Yeah. Joe LaDuke or Paul Diamond in your battle of Canadians. A little marijuana <laughs> or a little speed or something to make you feel better. 
Built on D over Dutch Mantel by disqualification. Fire and Flame over Austin Idol and Buddy Landell by disqualification. And Southern Tag Titles, Hillbilly Elmer, Stan Frazier, and Jerry Lawler beat the Mod Squad, Spike and Basher, to win the championships. Okay, so remind me. The I forget, was there some kind of loser least town gimmick? That's why Fl- Jody Hamilton, Flame and Continental is Fuego, or is he Fuego? Because we have Flyer and Fire and Flame here, and they don't want to confuse. He did a he did a gimmick in Continental where he where um, he lost his he lost his mask as the Flame, but they okay. never he never unmasked. So he just became okay. El Fuego to pretend. So to when it. he comes back, he's El Fuego under the mask. Did he even pretend he was a different person? No, same gimmick. So he didn't even do the deal he did on Pedicino, on the Pedicino block, where he pretended the assassin and the flame were two different people. Yeah, he was just the, the flame outfit. Yeah. So just another occasion where where Continental screwed people on a stipulation, basically. Just don't care. Yeah, just don't care. But anyway, uh, Bam Bam Bigelow. They're going to play clips of his. Uh, match at the Coliseum, and then he's going to come out on TV. So let's go to Bam Bam's debut on Memphis Television. In the studio. Time as the new AWA Southern... Okay, Bam Bam Bigelow, uh, he's, he, he says, 22 seconds, that ain't nothing. Bring my opponents out. I don't want to be his opponent. I'll do it. in reverse. Uh, we'll reset so, the watch and let's out. see with Bam Bam Bigelow. Here comes uh, Mike Murphy, uh, scheduled to be going against uh, Mike Murphy here. All right, referee says ring the bell. Here we go. Bam Bam Bigelow, upper arm across the back of Mike Murphy, picks him up, slams him down to the mat, goes to the rope, drops down and it covers. One, two, and three. <laughs> he didn't do it. He beat it, didn't he? He did it in 13 seconds. Well, we knew that Bigelow was going to win it. He goes to the top rope. <laughs> down on Mike Murphy. What a splash. Bam Bam. Bigelow in 13 seconds. He destroyed him in 13. What is this? This is from the Monster Factory of Pretty Boy Larry Sharp. We should note he just has a mustache here, no goatee. And those tattoos are pretty fresh, too. <laughs> yes. This is the is the darkest I ever remember seeing them look. Uh, yeah. Where what what was the TV show? It was, it was something about the Monster Factory that has the video of him getting the tattoos, right? Yeah, I don't remember what it was. I forget it. It's around this time, I guess, though, right? And it also JT Southern, I think, is featured in it. Yeah. Can you do a little soft shoe there while yeah. I get this over? <laughs> Coming in, Jameson and Smothers and Haskins help Murphy That's, out yeah. of there. Yeah. And Larry Sharp saying, gentlemen, I'm sorry that I couldn't be here. I've sent along a couple of tapes. If you have time, uh, would you please show them? Well, we had figured on that, Larry, so (laughs) certainly we will do that. And one of them I think you're going to be interested in is, is actually a match that Bigelow had, and it's kind of the first confrontation that Bigelow had with Jerry the King Lawler. Take a look at this.
Is this not voiced over at all? I think it is. is already there we go. Handicap match, Bam Bam Bigelow, 390 pounds out of New Jersey with his manager, Larry Sharp. Look at this. David Haskins in the air. Haskins thrown out onto the Ooh. floor. We're amazingly agile. Definitely not the base guard. Dropping with <laughs> the elbow. It's a one-fall 30-minute handicap match. Your referee, Jerry Calhoun. Look at Bam. no question about it that Bigelow in the first confrontation there got Jerry's attention as he uh, popped him down without a, without too much trouble. He nailed him. Lawler hit him a pretty good lick. Sure but Bigelow is a big rugged son of a gun as you can see and believe me that tattoo on his head tells you that he's got he's got something going. Let's take a listen now to the other tape that Larry Sharp sent down. This yeah. is an interview that Larry had to say. Here I am, the chairman of the board, the owner of the company. And because of that, I don't have time to be there for this one. But you know, Jerry Lawler, if I could buy a plane in order to get there by the time I'd like to be there to see Bam Bam Bigelow do to you exactly what he's been told to from me, the brains, the head honcho. Let me tell you something. Lawler, your days are numbered. I've still got my appeals in. We're changing the top rope rule. My attorneys told me. It's in the bag. You're costing me a lot of work and a lot of money because I owe Dennis a favor. Well, let me tell you something. Whether I'm there or not, or whether Bigelow wrestles you, Landell, or any other redneck geek from your part of the territory, it's all over. It's all over. And we should note real quick, there was an inset of Bigelow doing Hindu squats in the studio while that played. Yeah. Bigelow's sc a scary individual here. Yeah. <laughs> yes. There he was, Larry Sharp, with Bam Bam Bigelow doing those squats all the way along. No doubt, he is an impressive physical specimen, yeah. to say the very least. And when you got somebody like uh, Sharp behind him, who has the monster factory, mm -hmm. as his stationary attests to, uh, you got to worry about it. We'll take time out. More action coming up in a moment. Some of the nuclear splash. Look at the height he gets. All right. So. Something I remember, I think it was Meltzer mentioned in his obituary for Bigelow, that really does stand out when you watch his Memphis run. He should have never switched from the singlet. Nope. Mm-hmm. He, he, 
he could have gone with the flames design, but just do it as the singlet instead of the bodysuit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then he gained too much weight. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you look at him here, I mean, good God. He's massive, and he's doing stuff that he, you know, a guy his size shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. He, he just gained too much weight. That drop kick was amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that first splash that he did in the studio was just just incredible. I mean, no no one that size was doing anything like that in 1986. Yeah, and the top rope, I mean, that was a thing where it was still a DQ mm-hmm. in Memphis. Which, you know, it doesn't get played up like the pile driver DQ does because, I mean... They just didn't have guys doing top row stuff in Memphis that much. Right. So, but yeah. Yeah, Bigelow would have a, you know, a hell of a run here and would come back mm-hmm. and forth to Memphis as time went on. So, yeah, this is his first big run. So, there you go. All right. Well, that is it for the first half of the show. It's now halftime. So, after some great 1986 commercials, we'll cover the halftime where we'll talk about our Patreon at the beginning and then we'll talk about it. IWTV, we'll hit the plugs, and then we'll come back where O'Connor will rejoin us, and we'll go to Bill Watts' Universal Wrestling Federation where they're shooting some big angles on, on the TV tapings. We'll talk about that. We got a wild story in World Class involving Blackjack Mulligan and uh, Central States, which I know uh, will pique the interest of one Robert O'Connor, and then we'll have so much more after the break. Only the most advanced watch factory in the world can offer you the first solar-powered, battery-free analog watch for less than $60. It's a Loris. Loris, more watch than humanly possible for less than $60. Nothing makes your day like helping others make it on their own. You bring out the pride we all feel inside. It's going to be easy next week. It's more than just a job you do. You make America work and this bus for you. Good Here's to you, Beachwood Age, for that clean, crisp taste that says Budweiser. This bus for you. What do you need to make a payday? Peanut. To make chocolatey payday? Peanut. And how many peanuts does it take? It takes a lot of peanuts. It takes a lot of peanuts. It takes a lot of peanuts. And if you really love peanuts, you're going to love payday, too. Regular or chocolatey. It takes a lot of peanuts. To make a payday candy bar. Only Wolfenized prosciutto-treated lumber has the diamond number. It's your lifetime guarantee against termites and decay. The diamond is worth looking for. Championship Wrestling's strongest tag team, Boris Sukov and the Barbarian, highlight an AWA two hour special Tuesday on ESPN. Plus, the teams of Colonel De Beers and Nick Bockwinkle collide in a six man free for all Tuesday night at 9 Eastern on ESPN. You know, a big wheeler dealer like me has to keep up on sports. 
And what's a better deal than picking up a copy of Sports Illustrated? Uh, you see... Sir, I got a better deal. Right, kid. You see, Sports Illustrated gives me the Sports feeling Sports of... Illustrated gave me this Football Follies video cassette. 44 minutes of football's funniest moments. And it's free with my paid subscription. Free? Come on. I also got one half off your newsstand price. 27 action-packed weeks for three installments of just $9.79 each. Plus, I get their famous swimsuit issue and this NFL schedule. Free. Just call this toll-free number. You can even use your credit card. Okay, okay, let's get this straight. They get over 50% off the special issues, the schedule, and the free NFL tape. Now, see, kid? That's a great deal. Gee, sir, you're right. Yeah, yeah, I am. Oh, Sports Illustrated? I want to renegotiate. Sports Illustrated. Get the feeling. Call now. 1-800-221-5900. Tuesday, an ESPN Slams and Jams special. The L.A. Thunderbirds get the drop on the Bombers in a hair-pulling, back-breaking roller derby war. Both teams' colors will become black and blue. Then championship wrestling's strongest tag teams. Boris Zukov and the Barbarian headline an AWA show of shows. See the teams of Colonel De Beers and Nick Bockwinkle knock heads in a six-man free-for-all. Tuesday night Slams and Jams starting at 8 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. This nerd is in for a blast, a frosty Benaka blast, a quick blast of fresh breath that can send your head to places everybody dreams of going. Is this yours? The Benaka blast. A freshly painted wall doesn't tend to stay that way. Wash your hands before... Oh. But if you paint with Lucite wall paint, that darn transmission, Lucite's special formula helps keep dirt on the surface. When dirt doesn't penetrate, it's easy to wash off. Red is pretty. So to help keep your walls looking freshly painted, despite the test of time and family, use Lucite, the paint that lasts and lasts. Ice cream is crunches. Ice cream? Oh, and it crunches. Ice cream. <laughs> That's why I love Nestle Crunch. Nestle Crunch ice cream bars are scrunchious. That's why we love Nestle Crunch. It took me years of stretching to get this kind of flexibility. Painful stretching. Inconvenient partner stretching. But now there's a new safer method. One that you can do anywhere and at any time by yourself. With results you can measure. It's the Power Stretch, a biomechanical breakthrough to greater flexibility from Trico products. With the Power Stretch, you'll kick higher, faster, and stronger. Or my name isn't Superfoot. In the Power Stretch, your muscles relax the way they should for strain-free stretching of specific muscle groups with improvement you can measure daily. The Power Stretch features this exclusive two-stage stretching system, and it's guaranteed tough. To order your Power Stretch, call toll-free 1-800-368-2224. Order during this special karate event and we'll give you these handsome sweats, a $29.95 value absolutely free. For your free brochure, The Power of Stretching, call toll-free 1-800-227-3800. Call now. Stretch it to the limit with Power Stretch. All right, we're back. Hope you enjoyed those great 1986 commercials as we pivot to the halftime segment of the show. Where we'll begin talking about our Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets. And yes, we have started on part three of Titan Gate 1992. And boy, what a show this is already, as we're over halfway through recording the show. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, we, we continue basically with a lot of the, the stuff that we've talked about. 
with some new information, mainly regarding Mel Phillips and Murray Hodgson. And, uh, yeah, the Mel Phillips thing goes a whole lot deeper than what we were really thinking about. And probably we should have knew it from the start, but you're going to be, uh, definitely, uh, I don't know what the word would be for this, but when you were listening to this, I mean, it's disturbing to think about what all this man did you know because it did it's not just revolving around wrestling let's put that the way. scope of it yeah the scope is a whole lot bigger than what we what we realized so you'll have news on that and murray hodgson being complete bitch <laughs> a sociopathic <laughs> bitch so we'll have a we'll have news on that too plus we'll talk a lot more about steroids and we'll have the drama between Vince Russo and John Arezzi, which is something else, too, uh, including Bix uh, reenacting uh, a conversation with Vince Russo and John Arezzi as Vince Russo. Well, I don't so, do an impression, uh, though. Well, close. You're close enough. But we got that, and uh, there'll be a whole lot more. So $5 a month. Patreon.com slash Twin Sheets. You get access to that. And all the other shows we've done, including the other two that we've done on Titan Gate 92, which you definitely need to listen to as context to build up for part three. So we got a, a lot of shows, 68 shows. This is show number 69. And um, yeah, so there's a, a ton of shows up. Six, almost six full years of audio and other stuff that we've done in, in, the, in the past as well. It's uh, extremely worth that $5. So uh, do that. Patreon.com slash between the sheets gets you access to all that dollar month gets you access to the uh discord and thanks to the summit which we're doing just a second 25 dollars allows you pick a show for the week now when you do that have a couple of shows in your mind just in case the show you may want could be picked by somebody else or uh, something that we've done in the future i mean done in the past excuse me so um yeah have two shows in mind just in case and uh, if you got any questions on that, then let one of us know, and we'll get you straightened out the best we can. Uh, follow, follow the protocol on the Patreon website to get this information to fix. Always remember that we have the 10-year rule in effect. We got 30-day rule in effect. We got a lot going on. So uh, follow that, and you'll be good to go. $50 allows you to send in the first segment of that show if you choose. You don't have to. $100 as well. You can send it for the whole show if you choose. You don't have to. So, um, patreon.com slash between the sheets. Um, we're growing and we want to grow more. So, uh, get the word out there. Yeah. All right, Bix, who do we have to think this week as our new and or returning patrons? We've got a bunch. Um, this might be Love the most to hear we've that. ever had for this time of the month. I'm get, I, I wonder why. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> it, got, this uh, is the news. It's, yes. it's interesting. It's interesting. The timing has happened where, uh, this this series that we've been doing and what's been going on in 2022 yeah and, and we talk about it on this show i mean the more things change the more they stay the same because you'll hear some stuff on this show that is you know eerily reminiscent of what's going on today yep so anyway who have to thank fix all right we'd like to thank dan jones thanks dan andrew swope thanks andrew dan k thanks dan k Lee Thompson. Thanks, Lee. Jamie McLeave. Thanks, Jamie. 
Chris, it's either Cubas or Kubas, I guess. One or the other. Thanks, Chris. Doug Edwards. Thanks, Doug. Scott Brown. Thanks, Scott. Um, let's just say an AEW television personality with a Chikara background. Oh, well, that could be a few people. So uh, whoever you are, we definitely want to thank you and uh, spread the word out to your coworkers. Yeah. Well, let's have more AEW uh, patrons on here. So, uh, yes. And by the way, folks, I know who he's talking about because he briefed me before this segment. So this is the uh, the happy medium that we agreed to because, you know, I mean – there are people in the business that sometimes, and, and we don't know this for sure, but, but there are people in the business that may not want, you know, their name out there for being patrons of a Patreon such as ours. So we're just playing it safe. But yeah, yes, the last time I, I did it, it was as a precaution too when we were going through the. Yes, because I mean, there are WWE personnel too that's in, that that listens and stuff like that. So. Well, we, you know, we don't want to, you know, impede on anything. And uh, another thing too is, yes, we we definitely appreciate anybody that is a uh, employee of any major wrestling promotion. And you know, I could see some people say that, oh, you guys are just you 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 put you you're naming so and so name drop and blah blah blah. So I don't want that type of charge either. All right. So, but yes, we definitely uh, appreciate you, uh, Chikara Legend. Yes, and there are plenty of those. So, yes, there's plenty of those in AEW. That's why. That's why I told Bix that's where we're going to go with that because uh, because there's quite a few to choose from. It's not so obvious. Yes, and thank you, Joe Sposto, presumably for telling this person to listen. Well, Joe Sposto got in touch with Leonard F. Chikarison, who told that person to listen. Yeah, Diamond Joe Chikarison. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, we would also like to thank Corey Bouchard. Thank you, Corey. Johnny Hickey. Thanks, Johnny Hickey. And Anthony Pope. Thanks, Anthony. Anthony. We uh, thank you, uh, your new patrons, you old patrons, patrons that's been there from the beginning, patrons that's come along the way. We thank everyone for being a member of patreon.com slash between the sheets. And again, like I said, tell friends this is an important time in wrestling history a lot of scandal going on there's a lot of scandal going on in the past so you want to get learned up on the past because uh it's always good to have that context so yes patreon.com slash between the sheets all right bix iwtv it's your time to shine so what is uh, going on iwtv this week yeah speaking of chikara adjacent people iwtv so yes, uh, not much new added in terms of on demand this week, but plenty of live streams coming up this week. You know, after the show drops, as always, uh, Monday when this comes out, of course, there is season four of Uncharted Territory, the Southeast first season from beautiful Red Bank, Tennessee, and they've got uh, Last Man Standing match headlining with Suge D against Damian Tangra, friend show Kevin Koo against J D Drake, which should be a heck of a match. Channing Thomas, Anthony Henry. Tank Jaden versus Jaden Newman, and uh, much more. So, nice-looking uh, episode of Uncharted Territory again there. Have you been yes. watching it all? Uh, well, we record on Mondays, so not really. But, I mean, I see what's going on. 
I've uh, I've caught I've seen clips and stuff like that. I haven't sat and watched any full shows. No. Okay. Yeah, I try to remember to put some of it on in the background, and then when we didn't finish recording, watch the rest and maybe catch some on. But I mean, from what I've seen, and like I said, I've seen clips. I haven't, like I said, watched full stuff, but I've seen the clips and stuff that's put out there, and it, it looks like a uh, a very well run production and a lot of good stuff going on. A lot of great talent on on those shows, and uh, yeah, the crew is uh, definitely done very well, and uh, since they've taken over uncharted territory so uh props everybody involved for uh doing a good job yes as far as weekly uh shows booked by death valley driver message board alums who where would you say it ranks well Um, uh, based on what you've read about the book i know you haven't watched i'm kidding anyway but (laughs) i'm kidding anyway but well uncharted territory uncharted territory i mean in that basically just you know there's not really a lot of you know episodic angles going on there is there they it's are. Been they've, been doing a, they, nah, they've been doing a good bit of stories oh okay all right i, I just see, like I say, see the clips there's so much shit going on <laughs> and, and this is and this is the time of year where I, you know a lot of a lot of sports are going on so wow. that's going to get that's going to get my attention you know baseball's hot and heavy uh we've had the nhl playoffs finals the NBA Finals, so and now uh, USFL's been going on, Canadian football's going on, so sports is going to get my attention, you know, right now anyway, so, uh, and I got all my old wrestling that I, I try my best to watch, I don't watch nearly enough of that that I need a catalog, and I got a whole shitload of that left to, left to, to watch, so I, I got a lot going on. Hell, it took me a while to watch it, uh, to uh, do the next Wild Side show I had to watch uh, stuff to catch up on that. I put that off for a, a few weeks because, I mean, you got to remember, I work a 40-hour-a-week job. <laughs> so I have that, too. I have a, a job. I have to do this. Mm-hmm. And then I have, you know, a life. So, yeah, I mean, there's only so much time in the day. Yeah. If we can get that extra, if we can get that extra six to eight hours a day, then, yeah, I'd, I'd be doing really good. But. Sadly, what if you tried to live a 25-hour day like Kota Ibushi, though? Uh, no. No, I'm not able to do that. And you know, I do need to get some sleep. Yeah. So I try to sleep. Some people can function without sleep. I'm not Vincent Mann. Yes. Anyway. So, um, so Thursday, uh, the 22nd, besides Wrestling Open, there's going to be a live stream from AFU Hardcore in Southern Illinois, Headlined by the deathmatch we were all expecting, John Wayne Murdoch versus Billy Starks. Well, I mean, she's uh, she's graduating into that environment, I guess, now, Pix. So, I, hey, I whatever. So. That's her call. No, I'm not saying she wants to do it. Let her do it. it. I, it, it, it no, it's I'm a surprising match. Anyway. Yeah, saying she wants to do it. Let her do it. Uh, Freelance has a show also on Thursday. Gee, okay. Three live streams on a Thursday. That's a lot. Well, there's a lot of re- a lot of wrestling going on right now. I know. Um, at least on the IWTV side, only thing announced so far is the uh, I guess the headliner of Bussy against GPA and Laney Luck. So there's that. Uh, ICW No Holds Barred has a Friday show. Does it say where this one is? Oh, this one's in uh, Michigan, and it includes. Uh, Eric Ryan defending his title against Joel Bateman. Uh, what was the other thing? Oh, no, I was thinking of something I saw in one of the other shows. That's the headliner. And then also, 
they have the pit uh, on Friday, which is a it says a Friday at eleven fifty nine. Okay, so late night Friday show, um, which includes Eric Ryan, John Wayne Murdoch, plus what was else? Oh, Tank in Action against the Carver. Wait, are they doing? They must be doing three shows this weekend because there was something else I saw that was interesting. Uh, Freelance also has a Saturday show. Um, and their usual slot of 9 Eastern, 8 Central, including Calvin Tankman versus Shane Mercer. Uh, okay, there it is. Yeah, so the, uh, Saturday at 8 Eastern, uh, ICW has a show that... Wait, Jesus, are they doing a Sunday show? Are they doing four shows next week? What the fuck? Okay, so that includes John Wayne Murdoch, Joel Bateman, and more, and then... Oh, and you're talking about me trying to catch up on all these shows. Like, all these fucking indie shows you're talking about. Well, I, mean, I, I enjoy up? some death matches, and I'll watch some of those. I mean, how, I mean but how can you get caught up? Well, I know, but I was going <laughs> to say, with ICW, I tend to watch it selectively just because even if it has people I like, the whole, the shows run together because they're basically all death match. But uh, this one also has Brandon Kirk versus Akira, which should be good. And what was the one I had open that I cl- – there was something that had Kaplan booked – Kaplan from AIW booked on one of the deathmatch shows, but now I can't remember which show it was. And I, if I had it up, I overlooked it. But anyway, that's that's the live streams for this week. And like I said, n- not much new on uh, on demand besides adding the previous week's live streams, like the Pro Wrestling Vibe shows, which uh, I did not get to check out. Uh, Paris is bumping yet, so I should probably make an effort to watch that. But anyway, if you're not already a subscriber, use code BTSPOD when you subscribe, and we will get a referral fee for as long as you stay a paid subscriber. So, independentwrestling.tv code BTSPOD. Alright. So, yeah, support them. You know what else you should support? Private Internet Access. Yeah. Today's episode of Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. Even if you use incognito mode, your internet service provider is storing your browsing data many times even selling it. The private internet access can help. Private internet access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network admin. And with servers in over 75 countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private internet access comes with easy-to-use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and it was just ranked the fastest damn VPN in the world by PC Mag. No one is better. And if you sign up with private internet access right now, you could take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. Let's go over that, shall we? We have three plans we offer. You get a monthly plan if you want to do that for eleven ninety five a month straight. You can do a yearly plan. That's $3.33 a month. thirty nine ninety five a year. Or you can go for the three-year, four-free-month plan. 83% off. The best damn deal they offer. $1.98 a month. $79 for three years. Insane. Insane deal, folks, for such a great product that Private Internet Access gives you. Because it's trusted by millions of satisfied customers. All the great stuff it has on there. That strict no-law policy, 100% open source, easy configuration, built-in ad blocking, 24-7 customer support, all the advanced features, which is like a kill switch, split tunneling, torrent support, highly flexible settings, so much more. So much more. And it's so much more inexpensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. 
if you get it right now, you can get that 30-day risk-free challenge they offer. Try it out for 30 days, see if you like it. If not, just turn it for a full refund. How do you get this, you ask? Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash twin sheets. You go there, you download it, you get to try the best damn VPN on the planet completely risk-free. Risk-free, folks. There's nothing, nothing better than that. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, we go back to 1995, where we'll have uh, news on with my baby tonight making its debut on World Wrestling Federation Television. We'll have, we'll talk about that, and we'll have uh, Dave Meltzer being uh, kind of critical on the WF using their uh, support of the Special Olympics on television. He see he says he sees through sees through what they're doing. So we'll have news on that. We got Smoky Mountain Wrestling. We'll have news there regarding uh, a few things going on there. Uh, Rock and Roll Express Peach 13 getting red hot in Memphis. We'll talk about that. We'll have a uh, big weekend in ECW. Uh, big show in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, and Hardcore Heaven at the arena, which had, I guess, maybe the first internet convention and featured some stuff involving New Jack that Jim Cornette had to speak out about. And we got news in the world of Lucha, including a uh, Triple Mania show in AAA, plus news on them returning to Los Angeles. We got all uh, the Japanese news that you would want and a World Championship Wrestling. We have a major shakeup in, uh, in their promotion as we have a brand new head booker. And Eric Bischoff goes on uh, Chet Topic show on sports, on a. Uh, I can't think of the net talk sport. Wasn't it talk sport? I'm losing my, I'm losing new it right sport. now. Big. New sport, excuse me. I don't know why I couldn't think of that, but check topic show on new sport and so much more. So, uh, should be quite a show next week. Doesn't like we're going to have a guest because, uh, I forgot in doing, uh, not only do we have a Patreon show to do, I have an Exxon bash street to record. So yeah. So, uh, no guests on the show next week. Sorry. And speaking all. of, <laughs> and speaking of uh, Exile, uh, we'll be doing the latest episode of Exile on Bad Street, Walk on the Wild Side. I'll be recording that next week. So we'll talk more about that on this show next week and the plugs. But yes, we'll be talking about a very, very interesting month of March 2002, including Wildside doing their two-night extravaganza. Take that, WWE and New Japan. So uh, yeah, me... I'll be doing that with Dan and uh, Jeff, and they'll be back for the show, and it should be quite the show. So be on lookout for that. All right, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R. Show proper at BT Sheets Pod. Bix at David Bix. And uh, Bix, what's going on in your world this week? Uh, I guess it might be somewhat obsolete by the time people hear this, but I'll have Obsolete? Some... Uh, I can't remember <laughs> the lyrics to the stupid Jeff Hardy song. Or else I'd do that. But anyway. Um, but I have something about Poor Forbidden Jeff. Door. and Yeah, but still, the song is fun. Um, where was I going? About Forbidden Door and how it's kind of underwhelming on paper in various ways, even setting the injuries aside, including if you compare it to G1 Supercard from three years ago, of all things. So looking at that, maybe I'll have something coming out of the pay-per-view. You know, we'll see with that um, at Fanbyte for all of that. 
fan bite or fan what's that fan bite or fan fight in there in there it's, fan it's, fight it's fan bite fan b-y-t-e and i don't know if they have a separate domain for it but they have a separate twitter to promote the wrestling stuff that's fan fight f-y-t-e okay all right all right well there everybody go look out for that when bix has that all right well that's it for us let's get back to the rest of the show all right, let's travel to the west side now, and we'll begin with the Universal Wrestling Federation. First time on the most recent TV taping in Tulsa on June 22nd, saw Terry Gordy wrestle Dr. Destiny Williams for the UWF Championship in what was actually a great match, with the ropes breaking at one point, matching in the doubles qualification when Bill Watts and Michael Hayes interfered. Yes, this match was... Tremendous. So let's uh, watch this, shall we, as everything starts heating up here towards the end. The great All-American from Oklahoma University. He knows it's on the line, and Bam Bam Kissing coming in with a kick to the solar plexus. Michael Hayes now is dangerous. He's coaching at ringside. Hayes is on a different plane than most, but there you see, there's Cowboy Bill Watts, Dr. Nesty Williams' mentor, and Watts is now going to the ring. Things are definitely even now. The big cowboy from Bixby, Oklahoma. Incurring his protege, encouraging Dr. Death. And Dr. Death with a clothesline. These two phenomenal athletes have hammered and hammered each other for the UWF Heavyweight Championship. And the doctor's back on his feet. And it is a dogfight. with a tremendous tackle and it took not only Gordy out but the referee there's Cowboy Bill Watts circling to get Tommy Gilbert up back up in the ring Bam Bam has taken a pounding from the doctor what a tackle he is awesome what an awesome athlete is Dr. Death and Michael Hayes has tripped Dr. Death from the outside and Michael Hayes is, and there's a Cowboy Cowboy Bill Watts walking tall with the right hand. But there's no referee inside, and this thing is breaking down. Dr. Death got Bam Bam up. He's carrying him around. He's 295. And there's a stampede. The Cowboys counting him. Yes, sir. Michael Hayes back in the ring with no referee. This thing is breaking down into a brawl. Cowboy Bill Watts came with his man. Watts hammers Bam Bam. Little Watts, woo! What a right hand! And this crowd loves it. And the Freebirds. They better get back to Bad Spring. Look at those two athletes. Well, wait a minute, ladies and gentlemen. Here comes All right, boss. All right, so because that's going to segue into what we're going to talk about next. Um... The top rope broke early in the match. So they had to, they fixed the rope as the match was still going. That's why if you, when you watch at the end of the match here, everything looks fine. But yeah, I mean, they dock, I think it was docked through Gordy into the corner so fucking hard, either or, either or that it knocked the top rope completely off. <laughs> and, um, yeah, this was their first singles match, definitely on television. And um, man, you could just see here that 
these two guys, they were they had some great chemistry for immediately, and they would be linked together, whether it be against each other or tagging together for the next few years. So uh, a natural rivalry, so to speak, Bix. Battle of the Bulls. Absolutely. Yes. Um, yeah, and they would have they had another one in Little Rock three months later that aired on television. Another awesome match. And I think they had another TV match before it was said and done. I think they had in January, TV. I yeah. think. Yes, new, the New Year's Eve, the New Year's Eve taping or New Year's Day, whatever. Yeah. So they had three TV matches before the UWF called it quits. But uh, but yeah, it's just. Some great shit here. And uh, O'Connor, how about that Bill Watts, huh? He uh, he could, sure could throw them punches, couldn't he? <laughs> yes. Yeah, that was a, a great ref bump by Tommy Gilbert as well. Thomas Edward Gilbert yes. Sr., yes. <laughs> very, very believable looking. But yeah, this was great stuff. Two big guys who could work. You got a red-hot crowd. A motivated Jim Ross. Yes. At his best. So, uh, well, that wasn't all that took place. Well, a quick question for you two, though, before we get to the yeah. other part of the angle. Um, would you guys agree with me that Doc and Gordy had better tem- chemistry as opponents than as a team? Yes. Yes. Okay. Just wanted to make sure. I mean, they were great. They were still great individual workers, but I don't... I mean, they they didn't really have too many signature double team moves like they didn't yeah uh, I'll, I'll say this hansen and gordy was better than doc and gordy mm-hmm. yes I, well i'll say this too i think doc and gordy were a better team in wcw than they were in all japan i agree with that too mm-hmm. i don't think the way they were trying to work at the time really fit the all japan style at the time that well i agree yeah, with they, that as well they felt like two great workers but i don't know they never really felt like a great team i guess and i'll say this you know i say hansen and gordy's better than doc and gordy i'll I'll go out on the limb and say it i think doc and johnny ace is a better team than doc and gordy oh doc and johnny ace would be teaming up a little bit later on in the 90s i thought they i thought they had better matches as a team in all japan don't All know Japan if you want to be getting on that the Johnny Ace bandwagon <laughs> right now. But. <laughs> what about what about uh, Doc and Said Man Cedric Crane? Were they a better tag team? <laughs> well, 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 Johnny Ace it was on. It was the, the other shoe was on the on the, on the foot, and that when that time period, he was the talent that was uh, being uh, sexually involved with the management. So, Aww, <laughs> we don't know that. <laughs> he was the talent, not the man. Actually, you know what though. If that is true, and, you know, there have been the rumors and jokes, I'm not saying it doesn't justify anything. It does kind of cast everything in a different light, doesn't it? If he had been through that and it had been normalized to him. Yeah. yeah. John, exactly. Johnny, Johnny was the toy in that case. <laughs> yes. Yes, he was. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So also that night, Bill Watts uh, started the few of the free birds that we heard there. Uh, Dave says, artists should be lots of fun because Watts and Michael Hayes are two of the best around on interviews and hyping a feud up. It all started on Watts had a match with Blade Runner Stink, Steve Borden, who incidentally is getting better. Dave said, I wish he could say that same for his partner. <laughs> and if Watts won, he would get five minutes alone, not the Pantera song, with Eddie Gilbert. 
So let's go to uh, that clip, shall we? And see how all this plays out. this past week in Jackson, Mississippi, Mr. Cowboy Bill Watts took it upon himself to come into the ring with a baseball bat. Comments, ladies and gentlemen, from Hot Stuff, Eddie Gilbert. And Cowboy Bill Watts. Naturally, born in the USA. Cowboy is back, no doubt about that, and he's on his way to the ring, ready for war. Wait, why is it naturally saying Bill Watts wanted to go kill the yellow man? <laughs> well, it's born in the USA, of course, uh... That's the popular song here at the time. Doc and DiBiase were using it, so yeah. he's he's now using it as well. So is he just... Bill, Bill never read the lyrics either. No. Is he just formally unretired at this point? It's this summer. It's this summer. So he's always doing the summer angles. Yeah, yeah. Because hey, we already... Had, well, I guess Korchenko being on and stuff changed things too, but... Well, I mean, Summer 85, he does, you know, the Duggan fireball angle, he comes back. Yeah. Summer 85... Well, it was summer 84. No, spring 84 was less stampede. Yeah. Yeah, spring 8. Well, yeah, spring. But still, every year he does something. Yeah. Well, he hadn't done 81, 82, 83, though, right? No. No. Was it 8? Was I forget. Did he wrestle in 80? 84, 85, 86. Did he wrestle in 80, or was it he retired after in early 80? Oh, he wrestled in 80 in Georgia. No, but in Mid South. Uh, Yes, I guess Freebirds. And JYD, him, that's right. Robles. Yes, 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 yes. Go ahead, O'Connor. What were you going to hey. say? Go ahead. Next, would you say this was Eddie Gilbert's uh, boogaloo boy phase? <laughs> the Hawaiian shirt, sunglasses. Uh, well, I don't think you would say that about 36 years well, he, ago. He's called, he, well, he was uh, working with the Russians. <laughs> no, but I've never heard anything about Eddie Gilbert that would suggest that he wanted a race war. Well, uh, unlike certain people who may be employed by World Wrestling Entertainment, but that's a different story. <laughs> well, Terry Taylor was in the from the time. So. <laughs> and he has this cowboy belt with him. And I know the fans watching at home are certainly. 
front of these this tremendous crowd here at the Tulsa Convention Center. Hope that that belt does not come into play. They want to see the Cowboy get five minutes with hot stuff, Eddie Gilbert. survived he has been to battle with the biggest names in professional wrestling and he is still it's on one last long big back. mean going. cowboy don't ever doubt it one bit sting the young lion the only man left in hot stuff international cowboy bill watch for that tackle he also played football for the university of oklahoma dr sd williams has picked up a lot of tricks from the big cowboy Remember, stipulations in this television match. Can you believe it right here on television, on the UWF and nowhere else but the UWF? You're going to see something like this, ladies and gentlemen. Collar and elbow tie-up. Watts backing Sting into those ropes now. And the young man with a phenomenal physique is in dire straits. And the Cowboy... Sting, Sting tied up in those ropes. Watch a slap right to the face. That's 300 pounds, and Eddie Gilbert's trying to get his man. And watch with a short ride, and Gilbert is down. Down and to the floor. Watch now. Controlling Sting. Back in, Sting. Watts has got some. He really threw that young man with some velocity into that center turnbuckle, and the cowboy has got him up, and that means that it's a stampede. and 
Randy Gilbert, and I mean he is whipping him bad. Well, wait a minute, ladies and gentlemen, here come the Freebirds. Watson's got the belt, and all three Freebirds in the ring with a cowboy. And now Steve's back in the ring. They got a ring full against the cowboy. The Freebirds have come to the ring, and boy, we've got a tense situation at ringside. Chavo, who just springboarded into the yes. ring. Yes, yes. Duggan is kicking away at Bam Bam Gordy. Terry Taylor, but Watts has had the Oriental spike on him for so long, and Watts is laying motionless. The Freebirds came to the ring with Gilbert. We're going to keep it right here. Watts. has been, I mean, brutalized by the Freebirds. I've never seen anybody with the Oriental, I've never seen Goody with the Oriental Spike on anybody. Like, he had it on Watts for such a long period of time. The people are standing in its hush. Watts bleeding from the mouth. Eternal bleeding. The cowboy bit the rubber there. <laughs> he sure did. <laughs> Again, 1986 UWF, folks. I mean, as good as it gets when it comes to uh, episodic television. Yes. And uh, Ross, like I said, is just amazing at getting everything over and how he portrays everything. And um, what can you say? It's, it's just tremendous stuff. And the best thing to happen to Sting was all those guys leaving. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> Steiner gets added to the crew, and Sting and Gilbert become the regular tag team until, you know, Rick joins up. And it's the best thing to happen to Sting's career. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it's... Dave said that uh, Sting was getting better, which I uh, could say the same for his partner, which... Uh, <laughs> Are arguably still the case all these years later. He's uh, things getting better. His partner's uh, really flatlined the past few years. <laughs> but uh, it's crazy to think, if my math is correct, uh, Bill Watts was 47 here. Yes. And Sting today, what is he? 63. I believe. Yes. So, so a decade yes. and a half older yes. than Bill Watts was in this clip. Yes, we age different now. We sure do. <laughs> we do. All right, uh, I'm going to read what Dave says here. One thing funny about all this, uh, it'll work good, and crowds will at least stay decent and good. But if angles like this, they've been running lately, particularly this one, we're running 1983, you know, before the wrestling resurgence, Watts will be selling every building he's going to. With Ted DiBiase and Steve Williams leaving for Japan before anyone gets this, it looks like Watts and Duggan will feud with the birds. Um... Yeah, that's the thing. This this television here, like I said, is fantastic. Great television. And hot crowds in Tulsa. But business around the territory is is going down. And it's not because of the wrestling, per se. It's because of the economy. You know, I mean, that, that that's what really was hurting them a lot. And we talk about it a lot on these shows, you know, with UWF. I mean... It's just, it was a shitty break for them to put up, to be having what they're having going on here and not able to do the business that they could they could be doing. Vix, mm-hmm. uh, what are your thoughts on this? Which part? I did the whole thing, the business thing. Um, so what do you attribute that to? Do you attribute that to the oil bust or what? I mean, that's a major factor, but there's other things too. And, and I mean, and let's be honest, I mean, it, it's also recycling of angles that have been at previously in world class. Yes. So, I mean, there's a lot going on here, you know, but the economy is definitely something that you cannot deny was a major issue in that part of the world. Right. But it didn't really affect business for the major sports teams at all in the in that region. <sighs> Well, okay. Well, give me the region, the whole region. I, it's been a long time, but in terms of major sports teams in Mid-South cities, they weren't the really affected. Saints, hmm. Oilers. Just a, Saints had just been for sale. Uh, yeah. Tom, Benson and, Tom Benson bought them, and they just had their first ever winning – they had their first ever winning season in 87. Um. So that helped too. Um, let's see if I can find their attendance in '86. Uh, I'm curious to see what their attendance would be. All right. Um, I mean, it doesn't have any concrete numbers. Wait a minute. Here we go. Let's see. Okay. No, there's a page for, but there's no numbers. But I mean, they. I'm, I, the numbers I do see here for a couple of games. They were doing less than 50,000 fans at the Superdome. Okay. Um, Dallas Cowboys, you can't compare uh, because they're, Dal- they're Dallas Cowboys. Houston Oilers, 
Um, okay, this is has a, this has attendance. It's on Houston in the Astrodome. Um, so you're looking at uh. 54, 46, 43, 42, 41, 46, 53, 41, 43, 32. Okay. Yeah, their, their home games are, some of these home games are rough towards the end of season. Yeah, November and December of 86. And mind you, they were not a great team. They finished 5 and 11. But November 9th, home, 32,130. November 23rd, home, 31,792. November 4th, December 14th, home, 32,738. December 21st, 31,309. So at the end of the year, their attendance starts tanking. The same time that the wrestling attendance uh-huh. starts going downhill. So there's something there. Hmm. There's something the Ad- there. The Astros were good that year. I remember that. 86 was when they went to the uh, National League Championship Series yeah. and they lost to the Mets. Yes. So, I mean, yeah, they had a strong team that year. But, uh, I mean, it, it, it's part of the problem. It's not the problem. It's not the only problem. It's part of the problem. Sure. That's, that's, mm-hmm. And that's the thing. A lot of people, when when talking about UWS downfall and world classes downfall, the world classes are not – they'll attribute that more to creative. But UWF – is a lot of creative problems too, and losing talent. They could, I mean, you know, you look at the end of the year, Duggan's got, has to go, Fantastics have to go, because they can't afford to pay them. Yeah, everyone's so, contracts got breached. That part's not that well known. Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot going on. But anyway, the TV's awesome, so at least we have that. Now, Dave said one thing which looks terrible when they do run-ins is that security leaves the wrestlers in. Dave's heard enough stories about Tulsa to know that it's necessary, but it sure looks stupid on television. The second hour, I saw Ted, Terry Taylor, Teddy Biasi, and Jim Duggan go get some free birds and about, which is still going on when TV time expired. Um, it said Korchenko was said to be injured at the taping. Dave knows he has a bad knee, but he may be gone as well. <laughs> All right, the full results of he the... He had a, a bad everything. <laughs> <laughs> the full results of the uh, taping. Terry Taylor retained his TV title over to Libyan. Then Gordian Dot, Watson Sting. So that's, that's your hour TV. Oh, and uh, Coco, Coco Beware over Gustavo Mendoza. And the missing link over Jack Victory. Then you got Chavo Guerrero over Kim Massey. Sting over Brett Sawyer. Missing link over Kamala by disqualification. Mm-hmm. Dream match. <laughs> Fantastic over to Libyan and Gustavo Mendoza, and then Duggan, DiBiase, and Taylor going to a draw with the Freebirds. So, yeah. I mean, there's Japanese tours, too. That's another thing. You couldn't get momentum. If DiBiase hadn't been a regular going to All Japan and they put the UWF title on him, that might have changed some stuff. Would you agree with that, Bix? Yes, but as I always point out with this, the UWF contracts were structured so that being able to keep Japan was a selling point. That you were making guaranteed money and keeping your Japanese tour money. So for that not to have happened, Watts would have had to do things completely differently. And who knows if he even holds on to these guys if that happens. Or maybe they just would have been like, hey, give him the title. We'll we'll say he's going to Japan to defend the title. Wasn't that supposed to be a world heavyweight title? Hmm. You know? I get what you're saying. Well, it was a universal title. Yes, yes, universal. So use it to your advantage. 
make your promotion seem even more of a uh, a big deal. All right, let's continue. John Tatum has entered the area this week. He almost went to work for Eddie Sharkey's PWA. And he talked to him, but they never agreed on dates. Misty huh? Hyatt has joined UWF along with Tatum as they showed up at the TV tapes in Tulsa and started a few with the missing Lincoln Dark Journey with Jack Victory joining them as a trio. Okay, there's got to be something lost in translation with that story because he's not going from a full-time territory to work for PWA unless there was some way he thought he could wait out the bullshit contract he had with Fritz. That's probably what it was. He was going to just work some days for Eddie because Eddie's on a full-time deal. He just has run shows. Well, I think it was TV. It was either TV or TV that aired in um, in Dallas was the issue. I have it somewhere. I can find it. Um, but I, I, I don't know if there was a time frame on it. Though. That's what I'm trying to refresh my memory on. And World Class had been, you know, that was airing in the Twin Cities. So Looking. he had a name from, the, from there, for sure. So Right. But still a little weird. Let me see if I can find this here. As I pull up the folder where I have that stuff. Because I know, now I have the other lawsuit. But let me see. <laughs> Move on while I look for this, I guess. Well, I was going to go to a con or a... This is a double-edged sword for Tatum because it ended up being the best movie could make and the worst movie could have made. <laughs> yeah, outside the ring. Yes. Well, yeah, I think we we covered the week with his uh, car wreck. I think. Yeah, that that which is the biggest one, but also him and Missy breaking up. <laughs> well, yes, I, I'd say that was inevitable anyway. But so he, I mean, he lost a, he lost his girlfriend, and it was a vehicular homicide. <laughs> yes. yes. Okay, I found it. Um, so this is what the one-page contracts with Fritz said, okay? Um, so agreement, okay. Effective date, Southwest Sportsbooks, Pro Wrestlers, blah, blah, blah. Okay, continues until terminated by either party by giving notice to the other. Uh, says they're an independent contractor, provide services at engagements booked by Southwest Sports as a professional wrestler and in related functions as Southwest Sports arranges, including TV and other media appearances. If the wrestler fails to complete or conduct himself to the standard as required by Southwest Sports, Southwest Sports may, as an option, terminate this contract, uh, furnish his own personal equipment, blah, 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 blah. Uh, okay, I, I, let's see, where is the exclusivity? Uh, waiving video rights and stuff, TV exposure. I don't know if there's a... Okay. Here we go. Uh, professional, the wrestler, and sports, Southwest Sports. Recognize the TV exposure is important in establishing a wrestler in a market uh, where a wrestler has been... Okay, so where a... New sentence. Where a wrestler has been booked by sports in the Texas market for four weeks or more with television exposure, professional grants to Southwest Sports the exclusive right to book matches for professional in the Texas market where such TV exposure has taken place for six months after the termination of this contract. So if he was going to try to get around this... Um, wait a second. So wait... Booked in the Texas market for four weeks. Okay, so if you've been in the territory, according to the contract, if you were in the territory for at least four weeks on TV, then you couldn't be on TV in 
I guess they're saying the Metroplex for six months after you left. Well, that we know that Tatum's goes to the other promotion that's being based in Dallas. And that's why Fritz sues. Isn't that sues the wrestlers? Yeah. yeah. And we how'd that turn out for him? Not great. <laughs> so there you go. All right, the Fantastic Terry Taylor wrote a book by the Baton Rouge Police on June 26 on warrants for simple battery because of an encounter they had with a fan in Baton Rouge on May 13th where they were being heckled by a fan calling them fake. Taylor then punched the guy in the face and said, I'll bet that isn't fake blood. Okay. <laughs> Your heartthrob, clean-cut baby faces. Don't do that. <laughs> this is Bill Watts' territory, though, Bix. I yes, know. they do do that. Who, who you do you think stand up for Dave yourself? heard this story from? <laughs> Probably Thomas Edward Gilbert Jr. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll say I did, never witnessed anything like this, but uh, the best retort to a that was fake remark from a fan that uh, I ever witnessed personally. Uh, came from Diamond Timothy Flowers, of all people. Ooh, yeah. yeah. He uh, responded back with... Uh... For some reason, the recording of the section is blank after this point. We do not have any idea what happened. And now let's close out with an uh, odd closer, the American Wrestling Association. And the reason why we're closing with them is they had a pretty big show during our week. But first, Vern Gagne returned to the ring on the June 22nd Russell Rock branded show in Green Bay, Wisconsin. So in for Kurt Henning, teaming with Greg and Red Cripple Stevens, facing Sheik Adnan's crew. And at one point, he got thrown to the floor, apparently hurting his back, because he lay there for a long time and didn't get back up for a while. Vern basically never worked the rest of the match. This was uh, the one time Vern forgot to do his Gagne metrics before the match. <laughs> this is what happens. He's falling and he can't get up. <laughs> All right. The results of this show, Sherry Martell or Princess Jasmine. Scott Ledoux won a Tate Fist match over Mr. Go by disqualification. Colonel DeBeers over Scott Hall by disqualification. Kurt Henning went to a draw with Larry Zabisco. Wayne Rose and Doug Summers retained the World Tag Titles beating the Rockers. Midnight Rockers. Jerry Blackwell beat Borzukov by count out. And then we got Byrne and Greg and Ray over Boris Zukov, something for Bruiser Brody, Norda Barbarian, and Sheik Adnan Casey. And then they still catch match for NWA titles. Stan Hansen retained over Nick Botwinkle. So, uh, good Lord, Byrne. Just, just give it up, man. <laughs> He's lucky he didn't hurt himself. Very lucky. All right, uh, okay. So you think these rock acts don't help a wrestling show? Try this. The NWA's June 27th show in Salt Lake City drew an announced crowd of 11,557, although that sounds awfully high, which apparently was mainly there to see Molly Hatchet, <laughs> a hard rock group, and the Nitro Ric Flair. Card saw Candy Devine, day for losing her title, pin Sherry Martell. Curl the beers over Brad Rangans using the ropes. Can't they think of a new finish to get the heel over? Greg Gagne and Jimmy Snook over Nord and Borzukov when Jimmy splashed Boris. Greg Virtual's never in the ring. He's obviously decided not to wrestle anymore, Dave said. 
Ali Khan, Tom Lynch, who has used the ring name Tom Lynch and Boomer H. Lynch in Alabama, from Afghanistan, beat Jerry Blackwell in a minute, 39 seconds. And there's Zabisco went to a double countout with Scott Ledoux in a European gloves match, whatever the hell that is. <laughs> then the Midnight Rockers beat Rose and Summers by DQ in a tag title match. Janine Penn Summers. Referee Earthquake Ferris counted it and then restarted about because Rose was a legal man. How'd you get those guys mixed up? Then DQ'd the heel for no apparent reason. And then Rick Flair picked Kurt Hennig. And what was surprisingly a bad match. And Hanson over Bot Winkle. Yes, he used the ropes. Now, at this show, the Rockers supposedly beat Rosa Summers, and fireworks went off in the building with the fans thinking they saw a title change. They were announced as new champions, but then Ferris declared the wrong man had been pinned or the match re- restarted. He must have forgotten the script. It's not two seconds later, he declared the Rockets the win- Rockets. The Rockers won by disqualification, and no one knew what the heels did to get disqualified. <laughs> Why? Uh, before we go to you, O'Connor, for your uh, money hatchet take. Um, Bix, how about Vern having fireworks in the building in 1986? Or anyway, I'm guessing that wasn't his idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Salt Lake City was the last consistent draw of that territory. Yeah. At the had, Salt Palace. Great promotion. Right? At the Salt Yeah, where the Jazz play. So they had great local promotion for a long time, which was one reason why. It's, it's funny how that works, isn't it? Where even though you have maybe some, a promotion that's going down, not as good as it used to be, but you still can draw great houses because you're, lo- you're local promoters. It counts, folks. It really does. All right, O'Connor. Molly Hatchet. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't let this slip by. A chance to discuss Molly Hatchet on the show. Well, we would be flirting with disaster if we didn't get your take. You know. <laughs> well, see, well, see, you beat me to it, Chris. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, she bicks if you're still awake. What's your favorite Molly Hatchet song, Bix? Um, hold on. He's got to look. He's got to look for the discography. Um, I feel like there's something I would know, but I, uh, yeah, I don't know any of the shit. All right. Well, we all know Vern uh, had his finger on the pulse of popular culture at all times. Uh, although I, I was told he actually thought he was uh, booking the girl who starred in Sixteen Candles in The Breakfast Club, but uh, <laughs> actually Molly Hatchet. Uh, strange fit, maybe, on the surface, but uh, actually, if, if you look at uh, some of their most famous song titles, mm-hmm. uh, they really capture the zeitgeist of the AWA in 1986. Yeah. Uh, as, as Chris already mentioned, uh, Flirting with Disaster, uh, It's All Over Now, <laughs> Dead and Gone, <laughs> Few and Far Between, <laughs> and probably most fittingly, What Does It Matter? <laughs> very very fitting really uh, what does it matter yes <laughs> yes but yeah 1986 uh, what a time this was to be a redneck wrestling fan you had a molly hatchet in the awa at the great american bash tour with its uh litany of country music stars waylon jennings George don't forget Jones. waylon jennings well, don't forget waylon was in the awa yes. too <laughs> yes yes when uh Chose Waylon over Prince, as the legend goes. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, David Allen Coe did the bashes. George uh, Jones. 
Yeah. Well, don't even, all forget uh, outside a country, Delbert McClinton. Joe Ely. <laughs> Joe Ely. Joe, Joe Ely, yeah. I don't think a lot of people know that. The great uh, Texas songwriter that penned uh, She Never Spoke Spanish to Me. <laughs> yeah, song that was. I love we, Joe Ely. I own multiple Joe Ely albums. Yeah, we saw uh, Willie Nelson on TBS. David uh, Allen Coe was on UWF earlier in TBS. The show. Yeah, Ray, Ray Wiley Hubbard was was doing stuff at a sportatorium. <laughs> yes, what a time to be alive! But uh, yeah, uh, uh, such was the synergy that uh, Mel Phillips, of all people. Uh, if I, <laughs> Funny how he always comes up when I'm on the show, but uh, <laughs> Mel Phillips uh, heard about this Molly Hatchet appearance and yes. uh, lobbied Vince McMahon to book Mel's own favorite Southern rock band, uh, Little Feet. <laughs> he knows it's spelled differently, right? <laughs> I love Little Feet, too. I love, I love Little Feet. Don't say that. Little Feet. <laughs> Little George, baby. Little George, Delbert. Oh, my God. Yeah, Little Feet's awesome. <laughs> I'll never listen to Little Feet again when I think of the milk. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> oh, my God. Wait, does that also mean that Hogan's favorite band was 10CC? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man. But anyway. All right, so the AWA ran their first in a Saturday Night's Main event on June 28th in Oakland for ESPN. It certainly rang loud and clear why the AWA is in the position they're in. Dave went to the show because he figured with the cameras there, the guys would work and the bouts would be good. Boy, was I dead wrong. The crowd was about 1,500 fans, actually more than I expected. That's at the Kaiser Convention Center. But all the hype about the ESPN tape and probably sold a few tickets. Anyway, the results were Earthquake Ferris, pinned a guy named Ali Khan. The newest member of Sheik's Army from Afghanistan. After the bout, Khan, Pearl Harbor Ferris, who was a local guy. They missed the match as the show started at 6 p.m. Pacific. But he found out Khan was Tom Lentz. Heard about wasn't good. Yeah, Dave. Dave missed the first match uh, because the Eagles were in town for <laughs> that and a show, and he hit up the early bird special at the Olive Garden. So, uh... Sharon Martell regained AWA Ladies title from Candy Devine. How can you call this a world's title when only two people wrestle for it? Sherry won using the tights in what was a pretty bad match. The two did try, but Sherry had problems with her equilibrium, and Candy doesn't have a concept of how to wrestle. Negative set to star. Wow. wow, Dave vicious here. <laughs> Sounds like classic Dave euphemism. <laughs> Pro- problems with her equilibrium. <laughs> I don't know who was a tougher critic of women's wrestling, Dave or Rob Bahari. <laughs> but yeah, there you go. Or that guy at No DQ. <laughs> But Dave does have a point. I mean, it, for a while there was these two, and, but then Davey the Killer Tomato started uh, coming in, getting <laughs> yeah. shots. So there you go. Next, we get Jimmy Snooker against Jay York. And O'Connor watched this show, <laughs> and he wanted us to uh, play the intro of this for Larry Nelson, which we all love Larry Nelson. So let's go to the intro of this match, shall we? Yeah, so as I pull it up. Oh, we do have commercials on this version I'm looking at. Oh, that's the best. 
love the original commercials on everything. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, just oh, here we go. See, see if you heard what I heard when uh, Larry introduces Jay York at the, <laughs> the beginning of this clip. Okay, let's see. Did it did not sound like Jay York? Put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so he holding the mic down but still audible and able barely audible and able to read his lips says i don't know who he is there, yeah. <laughs> there were a few uh incidents with larry uh on the house mic on this one but yeah this next bout is one ball there is a 20 minute time limit already in the ring look on his face to my right, weighing in at 270 pounds, Jay Hill. <laughs> Did he call this him Jay? Jay well, look at the graphic. <laughs> I mean, it's Jay Yor. Is that a glitchy like graphic, though? Or does it... Is, two is that... apostrophe zero pounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm trying to figure out, or is that a one that glitched out on the character generator? No, that's... No, <laughs> that's a... That, no, that's an apostrophe. Oh, Gay, gay York. <laughs> well, no, it's Jay York. It's just when you zoom out, it almost looks like it's... No, he said Gay York. Larry Nelson did. Oh, he did? Okay, let me go back yes, now. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Oh, back a little too far. There is right. a 20 minute time limit. Already in the ring. To my right. Weighing in at 270 pounds. Oh, 70. Jay, tell. <laughs> no, he said Jay. Well, you say your. What the heck? Jay, but he said seven, like he said, Jay, help. <laughs> Jay, help. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, help. And Jay York looks good. His opponent. Oh. From the island of Saboa. No. How about the music? Weighing in at 257 pounds. What song is that? I have no idea. Well, I mean, I'm listening on from headphones. From the Fiji really Islands, listen. Jimmy Snooker. Yes, well, also not announced as being from Samoa instead of Fiji. <laughs> J-Hope. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll give my uh, my full review after Dave's. But uh... Uh, Jay York is probably most famous uh, today's wrestling fans for the infamous Johnny Valentine story. Which I think we've learned yeah. over the years, though, was it maybe it happened for real once, which I'm not even sure I buy that because I'm not sure I buy that there was lighter fluid that came in the same kind of thing you could put in an inhaler. <laughs> but it, allegedly, they did it in multiple places with Jay York in on it, and it wasn't really happening. Mm -hmm. but anyway, a lot of shooter, early shooter interviews had that story, so there you go. Um, Snooker pinned Jay York in his mid-50s with a flying press at the middle rows and one of the worst matches I've ever seen live. 
I'm glad most of you probably saw this card on TV, so you understand what I mean. Snooker's really out of shape, and out of mind for that matter. They sat on the mat until 40 seconds left and did the most painfully slow-looking and screwed-up finish you'll want to see. Negative three stars, or Dave says negative two and a half stars. <laughs> do we need to see this painfully messed up finish? Oh, yes, we do. Uh, I think so. Let's do what Dave's talking Okay. It was bad. I, I, I wouldn't. I'd say Dave embellished a little bit, but oh, so. no. Oh wait, I forgot to unmute again. Zucker, Zucker oh. lost, lost hold of that wrist. Now he fires back again with a forearm smash, and across the ring goes Jay York in a bad, bad way, and he's starting to come back. A reversal. Look at Jimmy Superfly Zucker coming off that top rope with a flying twist and a hook of the leg, and it's same way worse than that. Yeah, worse, it but their timing was all over the place. You, Jay, you were just standing there. Yeah. Uh, what do I do? Yes, <laughs> a big contrast to Brad Armstrong earlier. Uh, yes. Yeah. Any other thoughts on Jay York and Jimmy Snuka, huh, Connor? <laughs> uh, well, I'll give my whole my whole uh, spiel at the end. Let's let's hear. Okay. Uh, I don't need to hear the rest of the show. Do we need to hear uh, a? What's-his-face interviewing uh, Super Yes, why not? Let's do Jimmy Snuka <laughs> promo. Why not? Yeah, why am I it was liar, pretty, liar. pretty coherent by uh, Snuka's standards. Another victory for the man from Samoa, Jimmy Samoa. Superfly <laughs> Snuka. Jimmy, yes, you can applaud this great wrestler, yes. Recently, <laughs> tag team matches, Snuka you and Greg Ganya, so extremely successful. Well, let me tell you something, brother. Greg Ganya has been born... In this part of the country, of course, the father is being a great champion. A great guardian, brother. Any help at any time, the brother will be right behind you. And also, of course, your pursuit of Stan the Lariat Hansen for the heavyweight championship of the world. Well, brother, I haven't been wrestling for a while, but ladies and gentlemen. It sure is nice to be back again in this ring circle. But like I ring said, circle. we've got to start from the bottom. And believe you me, that's where I'm going to start. And I am rushing to the point. Where... Thank you, Jimmy Superfly Snooker. An incredible victory over the Alaskan Jay York. Jimmy the Superfly Snooker. More incredible wrestling action coming up right here on ESPN. I love that bump. Just got top. Because I started using Tegrin medicated shampoo. He sure did. Yes, well, he hasn't been wrestling much in a while. Mysteriously, he's pretty much only been wrestling in New Japan and a little bit in Hawaii. Yeah. Well, funny how that started after he got sued by Nancy Argentino's family, that he was only wrestling in the <laughs> one place where he made massive amounts of untraceable cash outside of the United States. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Funny how that works indeed. Yes. Imagine the, the contact high you could get using that microphone after Larry Nelson <laughs> and Jimmy Snuka. Larry Nelson looks kind of disheveled in a way on the show, <laughs> well, well, you was there is a a tailgate party uh, they showed before the show. <laughs> That's right. I they forgot have, about that. Uh, over imbibed a little bit. Uh, yes. Anyway, the barbarian then beat uh nor the barbarian beat Nick Botwinkle in another terrible match. Nor looks great just standing there and even looks okay doing moves. 
but he has no idea how to work a match. Everything both guys did looked bad due to apparent lack of cooperation or just poor timing. They spent most of the battle on the mat doing little until some decent brawling. In saw Nick Botwinkle drop Nord, drop kick Nord outside the ring, and Nord even did a good bump. Somehow, Sheik had on a Casey jumped on the apron, and Nick pounded him. Then Nord kicked Nick in the face and pinned him, using the ropes for leverage. Oh, there's that ropes finish again. The idea of Nick getting pinned is pretty stupid, since he's, since he's challenging Hanson in most of the cities next month. One star. Well... <laughs> one night later is when Nick wins the title for Stan Hansen. <laughs> By default. <laughs> which, yeah. is, which is out of our week because that, that just that, that took place on June 29th. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but Nick was going to win the title anyway that night. That's the thing. Well, yeah. So he lost here but and was going to win the title the next night. And Dave said in the Observer, now I understand why Nick lost. Yeah. Because they were going to build Nord up as a challenger. Yeah. Anyway. A hurting Jerry Blackwell gained a DQ win over Stan Hansen in the NWA title match. Hansen has a crew cut now, which made his blood look really good. He juiced himself in a minute, and Blackwell soon followed. Jerry's really sad to watch as he blew up fast, and from up front, his heavy breathing really sounded bad. The ref got bumped, and Blackwell splashed Hansen, but no referee to count. Hansen took his boot off, then clobbered Blackwell with it. Stan was doing a number when uh, the, it, it, it came 140-pound uh, Gary Juice Derusha. Who tackled Hanson, then he got clobbered. Hanson really did try, but from aside from the blood, the match had little. I thought it was fun because it's black one Hanson. They just beat the shit out of each other. But, <laughs> yes. All right, so we got a Hanson promo. And Hanson is crew cut. I, I like this look on him, too, at this time. So let's go to uh, a bloody, pissed-off Stan Hanson. Yes, as we end this commercial for National uh, Business Employment Weekly. Oh, yes. This is memories right here. I remember that commercial all the time. Eight issues for $35 in 1986? Mm-hmm. Jesus, that's expensive. Yeah. More than $4 uh, each? It's a Wall Street Journal. Call 800-372-3000 now. Wall Street Journal of Business Employment. Mm-hmm. The winner and still the heavyweight champion of the world in a very controversial match, Stan the Lariat. Hanson disqualified, but the winner. I got a billion paydays, John and Paige. I got something to bring home. And all you get out there, y'all say no to you know what. But you know, in Denver tomorrow night, Larry Nelson, I'm going to be bringing this belt. Nick Buckwinkle, you come on down to the Mile High City. I don't care, brother. And as for Jerry Blackwell and all these weak excuses about his little foot hurt, that's a bunch of bull as far as I'm concerned. Everybody out here know he took my boot off, started beating me upside the head, run me down to that ring. Does he get disqualified? Does he? No, sir. But you can rest assured one thing. Stan Hansen, brother. I'm going to beat people up. I'm going to be unorthodox. And I'm going to kick ass all the way across the United States. Stan Delaria Hansen. God, he's awesome. The heavyweight champion of the world. The main event. They managed to misspell Lariat on the uh, on-screen graphic. Of course. Um, Hanson, that buzz cut. Man, look, even more of a badass. (laughs) Yes. Oh, wait a minute. We got bumpers here. We need to hear what kind of contemporary music they're playing during the bumper. Of the 
Because the AWA was as was as contemporary as anybody when it yeah. came to this. Anyway, taking so the greatest wrestlers here. in the world on tour Sunday, June 29th, Wrestle Rock in Denver. You'll see Maserati, Molly Hatchet, Big Scott Hall, <laughs> Nick Bockwinkle, Stan Larian <laughs> Hansen, Vern Gagne, Greg Gagne, and more. Saturday, July 5th in Las Vegas at the showboat for an ESPN spectacular. All the stars of the AWA. I don't make Friday, it out. It's somebody. July it's the current song. Illinois, Playboy, Buddy Rose, Doug, Pretty Boys, Summers, Colonel De Beers, and more. Saturday, July 12th in Milwaukee, King Kong, Brody, the Midnight Rockers, Larry Zabisco, and more. Sunday in St. Paul, July 13th, Nick Bockwinkle, Big Scott Hall, Colonel DeVere's Larry Zabisco. Friday, July 18th in Appleton, Kurt Henning, Big Scott Hall, the Barbarian Jerry Blackwell. Saturday, July 19th in Chicago, Larry Zabisco, Jerry Blackwell, the Midnight Rockers, Playboy, Buddy Rose, Doug, Pretty Boy, Summers, Big Scott Hall, Colonel DeVere's, and more. Good seats available. Get your tickets now. I'm yes. sure there were good seats available. With me here right now, Jim Gabbert from Channel 20. This is Jim, Clarence great Clemens, to have you here with us tonight. Right All right. <laughs> but yeah, they play all kinds of shit. A Cure? Uh, they use a Cure song at one point in time? Talking Heads? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Vern, whoever was uh, doing the, the, the bumpers there was uh, with it. Probably not Vern. I'm going to go no, out on him. Vern would have wanted Lawrence Welk. <laughs> All right, so next we get the Rockers with Kurt Henning, Midnight Rockers, Donnie Buddy Rose, Doug Summers, and Alexi Smirnoff in a great match. Dave's not sure if this looked great because of everything else on the show, or was it really great? But it was all action, one good high spot after another. Even Smirnoff got into it. From what Dave saw, he'd love to see the Rockers matches with Rose and Summers around the horn because they got great stuff worked up. Michaels has a ton of potential and it's really flashy. Buddy Rose, though, is terribly out of shape. He does good spots, but when he tags out, he can barely stand up on the apron. <laughs> but he has a fun act. Summers gets no heat, but is very underrated worker. And in the match, saw Henning drop kick Summers off the top rope, and then Janetti tried to press Sean and drop him on Summers for the pin. But Janetti, uh, after about Janetti, did a dive over the ropes onto Rose. Three and three quarter stars. If someone take this match, let me know, as I'd love to see it again. Why don't you take it yourself, Dave? Maybe he didn't have a timer on his VCR. Maybe not. But, Oops, sorry about that. Yes. Yes. Uh, Dave's are on the money here on the, the Rockers and that Rockers Buddy Rose Duck Summers feud. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. One of the best feuds of the year. What were your impressions of the this match here, uh, Connor? Oh, I mean, it was definitely, uh, definitely the best match on the show. Um yeah, I've got uh, got a few notes here. That concludes the uh, the live ESPN portion yes, of the show. Yeah, there were a couple matches afterwards, but yes, go ahead. Yeah, so I was uh, I was telling Chris off the air. I was a uh, regular AWA viewer by way of TSN in Canada, which carried the ESPN show. But uh, yeah, I, I don't believe they aired this live special, or at least I missed it if they did. Um, seen some of the matches over the years. I know I saw the Snooker match at one point. But, uh, yeah, I went back, uh, watched the whole show uh, this past weekend. It's on YouTube, obviously, if you're uh, in the mood for self-flagellation, as I was. But uh, <laughs> a, a few observations. Uh, so the, the show began with Larry Nelson, Lord James Blears, and Stanley Blackburn 
yes. on location from a tailgate party outside the arena. And uh, <laughs> if the sight of Larry Nelson vibing with two octogenarians doesn't get you fired up for the show, I don't know what would. <laughs> But that, uh, that Lord James Blears, he would have been an amazing shoot interview too if he would have been. So <laughs> yes, definitely. Yeah, I highly enjoyed his uh, commentary. He seems like the most interesting man in wrestling. Yeah, I mean, knowing what his background was and what he did, I mean, good God, the stories he could tell. Yeah, yeah, we're what is it, World War II veteran. Yeah, he 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 know he knows some shit, definitely. But, uh, yeah, let's see. We got uh, yeah, the opener uh, Earthquake Ferris. Not, not much to say about that. Uh, the women's match, uh, Candy, Divine, and Sherry. Um, it was all right. Not bad. Kind of your standard uh, women's match of the era. Candy, Divine, by the way, uh, came out to some Bob Seeger. So Her strut? Yes, yes. I don't know. Awesome. Commandeered Buck Zumhoff's boombox or what? But uh, <laughs> well, she came up to the best Bob Seger song. <laughs> yeah. Also, the theme for Doom when uh, they debut with Woman. Yes. Yeah. Her strut. But uh, yeah, the snooker match. Um, yeah, they languished in a series of rest holds uh, from the opening bell. Uh, at one point, uh, Lord Blair said. The fans are going absolutely wild in the arena as the crowd erupted into a boring chant. <laughs> Perhaps led by Dave himself. Who knows? But, uh, uh, yeah, the other thing, uh, his lordship also described Jay York on two separate occasions as uh, what sounded to me like, quote, big, long, rangy, and dumb. <laughs> which... If you're working with Jimmy Snooker and you're supposed to be the dumb one, then uh, there's a problem. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there's. Uh, we watched basically the the only two offensive maneuvers of the match, were the uh, the drop kick and the reverse crossbody off the top. Uh, you know, Superfly doesn't have his working feet on when you get the crossbody instead of the splash. Yeah, but uh, Nord versus Botwinkle. I actually thought it was all right. It was nothing bad, a little sluggish. Um, yeah, Hanson Blackwell. Again, it, it was a brawl. It was okay. I didn't uh, didn't hear the heavy breathing that Dave was referring to, but uh, uh, Crusher Jerry did do a very obvious blade job. A uh, Lou Albano style uh, open air <laughs> blade job, but uh, yeah, the the six man tag I'd say was very good by any standard. Uh, can't go wrong with the Rockers versus Rose and Summers, but Hennig in the mix, uh, and yes, Alexis Mirnov even had his working shoes on. He did a leapfrog, took a bump off the top rope. I think uh, Alexis was 40 years old here. Didn't look a day over 60. <laughs> um, but yeah, good match. Uh, it was actually Shawn Michaels that did the pescado at the end, which the cameras missed, naturally. Um, oh yeah, and then there, <laughs> there was one thing Dave did not mention to close the show. So Dave didn't mention this because he only listens to uh, 70s soft rock, but... Uh, 
We had Larry Nelson introduce what he described as one of the hottest bands in the Bay Area, Frank Biner and the Soul Patrol, <laughs> who played us off the air as the Midnight Rockers danced on stage. Let's just say they were uh, they were no Molly Hatchet, let's put it that way. But, uh, so, yes, the show uh, mostly I'm sucked. I'm surprised Vern would have somebody named the Soul Patrol in his show. <laughs> yeah, well, they were they were a bunch of middle-aged white guys. Don't oh, well, okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's not a great show. I mean, I'd recommend maybe watching the main event. But uh, the, the good news is uh, the Expos beat the Pirates 3-2, to two, according to the ESPN ticker. A solo yeah, the early days from, of the ticker, yes. Yes, a solo home run from Hubie Brooks was the difference maker. That's right. Yeah, Hubie Brooks was a great player for the Expos in the late yeah. 80s. They traded uh, Gary Carter for the services of Hubie Brooks. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that worked out as well as they would hope for, but still. <laughs> I guess that would have been uh, a young Barry Bonds on the Pirates. Uh, yes. Yes, Barry Bonds was a rookie that year. Yeah. Correct. Yes, I love I love eighties ESPN. Wish there was a more of it on YouTube. <laughs> yes, but uh, yeah, this was quite the show here. Um, and then the two matches that didn't air, and Dave said you should be glad. Colonel the Beers over Brad Rangans using the ropes. You should have been there after a terrible match. Whatever the opposite of is of charisma, that describes Brad Rangans. <laughs> 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 Yeah, Brad was a hell of a talent, but he had no charisma. <laughs> and then Larry Zabisco went to a double count-out with the AWA's cleanup after the mess man, Scott LaDouche. Dave said uh, sorry. And they said that. Dave said sorry. Uh, this was with karate gloves. First round saw no action. It got a little better after that. It wasn't as pathetic as the Roddy Piper Mr. T match, but it was by no means good. LaDou actually can do a few map moves and comes up the Rose Bennett and Candy Divine or Lance Von Herrick. And got thrown for a nice arm drag. With those light gloves, both guys had no trouble going four rounds for the dude, not Larry out of the ring, and kept pounding on him onto the floor for the double countout. After the bout, Rayuma Go and Zabisco had a nice double team job for a while. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, Mr. Go, Rayuma Go, because he was Mr. Go, then uh, Steve Ol Olsenowski, Steve O, would be <laughs> yeah. Ninja Go after that, but there you go. <laughs> A nice double ones. team job from uh, Yuma Go. <laughs> yes, he knows about that. All right, no no return date was announced. And Dave said this was much, much worse than most WF Arena shows. Eh, yeah, it, it wasn't good. <laughs> it wasn't good. But yeah. All right, uh, David mentioned Rick Rue's name on TV, both in the St. Paul and Chicago markets, and that saying that they were negotiating with him. Dave was told Rude would like to return home for a while, and you know he can't be too thrilled about being in Dallas right now. I, it would have been interesting to see Rude go to the AWA. You know, I mean, it would yeah, it's, it's his home home territory. I would have liked to see how Vern and Greg would have portrayed the simply ravishing gimmick in the <laughs> AWA. I mean, Bix, you have any thoughts on that? How that could have went? If you're awake? Not well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Rude versus Hennig would have been great. Yeah. 
Uh, yes. And, uh, I mean, rude against, uh, you know, rude maybe a tap partner against the Rockers, you know? Yeah. Rude against Botwinkle. Yeah. Would have been interesting. I mean, it all depends on how you view Rude's run in Crockett. You know, because some people think that he wasn't used well well enough in Crockett. But he was a World Tag Team Champion for most of his whole run there. Would he have been like dueling mustachioed handsome men as the heel version of Scott Hall? Well, that would have been something. (laughs) Yeah, that would have definitely been something, but... Yeah, I feel like that would have been a great match a few years later. I feel like 86, who knows, but it would have been interesting. Speaking of Scott Hall, there have been recent thoughts that Scott Hall and Kurt Henning may both go to JCP as a tag team. Hall was supposed to wrestle the beers in the Oakland show, but he no-showed. Henning Henning had like two different times he was supposed to start with Crockett in 86 and didn't do it. Talk about well, how different somebody's uh, career would have been. Well, what if he goes to Crockett? WWF too. Yeah, what if, what if he went to Crockett in 86 during that run? You know? Mm-hmm. That'd been interesting. Him and Hall together as a tag team too? Would have been something. Would have given them a, they would have gave them a tag team they didn't have. Because Rock and Roll Express was a different type of A-Face tag team. Hall mm-hmm. and Henning would have been that, you know... Fabulous ones type tag team dynamic to the Rock and Roll Express. They would they could have went for the older, the older ladies, the twenties and thirties. We know Scott right. liked his older ladies. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> and then we uh Dave noticed that Bruce Brody was supposed to work the Oakland show. He no showed as well. And he was supposed to wrestle Earthquake Ferris. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Does this mean that since they were pushing him as the hometown guy big, that Vern asked Brody to do a job for Earthquake Ferris? Oh, no. No, 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 no. no, no. That wasn't going to happen. Okay. No, but Brody just no shit. Because it's Bruce Brody. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that is it for this week. All right, O'Connor. It's time to, uh, to plug away anything you got to plug. We definitely appreciate you being on. So plug away and uh, whatever else you have for us. You're always... <laughs> well, uh, actually, you always... Chris, unfortunately, I'm running out of time here on my hard drive. So uh... no, well, no, well you've, you've been watching too much Chris Cole. Uh, so <laughs> so uh, whatever you have for us, uh, please indulge us. I hope, Frank, you this... wrote this material at least. <laughs> yes, of course. If we can... Uh keep you awake here at Bix, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course you can follow me on Twitter uh, at Ghost of Quinones. Um, of course, as always, I urge you to subscribe, uh, subscribe to the High Spots Network. Uh, there's a great new interview up with our friend Rob Bahari uh, interviewing Damien666 in Dallas. Uh very good interview. We should uh, send a special shout out to Bahari. He's been uh, under the weather lately. It's been yeah. Uh, yeah, he's had his version of the Canadian flu. Yeah, well, I, I think it's uh, ocular herpes. Actually, is uh, is what I heard. But uh, <laughs> kidding, I'm kidding. We all love uh, Rob Viper, but uh, yes, yes, good, good interview. Uh, I got to talk to uh, Damien a little bit as well. What a what a great guy he is. Uh, 
So yeah, that's uh, it's part of Rob's uh, spitting venom interview series. Yes. So, again, not to be confused with the swallowing venom series from uh, Antonio Pena's private video collection. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> anyway. <laughs> On that note, why don't we do, uh, for old time's sake, a round of a classic, classic old Karnak. Wait, oh. I don't know. I'll play in the hits. Yes. Grab my, uh, my envelopes here. Yes, yeah, so I've had your material ready. Oh, Karnak the Magnificent. Your turban. Everyone knows the bit by now. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. So, so I will <laughs> hold the hermetically sealed envelope up to my forehead and divine the answer, then open the envelope to reveal the question. All right, first envelope. All right. Open it up. All right. Amber and Jim. Amber and Jim. Amber and Jim. Wait, did I open the envelope already? Yes, you did. <laughs> Ow. Now it's really open. <laughs> ah. Name two herds that shit the bed and became the object of a graphic murder fantasy from a prominent Kentuckian. <laughs> Johnny Depp's from Kentucky. Uh, Don't uh, he, yeah, he, yeah, he won't he won't be tell, volunteering that information. <laughs> All right, let's try again. Holding the envelope to my forehead. Ah, yes. The murder grandpa. Murder grandpa. Now I will open the envelope. Who is Vern Gagne? <laughs> uh, <laughs> what I was expecting. Okay. <laughs> Try another one. Okay. Third envelope. Ah. Brigham Young. Brigham Young? Brigham Young. Brigham Young. Oh, no. Oh, no. All right. <laughs> Go to sleep, Bix. <laughs> ah. What was Steve Gatorwolf's alma mater slash dating philosophy? <laughs> Story. You went to bring him young. What are the odds? If you, oh, if if you're sick of this bit by now, I curse you. May you find yourself riding a tandem bicycle with Bret Hart and Joe Biden. <laughs> Wear a helmet. What can I say? You're Canadian. You can make that joke. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All <laughs> right. Let's try another one. Okay. Fourth envelope. Oh, boy. Tammy Sitch and Jim Brake's girlfriend. Oh. <laughs> what could this possibly be? <laughs> Oh, name two women who should have hit their brakes sooner. <laughs> oh. 
but <laughs> Jim Briggs' girlfriend probably should have had her brakes inspected uh, in hindsight. <laughs> but, uh, moving on very quickly. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, Pegaso. Pegaso. Yes. Pegaso. El Pegaso. Okay. Ah. What would Michael Elgin request in a Mexican brothel? <laughs> Pegaso, por favor. Duro, duro. Rapido. If, if his Why wife uh, hijacking his Twitter was any indication, we also would have accepted Matt Riddle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, why why do I feel as though if we were recording this in person, uh, Bix would walk up and Will Smith me right now? <laughs> uh, what well, one more, one more, the final envelope. I'm holding it up to my forehead. I am getting Colt Cabana and Pat Patterson. <laughs> what? Oh boy! Oh boy! All right, Colt Cabana and Pat Patterson. Name two wrestlers who devoted themselves to capturing Steve Lombardi's facials. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! I'm sorry, Colt. I had a nice talk with Colt at WrestleCon. Great, great job on the Young Rock. Marty, please don't play this for him over the phone. <laughs> that may be the best one. That may be the best one you've ever done. For those who don't know, Cole Cabana played the Brooklyn Brawler on Young Rock. <laughs> Clarify that for anyone. Oh, my God. Oh. Well... <laughs> We should note, by the way, that Irv Mustard once wrote an article for the Museum of Sex where I'm assuming it was lawyered, and he did refer to uh, Steve Lombardi as Pat Patterson's boyfriend. So, I mean, it is what it is, folks. So people, I, I, I mean, it is what it is. It is what it is. All right. <laughs> I got to compose myself now. All right. So. Uh... <laughs> All right, so next week on Between the Sheets, <laughs> we go back to 1995, and uh, we get an extra day because of how our timeline works. So we got an eight-day week. So let's start with World Wrestling Federation, where we got some TV tapings to talk about and uh, what's going on there as uh, – they got the, the In Your House preview coming up, and they're building up Jeff Jarrett and Shawn Michaels. And uh, debuting during our week is the video for With My Baby Tonight. Oh. So we'll talk about that. We got some other news, including the, the Jerry Lawler making his first appearance at Dr. Isaac Yankum's office. And uh, Dave has an interesting, uh, interesting thought on how the WF was handling their promotion of the Special Olympics at this time period so we'll, we'll play that and some other clips and talk about all the other stuff in wf oh and for bix he'll love this uh wf uh sues matt Bourne. so we'll talk about that we got news on jim hell we got the biggest show 
in North America in 1995 so far, and it's for an independent promotion that you would never expect. We'll talk about that. We also have some interesting other indie news. We got USWA with the Rock and Roll Express PG-13 fuse kicking the high gear. We got some great promos on Smoky Mountain Wrestling Television from Buddy Landell and Mark Curtis. We got uh, big news uh, regarding uh, the title situation Smoky Mountain Wrestling. We got an interesting story about Bubba Rogers. That's all I'll say. Bubba Rogers in Tennessee. ECW run a big double shot in Jim Fort, Pennsylvania, and Hardcore Heaven 95 at ECW Arena, which also had the internet convention, and we get a full rundown from the internet convention, including uh, some controversial statements made by uh, New Jack regarding Jim Cornette, and Jim Cornette's rebuttal to that. Oh, boy. And we also go to uh, South America for a show in Venezuela. That's all I'm going to say about that. Bix probably knows what I'm talking about. Then we'll go to Mexico, where we have uh, one of the biggest shows of the year in Mexico, featuring uh, Los Bariquas on that show. Triple A runs a big uh, Triple Mania show, because it's one of the multi-Triple Mania years. So we'll have news on that, news on them in Los Angeles, and other things. We got some Europe. We got Japan, featuring IWA Japan. And yes, Bob Barragale O'Connor is uh, mentioned in that (laughs) segment. He has a 30-minute draw on that show. So we'll talk about that. We got a, a big match on a Warhouse show to talk about. New Japan, they're running uh, Best Super Junior, so we'll have some news on that. And uh, New Japan gets a big signing, so we'll talk about that. We have All Japan. We got news on uh, Japanese politics involving wrestlers, always a hoot. And at World Championship Wrestling, we have uh, a new booker installed. We'll talk about the new head booker at WCW. And Eric Bischoff on Chet Copic, show on News 4 Cable Network. We'll have the full rundown of that. And uh, a WCW Saturday night that we could, you just can't forget. There's two things on this show that was played. Vader in the Dungeon of Doom and Dave Sullivan and Diamond Doll going out on a date. Oh, no. All that more, <laughs> all that more next week on Between the Sheets guest possible i will be talking to bix about that after we record to see what we're, what we're doing that all right o'connor it's awesome having you back on the show always a pleasure can't wait to have you back on in the future Anytime. bix thank you of course you're the rock of the show and it's chris saying so long from the peach state of georgia
Hello, everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets Patreon Special Edition number 68. I'm your host, Chris Zelda, joined as always by my co-host, David Bixenspan. And Bix, it's time to go back to Titan Gate as we resume where we left off at March of 1992. And uh, yeah, this is going to be another one of those shows. Yeah, we've got, I think, about another month or so, another four weeks or so. And it's not going to be as dense as uh, part one, but we're still in a fairly dense part of the coverage. Yes, and uh, we'll have all kinds of uh, stuff playing off the last show, which, of course, the last show had a lot of uh, sensitive content, so I guess go ahead and get the disclaimer. Yeah, I mean, if you're listening to this, you probably listened to part one, and so I don't need to go too deep into it, but yes, because we're still fairly early on and still a lot of specific stuff breaking. If you think there's stuff that you might find uh, triggering or otherwise upsetting in terms of the discussions of or descriptions of, in some cases, sexual assault and child abuse and things like that, then this might not be the show for you. So, like like I said, you know, if you listen to part one, you get the idea. But still, you know, want to put that in there and in the description and all that. But yeah, so we still got plenty of steroids and stuff, too. I don't know how much Hulk Hogan cocaine we have this time, though. All right, so let's go to Mike Mooneyham in the Charleston Post Courier. Continuing controversy over Shadow's ring action for WWF. An agreement was reached with Tom Cole, whereby he got what he wanted from the beginning, and that is work here, Plenamina said. Tom feels he was discriminated against, and he stands by a story that he was discriminated against, and we gave him what he wanted. What the we fuck gave, does that mean? We gave him his job back. He wasn't looking for a million-dollar settlement. He wasn't looking for media attention. Unfortunately, he was manipulated. He was coerced, and he was used by certain media members for their own purposes. That being getting the exclusive story, when unfortunately nobody out there was taking a young man's feelings into consideration. Okay, we have to stop here. I am pulling <laughs> up the unfiled Tom Cole complaint. The word discrimination appears exactly once um, in when they, as far as the first cause of action, which is uh, pursuant to New York's executive law for legal sexual harassment. And it says a uh, plaintiff repeats and realleges each and every allegation contained herein through this blah, 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 blah. And then it says the foregoing acts of defendants constitute unlawful sexual harassment and discrimination against plaintiff in violation of New York executive uh, law 296. So this is Steve Planamenta and whoever else at Titan going out of their way to find the wording in Tom's unfiled complaint that they can use that will sound the least thorny when commenting to a newspaper. Well, right? here's the thing, though. No, here, well, here's the thing. What's he being discriminated against? I mean, if you're going to say he's being discriminated, why was he discriminated? What 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 happened that he was discriminated for? Right. Not yeah. not, not not you know not doing sexual favors for Terry Garvin. Well, that makes you look bad, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. What, why was he discriminated? Right. You know, I mean, let, let's hear about it, Steve. Why was he discriminated? What did he? What was it he he didn't do? That see, that's where who you know if it needs to be called out by whoever is talking to Steve. Like, wait a minute, what's he being discriminated against? Why? It's not the color of his skin. No. <laughs> it's not. It's not anything else like that. Is that he refused sexual advances from Terry Garvin. Specific to the firing, yeah. 
Yeah. So that, I mean, he went, but Steve Lamina won't come out and say that because then you can't, I mean, then we're fucked. <laughs> because oh, now you're admitting that this happened. Mm. Okay. See, Platt, <clears throat> if that had been me as Mooneyham, Oh, I would have went to town on this. Oh, oh, Media. so how? So how did they discriminate? How? What? What type of discrimination, Steve? Yes. Where's the follow-ups on that? I, I mean, Steve Lamina again opened the door right there for some, you know, hard-ass questions that would have made him sweat worse than uh, what's his name on uh, brought on a network, uh, the movie. Oh uh, God, fuck. I'm drawing the blank too. I don't know why. Or not now. We're broadcast news, Jeff. Um, oh fuck. Who was on a broadcast news that sweat so much? I can't remember. <laughs> Hold on, movie broadcast sweating. News sweaty guy. Oh, Albert Brooks. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When Albert Brooks was sweating like a motherfucker on broadcast news. Um, yeah. Or Martin Short on that uh, on SNL on the skit on the sixty minutes thing about cigarettes. I mean, well, yeah, and playing Nathan Thurm in general. Yeah. So. Bad missed opportunity there by Steve, my best Steve, by Mike Mooneyham there on that one. Yes. All right. Phil Mushnick of the New York Post in a recent scathing column, Blast him at man. Never will you encounter a human being more cold-blooded, more devoid of humor and propriety than Vincent Mann, America's foremost TV babysitter, Mushnick wrote. In your wildest, most twisted dreams, you won't meet up with a likesman man, a miscreant so practiced in the art of deception, the half-truth, and the ball-faced lie as to make the artful dodger appear clumsy. A George Steinbrenner or Don King... Pale by comparison. Indeed, Hannibal Lecter is the only fictional character who comes close. Mushnick's story to immediate response from WF headquarters. Oh, boy. The article was bad to the point of being good, Planamena said. I think people have finally come to realize what Phil Mushnick's agenda is. It's a personal attack against Vince McMahon. He's made mo- no bones about the fact he hates Vince McMahon for no particular reason. Fuck you. He never had the guts to meet with Vince McMahon. John Filippelli, who's one of our executive television producers, has known Phil for years. John was a producer at NBC, and Mushnick had told John long before he had read anything about us that Vince was an evil person and should burn in hell. I think he just doesn't like what we do. Maybe resents Vince's success and resents defeat. No, re- re- resents feet no matter what he writes about. Nobody seems to give a crap. <laughs> uh... Could you imagine? I mean. Could you imagine Steve Planamena working for WWE during this week that we record this with Sasha and Naomi and all that stuff going on? You mean the most Planamenta-esque statement outside of the Benoit stuff in the <laughs> last 20 plus years? Well, that would, well, yeah, but still, if he was giving interviews about this subject, how, oh, how he would... <laughs> uh... And again, uh, Chris, shall we return uh, to that column quickly just to give an example of perhaps why Phil would feel this way? Yeah, go ahead. Let me make sure I have the actual quote here. Uh, Meltzer, 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 Meltzer. Let me make sure I find the right quote. Uh, Meltzer, Meltzer, Meltzer. Yeah. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. There's a joke to make here about another sheet writer, but I'm not going to. I'm saying that, but okay. Uh, why is this not here? Why am I not seeing this part? Um, oh, wait. I know what to do. 
peculiar. Okay, here we go. McMahon also told King's national audience that he had, quote, no idea whatsoever, end quote, about any sexual misconduct by employees, not even a hint. Yet two weeks ago, during poor his heart out phone calls, he told West Coast-based journalist Dave Meltzer, then me, that he had let Phillips go four years ago because Phillips' relationship with kids seemed peculiar and unnatural. McMahon said he rehired Phillips, with the caveat that Phillips steer clear of kids. And yet... Oh, he, hate, he hates Vince McMahon for no particular reason. No, if he does hate Vince McMahon, it's because Vince McMahon told him that he fired someone because he thought he might be a child molester and then rehired him as long as he agreed to stay away from kids. <clears throat> yeah, I know. And... Oh, maybe he just doesn't like what we do. Maybe he resents Vince's success. <laughs> and no, I'm not sure what F-E-A-T was an OCR for that I missed, because otherwise everything came out okay. But, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we still got a little bit more. Planet Menace said, though, if we continue to address the issues as they develop, we're confident that we're doing the right thing, Planet Menace said. If anybody feels they've been wronged by us, we urge them to come forward so we can address the issues. Uh-huh. Things are becoming so convoluted and clustered in these shows. Bruno Sammartino has had an axe to grind with Vince for a long time. He's made no bones about it, but Bruno's axe to grind was what he perceived that Vince did to the wrestling business. And that's fine. It's a legitimate case to argue from his perspective. Billy Graham's agenda is steroid abuse. That's all well and good. If they stick to their agendas, that's fine. Well, let's address the issues. Bruno's hopping on the bandwagon saying he saw sexual assets take place, and now you got Billy Graham saying, I saw that too. Brother, give me a break. No, he's saying, I saw that too, brother. Yeah. Give me a break. Ugh. How did this guy last so long? He's, I mean, I'm sure Vince loved him because he did shit like this. That he's being confrontational, yes, but he's clearly yeah. a fucking terrible public relations guy. Yeah, but Vince, this is the type of guy Vince would love because he's confrontational and he he, he's a, he talks the company line. He, you know, I mean. But here's the thing, though. He loves McDevitt because McDevitt's confrontational, but McDevitt is a freaking amazing lawyer. Well, of course. That, that's the distinction I'm making. Like, yeah, obviously Vince likes his style and the cut of his jib. Here's the other thing, though. Uh, I wish he had a LinkedIn or something so I would know exactly how long he had been doing PR. I guess if I just searched newspapers.com for his name, I would you know, get an idea of when he started doing PR for them. But Steve Planamento was just a guy who was a fan who rose up through the ranks and became their PR guy. Yeah. He's not, and I don't mean this as a negative in any way, because I do genuinely like him. He's not unlike Adam Hopkins now. Adam Hopkins, mainly, and for most of his adult life, has worked for, the w for WWE. He's in PR, but he is not the main PR person. Like Planamenta was. You know, you have other, you know, previously, you know, you're Brian Flynn. I think Matt Altman's still there and technically is either considered adjacent to or above him. You know, guys like that. The people who are the more experienced outside PR professionals would be the ones handling stuff like this. You know, Adam handles interview bookings and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, and 
look, and I said, obviously he has a lot of experience now. I'm sure he would be more than competent if he had to assume a more senior role in their communications department at Vadim did. But, like, it's insane that this Steve Planamenta is the guy, is what I'm saying. Like, let's put it this way. Like, if Mike Weber was still there, he wouldn't be spouting off like this. No. But again, Vince, Vince probably loved this. Yeah. Because this guy's a fighter like he was. Uh, you know, he fucking compared me to Hannibal Lecter. God. He's standing up to these people. Yeah. Um, okay. <clears throat> At least searchingnewspapers.com, the first reference to Steve Planamenta as a media coordinator for the World Wrestling Federation comes in the March 23rd, 1988 Albuquerque Journal in a WrestleMania Hype article, which includes the box out quote, we don't even bother to respond to critics who say it's phony. We respond to our fans. We're here for their enjoyment. Yeah. So I'd love to know exactly what his background was, but, you know, as far as... I mean, basically what he is, he, he is a White House press secretary who is one of those confrontational ones that, you know, is going to come after the reporters and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, that's what he is. Yeah. So, and the people that are fans of that per political political party are going to defend them, and the ones that are are not fans are going to come out and rip them up. You know? Mm -hmm. So, that's what he is. What a friggin' maroon, though. <laughs> eh? Alright, excerpts from today's WrestleMania 8 could be Hogan's WF finale by Mike Mooneyham of the Charleston Post-Courier. New York Post comments Phil Mushnick, who in a recent article entitled Sex Life and WF compared... Vincent Man unfavorably to Hannibal the Cannibal Lecter. Disputed comments made by WS Post with Steve Planamena in last week's column. Planamena said Mushnick had a personal vendetta against McMahon. He's made no bones about the fact that he hates Vincent Man for no particular reason. Planamena said in the column, he's never had the guts to meet with Vincent Man. John Filippelli, who's one of our executive te television producers, has known Phil for years. Mushnick had told John Law before he had read anything about us that Vince was an evil person and should burn in hell. John Filippelli is an old friend and clearly this has more done more than strain our relationship it's virtually destroyed it much next that thursday night this story is growing far beyond my relationship with john filipelli it's far more insidious than my relationship with john filipelli john called me shortly after i started writing about the steroid trial and how the media had abandoned such a big story john says just between us vince is a good guy lay off of him i told him anyone who says that trial has nothing to do with the WF should go straight to hell he basically agreed with me he said he i didn't know the half of it but at that point i was just starting to I didn't hear another word about it until Vince McMahon got on the Larry King show and said, Phil Mushnick despised me so much, he he told John Filippelli I should go to hell. And he made it sound as if that was a, on the sex charges. That was clearly long before the sex charges. Tom Cole, 21, who was worked, member, as, worked as a member of the WF Ring Crew, told the San Diego Union Tribune in a recent article that he was sexually harassed or abused by several WF employees. Cole started working with WF in 1985 as a ring boy when he was 13, said so the sexual harassment would continue unabated until he was fired in February 1990 after rebuffing advances by another WF official. Cole threatened a lawsuit earlier this year, but he and WF reached a settlement after meeting with McMahon. Cole reportedly received $50,000 back pay and returned to his former job as a ring boy. Why would John Filippella call me to explain Vincent Mann to me for ever wrote anything against Mushnick? If I hadn't been in person, why would I have a personal vendetta against him? I spoke with him. I wouldn't give him two minutes of my time now. 
There's none he says, I believe. Philip Pelle, a veteran NBC Sports producer, signed as a senior producer at WF Broadcast in October 1990. He had been nominated for 23 Emmy Awards and was coordinating producer for four World Series, three all- baseball all-star games, several Super Bowl pregame shows, and NBC Sports World. Philip Pelle's hiring placed him over former senior producer Bruce Pritchard. Pritchard, who was eventually fired by Titan Sports in May 1991 after only four years in the top day of production post. I can't believe John's doing what he's doing, Mushnick said. John keeps telling me to put myself in his place. But wait a second. That's what they said in Nazi Germany. Nobody has to do anything here. And inside a close to the story, also took exception to Platinum Men's claims that Cole was manipulated by the media. Tom Cole called Phil Mushnick last July, said the source. He called him every day for months. Phil Mushnick didn't find him. He called Phil last July after Phil did a steroid story. He thought about, there might be a guy willing to go head-to-head with WWF. He called him almost every day for months and wanted Phil to write a story. It wasn't until they got two other kids to come forward that Phil agreed. Phil wanted that exclusive, but he was still beaten by a week for the story. Whatever Tom Cole said about being manipulated by the media, my feeling is that if Tom Cole won this job back, he manipulated the media. If you're not looking for media attention, you don't call a reporter almost every day for eight months, and you don't go to the New York Post. Okay. First things first. Who do you think this insider close to the story is? Uh, if Phil know. wasn't quoted earlier, I'd think it was Phil. Possible, yeah. But I, it, it doesn't make sense to me that there's no reason, especially with how Phil Mushnick is fairly open with his quotes and stuff. I don't see any reason why it would be him. Even, you know, because like, you know, obviously you can give stuff on the record and on background, but... It, I don't see a reason why boat why it would be him. So, someone else at the post, Jeff Savage, maybe you know, with his, doing his article. Like, I I find it a little interesting that they don't mention why it, it ended up going to Jeff Savage or discussing that. Um, but I mean, look, I know more about this than most, as far as I can tell. This source is giving the truth here. So, you know, look. Because Phil, Phil had really done nothing other than be the first to report that the Ring Boy stuff was coming by the time Vince is on Larry King. I mean, granted, Vince has talked to him on the phone when Vince is on Larry King, but those phone calls ended well. Like, after those calls, Phil was swayed at the moment and probably why he didn't run with what Vince told him right away, because he, he felt like Vince seemed like he wanted to genuinely clean everything up. So... This is just really just them realize, you know, especially early on that Vince went on the offensive with him. This was realizing, like, I guess his role in everything and just trying to deciding he's the one who's responsible for all this and trying to discredit him or whatever. Yeah. 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 I don't think there's much else to say beyond that. But by the way, I mean, especially since this is the type of thing that really should be covered in the newsletters, too. Great work by Mike Mooneyam on this story. Yeah. You know, this is some of his very best work. Yeah. So. And John Filippelli, um, and and John Filippelli is, is an interesting deal here. You know, um, John Filippelli mentioned in part one too, as whose couch uh, Murray stayed on after he got fired for a little bit. I mean, it sounds like he's begging Phil to lay off, and Phil's not going to do it. So. Yeah. Here's something I'm wondering too. Did. Did Murray have his story when he was living with John Filippelli? Had he told John that story? And if so, awesome. is that also weighing on John Filippelli here at all? Which, 
I mean, he's a credentialed enough sports producer by this point that he could have, you know, written his ticket anywhere if he wanted to leave WWF. So I, I'm intrigued by him being this kind of a tribalist about his uh, job there at the time. But, you know, it, it's interesting how he's roped into this regardless, you know, and that it ruined much next friendship with him which maybe got repaired after i don't know but close out this week and, though oh go ahead and oh. when when does Filippelli leave Ooh, you want me to see if it's on 92 it is in 92 yeah that's when bruce comes back no but bruce doesn't take over that job oh so no but you're right gone. but it's but right but Filippelli was involved in getting rid of him so bruce doesn't come back until Filippelli's gone regardless right um his linkedin does not go back that far so I don't know, yeah. but you're, you're right. That was part of the catalyst for Bruce coming back. Was that Filippelli was? Oh, actually, no, no, no. You know what? I'm remembering differently now. I think he was put in a different job because Filippelli was still there. I so think Filippelli left night too. Though I don't think he's there. I forget the exact he's not there that. timing though. Because the reason why I, uh, I ask is because how much does this weigh into him in, in his time there? Mm. All this stuff going on, you know? Yeah. I don't know. But anyway, let's uh, close out this week, though, as we go to the reader's pages in the Observer. Your response to Mark Castle's uh, or Cassell's letter to seems to equate unwarranted sexual encounters between executives and underage male employees to sexual encounters between pro wrestlers and women under 18. There's some major differences. First, relationship between an employer and employee is inherently coercive since the employees depend upon the employer for a paycheck. This puts some constraints upon a person's ability to say no. A refusal may cause a person to lose a job or promotion. It's difficult to see an employee could have a sexual relationship with an employer that wasn't abusive unless the employee felt freely consented. However, since underage females are really employees of wrestlers, it's difficult for me to see this encounter as coercive. This is especially true when the female has not only freely consented, but actually sought out the encounter. This may be stupid, dangerous, or even and even illegal, but it may not be abusive depending upon the age. Clearly, a 17-year-old is not the same as a 13-year-old. Signed, Betsy Anderson of Brighton, Massachusetts. Well, that letter started well. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she had a good point, at least up front, that there are comparisons to draw to that, but that is not one of them. Yeah. So, uh, another week down. One more to go on this show. So, I'm reading... Yeah. Uh -huh. About, I'm reading this. Did you see the Dave Sahadi interview with Post Wrestling from at, at, like uh, three weeks ago? Mm -mm. He talks about when he joined WWF coming from NBC in '92. Okay. And it, it, this is just this is how John Philip got gone. Oh, okay. I, I came I came from NBC Sports and I joined WWE, WWE back in 1992. In 1992, you know they were down the dumps. I just wanted to bring a real sports feel to it because I always thought wrestlers were fucking tremendous athletes and they were mainly considered goopballs by people who weren't wrestling fans. I'm like, that's bullshit, man. These guys are legitimate athletes. Oh, and real you quick, this is, from, uh, this is from Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson's podcast. This is a transcript. Yeah, but it's on, it's on post-wrestling. Yes. Uh, do you, you want to hear a funny story? I'm in there for two weeks. John Filippelli, he's now the head of the Yes Network. Yes, he was the Kevin Dunn. 
for two weeks. And then Kevin Dunn did a coup and he got Filippelli fired. And there were two other former NBC employees working there and he got them fired too. So I'm two weeks in and I'm working on the opening for Raw that comes up in January. Kevin calls me up and says, Sahadi, just so you know, Philip gone. John Anonymous, gone. He just went down this list of 20 people, and I thought it was like that scene in The Godfather at the end when Al Pacino was saying, like, and he said to me, he goes, if it was up to me, your fucking ass would be put out of here too, because I hate you, NBC guys. But guess what? You're working on this opening for Raw. Vince wants to give you a chance, so you better be fucking good because your career is riding on it. So, dude, I walk in about a week later. It's opening, and the room is Vince McMahon, Kevin Dunn, Kerwin Silfies, director and or number one there, Kevin Quinn, Bruce Pritchard's in there, Pat Patterson's in there, because passed back by then. And there's like 10 people there, and I get the thing loaded, and Vince says, play it! And I know this is already. I'm giving you the impersonation. So Vince sees it, it airs, 25 seconds, and when it's over, he does this. Looking down, he spent one minute, didn't say a word. Nobody else said anything. He walks back to the coffee machine, pours a cup, one pack of Sweet and Low, boom, another pack of Sweet and Low, boom, yeah, Silence in the room, and I'm like, I'm fucking fucked, man. I'm not going to be here next Monday. This is it. He didn't like it. So he goes, all right, pal, play it again. And the other plays again. Then Vince looks up, starts looking down again. There's like four minutes of silence. And I'm in the corner like, all right, well, you know, I guess I'll sign my forms right now for my termination release. And he goes, I don't know. What do you guys think? And Bruce Pritchard goes, I like it, Vince. It's really different. We haven't done anything like that before. And someone else is like, I love the music. I love this, you know? And all of a sudden, once Vince asked people's opinion because it was so different, they were doing things that, that were a lot of pink and yellow, kind of like, you know, color palettes or whatever. And I was bringing in like black and white and red. So, yes, Kevin Dunn got John Philip Pelley fired. How about that? That is the least shocking thing I have ever heard in my life. <laughs> to hear this entire show. Support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash between the sheets.